From 1984, the eighth highest charting song from the iconic Bruce Springsteen Born in the USA album. Yes, the eighth eighth highest song from that album. He actually had seven top ten hits from Born in the USA, including the song Born in the USA itself. This song charted number 29 in 1984, No Surrender. Welcome to Poker Frolert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. I am Todd Dan Druff with TELUS. This show is being broadcast live on January 6th, 2016, our first show of the new year. We skipped last week. We were last on December 23rd. So, as always, when we skip shows, we have more to talk about tonight. And when I say we, I'm not just trying to make a plural out of myself. I actually am going to have at least one co-host tonight. Maybe two. Maybe two. You never know what happens. But we have at least one that will be here tonight. At least he said he will. And he's usually pretty reliable. Let's put him on here. I think you probably have an idea who it is. Daredevil, hello. Todd, happy new year. Happy new year to you, too. Glad to have you back on the show. And I want to announce tonight that Brandon says he will be on the show at, quote, the usual time, meaning he'll probably saunter in around 9.30 or 10. So we'll have him, too, for those of you that are fans of Brandon. So, uh, Daredevil, what did you do for the new year? Oh, you don't want to know. Okay. It was a bad end of 2015, I'll say that, and that's yeah. why I wasn't on the show for the last little bit, and yeah. No. Yeah, I mean, I knew about an incident uh, towards the end of the year, so I guess it still kind of lingered on. So, All right, well, I'm sorry to hear that your new year wasn't very good. I, I've actually noticed that uh, the quality of my New Year's Eve or New Year's Day does not necessarily reflect the quality of the year. I've had some... Very nice New Year's Eves, and I think, oh, that's a good sign for the coming year, and then the year is awful. And then I've had some others where it's a very frustrating day, and the year turns out fine. So maybe that'll be the case for you. Hope so. Yeah. So I'm glad to have you back on the show either way, and glad the audience has returned. We actually have a healthy crowd in the chat room tonight. Maybe we had people going through withdrawal symptoms. I was in Las Vegas for the new year, as I often am. I want to thank a generous listener. I won't name him. I don't know if he wants to be named, and he doesn't have to be named. But a, a listener of this show got a second room for me, in case you guys are wondering who that's for. It's for my parents, or it was for my parents, and uh, I appreciated that. It was nice to be able to get them. The reason that I needed that room for my parents is not that my parents can't afford to go to Vegas. It's just it's just one of these things. It's so expensive, and it's one of these things like they'd like to be there, but it's just not worth the insane money to go, and they, they really don't like staying in crap property. So uh, it's either like spend a whole lot of money to go or get a comp or close-to-comp room somehow. Otherwise, they just wouldn't have come, and I, I like having them there. So that's why I was asking for the radio audience's help, and someone – answered that call and uh, got me a room for them at the Nobu Hotel. And that was interesting for me to see as well. I'd never been in the Nobu Hotel, which is a tower inside of Caesars, which they considered a separate hotel. So I want to thank that person. I really appreciate what he did. Uh, Watched the fireworks from the Augustus Tower, as I always do, 
where you have a nice view of the Bellagio fountains and the strip, so you can see the fireworks shooting off. And it's much nicer to be there than to be out in the cold and the heavy crowds watching from the street, which I tried to do 11 years ago, and it was terrible. And I said, I'm never doing that again. So uh, my New Year's is pretty good and ate in some nice restaurants over there during that time. Very tough traffic going towards L.A. for the entire weekend. I looked at the traffic on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. It was bad all three days, including the day I drove. So we have a free roll tonight, a $55 free roll. Starts at 8.10 p.m. as usual in the No Fraud Online Poker Room. You can find that near the top of the screen on PokerFraudAlert.com. You need to familiarize yourself with the rules and eligibility requirements for the free money. If you haven't already, that's PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll is the URL to read that. PokerFraudAlert.com slash free roll, one word, all lowercase. Ignorance of the rules is no excuse. If you do not qualify, you will not get the money. This money this week... It did not come from me. It never comes from me. Well, I shouldn't say never, but very rarely comes from me. This week, the money came from Fright, who gave $25. SS Torture, who recently registered an account on the forum and donated $25. Appreciate that. So 25 came from him. And Reno, who donates frequently, gave $5. So the prize pool is as follows. $27 for first, 15 for second, 8 for third, 5 for fourth, I will send this to you by PayPal, which is my preferred way of sending you the money. Bank transfer, cash, check, and even Bitcoin if I have any. I don't remember if I do or not. But you can ask if you want it. I really prefer PayPal, though. It's the easiest for me. That's the way you'll get paid the fastest. That starts at 810. There are 25 minutes of late registration, so you can get in there at 835 if you want to. But that's the very last moment you can get in. You need a separate account on the No Fraud Online Poker Room to play but it's totally free so that starts in about 15 minutes i want to uh before i go through the rest of the intro i want to tell you guys about a special free roll we're having next week and i I wish this free roll was taking place under happier circumstances but it's not i always feel some sadness when i hear about a regular listener of this show passing away and we had this occur in july when a user named Clownbuster, whose real name is David Koenig, passed away, and his death was a surprise. He was uh, he had an aneurysm and passed away, so that was very sad. And I, I was friends with him, too. But uh, a listener, actually a female listener, we don't have many of those, and we've lost one of them. A female listener who is the same age as me, just 43 years old, had been battling cancer for a while, and after beating it a few times, finally succumbed to the disease, and uh, she's no longer with us. Her name is Kate. Uh, her boyfriend and her son also listen to this show, and they sent me $200 today and said that they would like a free roll to take place in Kate's honor, since she apparently really liked this show and would have liked that. So next week we're going to have a $200 free roll, and, and don't donate anymore because that's it's going to be a free roll in memory of Kate, a longtime listener of this show, pretty much since the beginning. And uh, so I don't want to add you know, $5, $10 from other people. It'll dilute the whole thing. So it'll just be a $200 free roll, which is, I believe, the biggest free roll we've ever had. So I shouldn't say just a $200. It'll be 
our biggest free roll. And we could have done it tonight, but I said, I don't want to do it tonight. I want there to be a week where people know it's coming so we can get a bigger crowd for the free roll. And uh, that show, that episode will be dedicated to the memory of Kate who passed away. And I, I really hate hearing about these things happening, especially when the people are young, both listeners that I know of that have passed away in the past six months were in their forties. So that's uh, very sad. Of course, we also had uh, the passing of Delaware's wife. I don't think she listened to this show, but I know he did all the time. And uh, Trader Ruski, he, when he talked to Delaware, he revealed something that I already knew and his wife, who was also young, passed away last year. So uh, Kate passed away, by the way, on December 1st. So I, I don't want to make the whole show depressing or anything, but I wanted to announce that free roll for next week, $200 in her honor. And uh, very saddened to get that news. I'm not just saying like BS here. I, I get, I think of people listening to the show and enjoying it. And I think of someone who's the same age as me and they're just gone now. And it, it's a depressing thought, even if it's someone I didn't really know. So uh, here's the, other intro stuff for the show that we do every week. You can call into the show at any time. I may not answer the call, but I also might. So if I don't answer, just call back in 15 minutes. That phone number is 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You have to show your caller ID, whether you call that number or our second number, which is the Mount Charleston line. I went to go visit the Mount Charleston line. If you check my Twitter, which is twitter.com slash Todd you will see a picture of me at Mount Charleston, not with the phone, but uh, you'll see a picture of me there with a whole lot of snow in the background. And that really was Mount Charleston. There's a lot of snow yeah, there. Todd, we want to see the phone. I this know. is the I, second time you pulled this stunt. I know. I, I knew someone was going to complain about this. I, I'm complaining. I know. What happened was I forgot to take a picture while I was checking on the phone and then I was on my way out of there. I'm like, oh, crap, I forgot the picture. So I, I didn't want to go all the way back to where the phone was, so I just got out of the car and went to uh, an area. You see the road is right there behind me and uh, just took a picture of myself uh, amidst all the snow. It was 21 degrees where I took that picture and a lot of snow there. So that number for the Mount Charleston line is 702-430-1808, 702-430-1808. Again, you have to show your caller ID no matter which number you call. And that Mount Charleston line, in case you don't know already, it's an old 70s rotary phone, and it sits on top of Mount Charleston, and it forwards to wherever I go. You can't, text the, you can't text the phone number. That's a rotary phone. If you want to text me, you can text the main number, which is 775-372-8355. That's the main number to the show that will receive texts at any time, before, after, or during the show, and I will read your texts on the air unless you ask me not to. Or unless it's obvious that I shouldn't, like if it's a personal discussion we're having, I won't read it on the air. I will use common sense, and I will try to read them throughout the show, and that's a good way to get a hold of me during the show. In fact, I'll read some text right now. Let's see. Uh, from the 610 area code, Druff is God. I wouldn't go that far, but thank you. Uh, from the 209 area code, Bigger Mystery and Poker, Tom Dwan or Phil Ivey? Huh? By mystery, they mean like kind of a mysterious person. Uh, I, th I think Tom Twan probably. I'd say so. From the 301, let's see, this is an interesting one. It says, don't wait to reach, to reach more local customers. Press 1 now and press 9 to stop receiving these calls. 
<laughs> Thank you. That was brilliant well, stuff. Thanks, thanks for being a fan. For the 410 show tonight, please say yes. I need it with all the shit I've been through in the last two weeks. Uh-oh. Someone else had a bad uh, New I Year's. I can relate. Yeah. That's uh, Scott from the East Coast. I hope uh, he's okay. From the 510, uh... Your black correspondent is disappointed in your insistence of being on CP time. I don't, I don't know what CP time is. Probably some some uh, comment about me being late to start the show. In other news, Cam Newton MVP and or Super Bowl MVP. Oh, oh yeah, I told you about them dubs, Druff. He's referring to the Golden State Warriors and how well they're doing. He's from Oakland, so obviously he's a fan of the Warriors. From the 347 area code, I have a feeling this is sarcastic. Hoping for a long intro. <laughs> well, I, I guess I'm disappointing you tonight because this intro is, is almost over. Actually, it's not almost over. We haven't even started yeah, it yet. <laughs> I guess he's getting his wish. You know, you're right. I, I'm deluding myself into believing that the intro's speeding by here just because I cut out the free roll stuff that I explained. Okay, from the 817, hello, Druff, what up, man? So I wanted to know a little bit more about you, so I looked you up. I found videos about you, of you from the World Series of Poker, but, man, you were acting like a douche. <laughs> I hope you don't act like that today because you were pretty annoying. He's referring to the 2005 Limit Hold'em event that I was on there. I'm sure not the one in 2009 at the main event with Phil Hellmuth there. I acted... Uh, very low key. I'm sure the he's talking about 2005. Uh, that one, uh, I'll be honest. I just uh, I, I just decided to play up for the camera and then just uh, did some things I probably shouldn't have. So that's the way it went. And after that, I learned my lesson. And I said, okay, I'm, when I'm on TV in the future, I'll just uh, act normal like I would at the table as if the camera's not there. So that's what I did on my other TV appearances playing poker. From the 306 area code. We're getting a lot of text tonight. I'll make you suck my fingers in free roll. I don't know what that means. From the 646, OJ is my hero. (laughs) Okay. And uh, and I got the explanation from Scott from the East Coast what's going on, but uh, he says, please don't read this on air, so I won't read it on the air. But I, I saw what he wrote, and it's pretty frustrating. Uh, And this finally, from the 734 area... Listening on my phone at work, great idea implementation. Oh, well, thank you. And uh, that will segue into explaining what you're talking about. Starting two months ago, I worked on a project over a weekend in November to make a call-to-listen line on Poker Fraud Alert. I wanted to give another listening option for those that either didn't have a smartphone, didn't have enough data, to waste on listening to the show on their smartphone or didn't have good enough reception to stream this show live. So I created the call to listen phone number, which is a phone number you can call anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week to listen to poker fraud alert radio. You can do it from any phone, even the old seventies rotary phone on Mount Charleston. I'm not kidding. Any phone in the world that can dial a phone number. You can now listen to Poker Fraud Alert Radio either live, like right now, or when we are streaming our random archives. Uh, That's something else I implemented that same weekend, was that when the show is not live, 
It is picking a random episode out of our many, many episodes we've done since 2012. I think over 170 of them by this point. And it picks a random episode and runs it as if it's live. So you can go to the radio page and listen to that anytime or call the call the listen phone number. So what is that number? That number is 712-775-8162. 712-775-8162 is the call to listen line. You may say that's a very hard phone number to remember, and I will agree. However, you don't have to remember it. You can go to the radio page on PokerFraudAlert.com, and you will see a little graphic there with the call to listen line phone number listed, and then you can call it. And it works very well, and people enjoy it. And if you want to save your data or you just don't have a smartphone or one of many reasons that you may want to listen through the phone, now you can. And when I proposed doing this, I proposed doing this like six months before I did, and I got laughed at. People on the forum told me that's ridiculous. People were telling me to instead broadcast on what was it, Twitch or one of these other things. Uh, Periscope, they're saying, do that. Don't do this stupid call to listen line. It's, no one's going to use it. But that's not true. It is used, so. Well, I think they didn't take into account the demographics of uh, your audience, Todd. <laughs> They're calling in on the rotaries, <laughs> enjoying the archives. We we actually do have some older people who don't have smartphones. That's true, and yeah. and we also have uh, some people who, for whatever reason, don't have very much data. There's various reasons people need it. In fact, like let's say you're out somewhere. Let's say you're out in public somewhere. And you want to listen to the show and you don't have headphones with you. You can't just go listen to the show on the smartphone because it'll play on the speaker. But if you call to listen, you can just put it up to your ear to look like you're on a phone call. In fact, you could you can fake be on a phone call using that number too. It's very useful in many ways. Okay, so enough about the call to listen line. Let's get on with the topics for this week. I always like bringing exclusive stories to the Poker Fraud Alert community, because sometimes I'm accused of just recycling poker stories from elsewhere, and to that I say, yes, but so do all news organizations. Very few news organizations are presenting to you a story that was not lifted from somewhere else in some way. There's only one news organization that can break a story by definition. So I broke a story this past week, and we're going to discuss it, that poker news which you would think is an independent, albeit maybe biased news organization. And when I say biased, because they have sponsors and stuff like that. But you would think that they're independent and uh, not owned by anyone but themselves. I got word that Tony G no longer owns Poker News. Instead, it is owned by Poker Stars. <laughs> Yes, it is said that Amaya is the owner, the secret owner, as of sometime last year, maybe June, maybe even before that, of Poker News. We will talk a bit about that and the rumors that had already been swirling around before I was told this by a source, I believe. Greg Raymer, 2004 World Series of Poker main event champion, who also did quite well in 2005, finishing like 20th in the main event. He was flying high is not flying quite so high anymore. Not only did he have a scandal about three years ago where he was caught in a prostitution sting, what was really embarrassing for him was that it was initially reported that he was seeing male prostitutes. 
<laughs> and the reason I play the laughter there is not that it's funny about being gay. He's not gay. He was seeing female prostitutes, and they reported it incorrectly because they had a sting for male prostitutes down the street. So they they didn't get right at first which sting he was caught in. But no, Greg Raymer's not gay. He's straight, but he was seeing a prostitute just by being married. Uh, but that's old news. What's newer news is that every year it seems that he is asking for stakes for tournaments and cash games. And this year he is proposing his stakes on a site called ustake.com. I have noticed several flaws with this staking arrangement, and I'm going to lay them out here on this program, and Daredevil can weigh in with what he thinks. Isaac Haxton, also known as Ike, he has quit Poker Stars. He's a Poker Stars pro, shall I say? He was a Poker Stars pro, and he has quit there over that Supernova Elite controversy that we've been talking about for weeks. I'm not even going to bother to explain the controversy again. We've spent so much time on the show talking about it in previous weeks. You can Google it if you are new to the show and don't know about this. But he is quitting over the Supernova Elite controversy, and. He got a lot of praise for that, but there's also some who are saying that he's only quitting to be self-serving and that his recent past behavior shows that he's not as ethical and high-minded as he's trying to appear. Speaking of poker stars, Amaya's stock is not doing very well. I hope you didn't buy any stock in them. They have fallen below $12 in U.S. money. Below 12 for the first time. How low will it go? We will discuss that. Final PokerStars topic. Data mining has been discovered at PokerStars in their spin-and-go games. The reason that's a big deal is that this is now outlawed. And apparently it's still going on and PokerStars is not catching it. In non-PokerStars news, the Illinois Attorney General declared daily fantasy sports to be illegal gambling, just like what happened in New York. So we'll talk about that ongoing case, Illinois being one of the more populous states in the nation, just like New York. The World Trade Organization, some of you may remember this. I'm sure Daredevil, who knows about all this type of stuff, is, is familiar with this, where in 2003, Antigua made a complaint to the World Trade Organization, or WTO, that the U.S.'s attempt to prevent people from playing on Antigua-based online gambling sites was interfering with their economy and that the U.S. should not be allowed to do that according to World Trade Organization rules. The WTO sided with Antigua and fined the U.S. The U.S. at the time, again, this is 13 years ago, 2003, the United States, who was presented with the the fine, which I think was over $20 million a year by the WTO, the response of the United States was this. <laughs> That really was their response. They just said, you can't make us pay F you, and just didn't pay. So there's been an ongoing battle, including Antigua threatening to pirate films and software and TV shows, basically pirating intellectual property from the U.S. to collect the judgment that way. But this may finally get solved 13 years later. I'll tell you what the solution might be. The high roller at the link in Las Vegas is that giant Ferris wheel. It's a closed Ferris wheel, though. You go in these pods that are much bigger than they look from the ground. They can fit 40 people. 
and it takes you 550 feet in the air. Get a very nice view of the Las Vegas Strip. However, it is quite expensive, and it has not done well. It was very, very, very expensive to build, and they have not even come close to recouping what they spent, nor is it having anywhere the attendance that they thought it would. Once again, Caesars underestimated something, or should I say overestimated something. Once again, Caesars made a poor business decision. I know you're shocked. No. But now, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're still the poker gambling topics now. Yeah, well, this is still kind of like that. It has to do with Caesars. So, anyway, uh, I think they hit their low point this New Year's Eve. New Year's Eve, which, of course, is a very, very busy time in Vegas. On New Year's Eve, we went on the high roller with comp tickets, of course. I wasn't going to pay a penny for that, but me and five family members went on the high roller. And how many people were in the pod with us? How many people went along with us? Because, you know, you get in line and they load up to 40 people into the pod. So how many other people were with us? Zero point zero. Yes, we had our own private pod. There was nobody in line when we walked up. On December 31st, not on some off day like uh, December 20th. This is December 31st at 4 p.m. So we'll talk a bit about that and why the high roll is struggling and some attempts they're trying to make to bring some people there, which so far have failed. While they're in Vegas, this is weird. I have a call here. You know, I'm going to interrupt this and take this weird call just because the phone number is so weird. Caller, you're on the air. Caller. Hello, caller. You got a really weird phone number. It's like a weird international phone number. All right. Well, what's really weird, it's like a country code plus six digits. That's it. it. Really weird. Like the shortest phone number I've ever seen. Like you'd expect this phone number like 60 years ago when there were hardly any phones. <laughs> so. Yeah, I see that. that yeah, is it's, it's, a, it's an eight-digit total international phone number. And to show yeah. you how that compares, like the U.S., uh, it has a very short country code, as does Canada. It's the same country code, one. Yeah. And then there's ten digits. So every... U.S. and Canada phone number is 11 digits. This is 8 digits. I've never seen that. Unless it was some kind of spoofed caller ID thing, which it could be. Whoever it was didn't talk. I, I wanted to hear who that was and why they have so few phone numbers. Like, are there really, like, only 5 digits or something? There's, like, like a country code, a city code, and, like, 5 digits? Like, it, it's got to be, like, a tiny country. Maybe it's, like, the Vatican City calling us. Maybe it's the Pope, the Pope calling us. He's a fan. Yeah. He loves it. So, anyway, uh, while I was in Vegas, I played the... Texas Hold'em fold-up bot. This is the six max limit Hold'em bot with the horrendous rake that we've talked about. I played it. I got my own impression of it. I posted some strategy tips on Poker Fraud Alert, and I'll talk about them in case you want to go give it a shot yourself. Daniel DeGranu's Bank of America account has been forcefully shut down. Not because he did anything wrong, but because he was receiving poker money on it, presumably. He didn't say that's why, but that's got to be why. And I will tell you, I am not surprised. I will tell you why I'm not surprised when we get to that segment. Final poker and gambling topic, Beth Shack. When you think of Beth Shack, you may think of a very, very rich divorcee, a gold digger, a drunk. These are all accurate descriptions of her. Someone who loves shoes, but... 
I don't think you would picture Beth Shack as someone that you would want to buy expensive poker coaching from. <laughs> you, you can take the word expensive out of that sentence, but yeah. <laughs> but she's offering poker coaching for $1,000 an hour. I will read you a little release on that. I wonder if there will be like one customer, but you do get an extra there. You get an extra. No, it's not a blowjob, but you get an extra that goes along with the $1,000 an hour coaching. General topics. When you think of a Jew who's in his early 40s, who is a software engineer, who do you think of? You? Yeah. Uh, how about not just that? A Jew who's a software engineer in his early 40s who's cheap. Yeah, again, you said again, Jew time. Yeah, again, me. Okay, so uh, fortunately, I am not the one in this story. Otherwise, I would not be doing this broadcast. A Jewish software engineer who is 42 years old was murdered at the end of December while sleeping in his car in Las Vegas. We just talked about doing that. We just talked about sleeping in your car in Las Vegas. A guy called yeah. in who talked about sleeping in his car in Las Vegas, and I talked That's about weird. sleeping in my car. And, and so we talk about this, and I think we talked about this on the December 23rd show. And yeah, because that woman who ran people over, that, that was her deal too, right? Yeah, yeah. So we talked about that on our last show, and five days later – uh, I hope this guy wasn't listening to this show. I thought oh, that's a good idea, but uh, he, he was sleeping in his car. He's not from Vegas. He's actually from the Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area. But he was sleeping in his car uh, intentionally. He wasn't doing because he was too tired. He was that's where he was staying overnight. He was in his car, and he paid the price for his frugality because he was robbed and killed by two by a white trash couple, young white trash couple. I will talk about that situation which is a pretty tragic story and also maybe a lesson as far as uh, being too cheap. Most of you have had to go through the experience of buying airline tickets. I know there's probably a few people who are afraid to fly and won't fly under any circumstances, but most of you have bought airline tickets sometime in the recent past. And... It can be a very frustrating process for many reasons. And one thing that sucks about airline tickets is that once you've made your purchase, it's done. You, you can't change it without paying an incredibly high fee. You can't cancel it. You're really just screwed if you don't want to take the trip anymore, if you want to change something, or if the price goes down, tough luck. Where it's different, like you, you buy a hotel room for three months from now, and provided you don't get one of those stupid pay now and save a little money rates, if you just make a regular booking, you can cancel up to like two days before you show up there for a full refund. So with hotels, you don't have to stress because if the price goes down and you notice it, you just cancel the reservation and immediately rebook and get the better rate. You can't do that with airlines. With airlines, the price you get when you book, no matter how far out it is, is the price you're going to be stuck with. So I'm going to tell you my experience on how to, number one, dodge sudden fare increases, where if the you see a price one day and it jumps up immediately, why you might be able to get it back at the old rate if you're utilizing my trick on doing so. And if you want to buy seats with miles and find they're unavailable, how to figure out if they will become available sometime in the near future and if you should wait it out. So I will explain these items I've noticed. And this applies to U.S. airlines. If you're an international listener who does not buy seats on U.S. airlines, then this will be a meaningless segment to you.
By the way, Daredevil, I hate Canadian Airlines. I I don't. Well, you're right. I don't love U.S. Airlines, but I, I I didn't realize you could do worse than the U.S. with airlines until I flew Canadian Airlines, and then I was like, wow, this is actually. I actually wish I had the American Airlines now. It's terrible. Yeah. So U.S. healthcare in 2016. I'm not going to go into a long discussion, and I'm not going to really talk much about Obamacare or anything like that. It's not going to be a political discussion, but I will give you some tips on how to avoid being misdiagnosed. And I say in 2016, I really mean just contemporary U.S. healthcare and how to avoid being misdiagnosed. This could have applied last year or the year before, but since you can't go back in time, I can say it's in 2016. Uh, but it's the standard model of what you might think is the correct thing to do when you feel that you need a doctor's visit may not be. And there's a reason that I very rarely get misdiagnosed and accepted. I, I have been misdiagnosed before, but like when I am, I know I am. There's very few times where I am led down the wrong path when there's something wrong with me. And there's a reason for that. I will explain what I do to prevent that and what your best bet is to get diagnosed properly. And it's not as straightforward as you might think. So those are our topics tonight. Once again, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355 is our phone number. You can text that number too. You can chat in the chat room if you're listening live. I probably won't read it, but Daredevil will. And we will get going. And the free roll started 12 minutes ago, but you can still get in. So if you're playing, good luck there. Actually, I shouldn't say that because when I say, you know, this bothers me. I, I just said something I hate. I hate when I do things that I am annoyed with when others do to me. There's no such thing as good luck all. Because when you're playing poker, everybody can have good luck. Like at a blackjack table, right. yes, good luck all makes sense because everybody can beat the dealer. But in poker is a zero-sum game in a tournament. So there's no way that everybody can win. There's, it's impossible for everybody to win. There will be some people who have good luck, some who have bad luck. And if I said good luck all, that makes no sense because all cannot have good luck. It's actually absolutely impossible to have happen. So I will say good luck to those whom I like. And those playing the free roll who I dislike, bad luck to you. There you go. <laughs> All right, so let's get started. So Poker News, I- I've had an interesting relationship with them over time. Poker News is the largest poker news site, as you might guess from the name. A card player used to be bigger, and they existed for a lot longer, but Poker News burst on the scene. Uh, it was Tony G's site. It did very well. It made a lot of money. Uh, eventually they bought NeverWinPoker.com, which was the forum I used to hang out on. It doesn't have a forum anymore. Uh, it was the radio show I used to co-host. It doesn't have a radio show anymore. But that's where a lot of us who are on the Poker Fraud Alert forums originated, myself included. I first posted on the NeverWinPoker forums in May of 2004 when it was just getting going. And actually, it wasn't getting going. It was put up as a fan site for Dustin Neverwin Wolf, who was just an online player, and it was never going to go anywhere that way. But I came and brought a different vibe to it, a kind of a free speech, trash-talking vibe there, and it got going, and it became known as the free speech, say what you want, post here what is not allowed elsewhere type of site. And the community still persists to this day, almost 12 years later. So Poker News actually bought them in 2007 for a large sum of money, very little of which I got because I didn't own it. And at the time Poker News bought it, they did not like me very much. The CEO of Poker News wrote 
an angry email criticizing all of the main characters of uh, Neverwin Poker at the time for various things. The CEO disliked me. I'm not talking about Tony G, but the CEO. And basically, uh, Poker News was not one of my bigger fans. But over time, Poker News softened, and including the CEO who didn't like me. And he actually listens to this show fairly often now and seems to think a lot better of me. And I have a good relationship with most of the Poker News reporters. Uh, now, I did have an incident where somebody accessed, I don't know if it's someone within Poker News or another media organization, but someone accessed a description of something that occurred on day six of the main event in 2010, the one year I ran deep in that event. And when I got a penalty over something stupid, someone changed the news report to say, the unsavory Todd would tell us. <laughs> so I was pissed off about that too, because I had a lot of people I knew reading this, because you know, day six of the main event. But uh, since then, I, I've really developed a good relationship with Poker News. The CEO seems to like me. I don't know if he still is the CEO, but I know he's still there. Uh, Chad Holloway is one of their main writers. Get along with him very well. And uh, the other writers at Poker News, uh, yeah, we all, we're all cool. But still, I have to honestly report this story. And I do appreciate that Poker News will sometimes cover me at the World Series. They wrote a nice article about me two years ago. Uh, hopefully this won't affect that. If it does, it does. I've always got to report the truth. And when I hear about something that has not been reported anywhere that I think the public should know, I'm going to report it. Whether it's an organization that has been nice to me in recent years or not. Now, I'm not going to vindictively attack them. But this is something I think people should know. I have been told, and this is not 100% confirmed, so if somehow I'm incorrect about this, okay, but I don't think I am. This is something that was told to me by a source, I believe, that Amaya, the owner of Poker Stars and Full Tilt, secretly and quietly bought P Poker News in 2015. <laughs> Now, apparently there have been rumors swirling around for years in poker media circles that Poker Stars had an interest in them. So it's very possible that Poker Stars already had an interest in Poker News and then just completely bought them. But what I have been told is that Tony G does not own any of Poker News anymore. And that Poker News is now owned fully by Amaya Gaming. Now, you might wonder, how is this affecting Poker News? Does this mean they're going to pretend other sites besides Poker Stars and Full Tilt do not exist? Does this mean that they're never going to report anything negative about Poker Stars or Full Tilt? Does this mean that editorial control is being utilized by the bigwigs at Amaya? Did they buy them to control the message? Well, we don't know why they bought them. We don't know if it is to control the message, but I will tell you that I also was informed by this source that as of now, since the purchase and up through today, that there is no editorial control, that Amaya actually instructed them, keep doing what you're doing. Just forget that we own you. Just keep acting normally. We're not putting any new people in. We're keeping the same staff. We're not changing anything. Just keep being poker news. Keep on keeping on. 
if you have something to say about us, just say it. Uh, just, just, just go on normally. But uh, just remember, uh, we own you, so uh, you know, don't be too mean or you're gone. <laughs> no, they didn't say that last part. I'm, I'm just kidding. They didn't say that last part. They didn't threaten anyone. They didn't tell anyone they're going to be fired if they report negatively on them. They really told Poker News to just disregard who the owner is, from what I was told. Now, still, if you know that Amaya owns your, your uh, company, if you know that in the back of your head, even if they told you it's okay to report negatively on your company, uh, maybe you're going to be a little hesitant to do so. <laughs> maybe you'll tone it down. I mean, it's not an editorial site, so they're just reporting news. So it's a little easier, but still, news always has some kind of spin to it, and maybe that spin will be positive. Now, if you go to PokerNews.com, you will notice something a little bit odd that would seem to contradict this story I'm telling you right now. And that is, you can sign up for other poker rooms that are not poker stars or full tilt through PokerNews.com, which wouldn't make sense. Why would Amaya buy them and then allow them to promote the competition, which is what they're doing. They're promoting poker stars also. It makes plenty of sense. Yeah, it does make sense because Poker News had and still has a very profitable affiliate business where if you sign up with a competing site or any site, you you sign up with any site through Poker News, they get paid that way if you deposit real money and play. So with this being... An income stream, they don't want to kill it. It's it's working. They don't want to kill it. And if they kill it, it'll look really funny. And people go, hmm, well, look at that. Poker News, they had every room you could think of before that you could sign up through their affiliate program. Now it's just Poker Stars in full tilt. Now why would that be? And that would give away who the owner is, and people would stop believing that Poker News is unbiased. So that's another reason kind of for cover that uh, they, they have. I, this is just my theory. I was not told that they're doing it for cover. But hmm. – See, I would think they're doing it because it's a revenue stream. Well, yeah, that's part of the deal, I, not so much for cover. But well, I, I should say they're doing it for the revenue stream, and also, uh, if they did the opposite, it would be anti-cover. It would give away what's going on. So that's that's another problem. You don't uh, when you want to look like nothing has changed, you don't change anything. Otherwise, people dissect why the changes are occurring. So. Poker News, if, if this story is correct, and I think it is, is fully owned by Poker Stars. And we will see what that ends up meaning. Uh, sometimes with these things, in the first year, they completely get hands-off, and then as time passes, they get a little bit more hands-on, a little bit more, a little bit more, and soon these stories being reported there really are biased. Or It can even be something like where they're encouraging the staff there to report events taking place at poker stars just as if they're news like in fact i see a report right now about the pca up there which is that's not surprising the pca is a big event so i'm not saying they shouldn't be reporting the pca but things like that if they they start covering more and more poker stars affiliated events on poker news than they were before you may not even notice so it could be subtle things like that it could just be that they thought poker news was uh, a good investment could be a little of several things. But this has not been reported anywhere. Go ahead and Google it. And other than my Twitter and on PokerFraudAlert.com's forum, 
you're not going to see any reports, even though this is not a recent purchase. I was told this happened around June 2015, but the person who told me said they're unclear on the timeline. They just know it was around then or beforehand. So uh, this it's not like this just happened a few weeks ago. So that shows you how quiet it's been kept, unless this is an incorrect story, and I don't think it is. So, Well, if it's being kept quiet, that makes me kind of suspicious. Um, but the thing is, I mean, when you think about poker news, do you think of, you know, hard-hitting exposés or editorials mm. about poker sites? I mean, no. it's a really light kind of fluffy site anyway, so... Yeah, and it's it's a lot of just uh, tournament coverage and right. And what you're saying, where they're reporting on events as news, well, th- they always did that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, you, you wouldn't be able to tell if they started covering Poker Stars events a bit more. You, you wouldn't tell because they're doing it anyway. Right. So you know, I don't know. I I, I guess I don't see it. it. The fact that they wouldn't say it is a bit strange, but I wouldn't see it as super super shady just because it is such a softball site. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm not sure what to make of it. Uh, I would say if, if Amaya were to purchase this site, now that could be something. It doesn't have the readership of Poker News, this site. Uh, but uh, if, think if they purchased this site secretly for a lot of money, and they told me, oh, you just keep doing what you're doing, but then they start slowly telling me that I have to go easier on them when there's something I don't like, or, or defend them more in, in segments I do about them, and... Uh, that type of thing actually could be very effective if you were to buy up the critical media. Right. So you're right that Poker now, News is not really the critical media. Are, are those talks in the works, Todd? Because, I mean, you remember a young Todd Rutellis came to host a site on a radio show and was given a piece. So if you're selling to Amaya. Yeah, I know. I know everybody yeah. Everybody has their hand out. I know. But, uh, you know, if they if they came to me, honestly, if they came to me and said, we'd like to buy Poker Fraud Alert, which is not going to happen, but if they came to me and said that they wanted to do that, I, I actually wouldn't do it because my joy of running this site and doing this radio show is not having to kiss anyone's ass. It's, it's that I can just say what I want about whomever I want and whatever I want, and I don't have to answer to anybody, and that's... A nice feeling to have when you do a show like this. I, I would never want it where it's hanging over my head that either I'm not allowed to say something or I'm afraid if I do say something, it's going to ruin a relationship that I have that's important to me. I, I can't operate that way. So now what if they came to me and said, we're giving you $500 million for the site? Would I say no? Of course not. Of course I'd say yes to that. Like, I, I, If they gave me some obscene amount of money, yes, I would take it. I'm not going to lie to you guys and say I wouldn't. But uh, – but- also, the show operated under ownership of Poker News, right? So it, it did, it did, and uh, uh, but I was not the one who sold that. I, I had no choice in the matter, and uh, and in fact, when I had to decide whether I was going to continue on that site, it was kind of weird because uh, for those of you who don't know, the way I kind of rose to prominence on Neverwin Poker, it was unplanned. It was I showed up there originally as a troll. I showed up there to troll Neverwin, who was a rival of mine on poker stars and we talked a lot of trash of, to each other at the table the online table we hadn't met in person yet and i showed up to his supposed fan site that mycon created for him and i had no idea who mycon was to troll never win with just one post and never come back and i ended up staying there and i ended up uh, interacting with a lot of the other people posting there most of whom were kind of just unknown poker fanboy types 
And eventually the site took off and I became a major poster there. And eventually I became a moderator there. And eventually I became, uh, I eventually I really became a very large part of the site and a large reason that the whole thing was successful. So here the site wasn't making any kind of real money. So I didn't worry about getting a piece of anything, but here it was going to sell to poker news for a lot of money. And I was angry that I was not getting anything of it because even though I didn't own it, technically I really was the one who built it up. I was the main reason and I'm not being arrogant here. I really was the main reason that site became what it did. There were other factors that made it become big. I wasn't the only one doing it. Even Neverwin himself helped by just uh, having a name like WWW Neverwin Poker on Ultimate Bet and playing as much as he did on Poker Stars and attracting a lot of attention that drew a lot of people over there. And even Mikeon did some things to draw traffic there. But as far as providing the content, it was really me more than anyone. And even Mikeon and Neverwin admitted that. But then I didn't own it. So I wasn't entitled to any money. And I was really frustrated because I felt like I earned them hundreds of thousands of dollars and I was getting zero. I was absolutely getting zero. So I felt for them a little bit because Mikeon and Neverwin were broke at the time and they needed the money and I didn't. But still, I felt I should have been entitled to some of it because there was so much money involved. So I was not going to continue there if I wasn't paid in some way. So I settled on a token sum of money, $5,000, which was tiny compared to what they got, and 2.5% uh, of the gross revenue going forward on Everyone Poker. And they, they made an affiliate uh, business on there, kind of linked to the Poker News one. And I agreed to continue. But one other demand I had was that I was not going to be controlled by anyone, that I was not going to be censored by anyone. I said, if I'm going to continue participating here, it's going to be the way it used to be. I'm not going to feel like I'm working for you guys because the amount of money I'm getting here, first of all, is not uh, equivalent to working for you guys. It's a kind of like a token uh, piece I'm getting just for everything I did to build it up. But I, I'm not going to continue if I'm going to be censored or controlled. So they agreed. They agreed that we would have creative control, and that's eventually the reason why we split off of there was because they discovered that they didn't like the situation with us having creative control because it was offending a lot of people. <laughs> so <laughs> so, so they said, oh, this is not exactly what we were expecting, so, I, which I don't know why. It was the same site it always was. They just didn't do good research in, before buying it of what it was. But uh, eventually they said, look, this kind of isn't working, so we went our own way. <laughs> so they bought NWP and didn't want you offending anyone. That's yeah. <laughs> so smart. So yeah. So if something bought Poker Frawler, which I really wouldn't want, I really just want to own it myself, hundred percent, and that's it. But if something did buy it, at the very least, I would say I want full editorial control, or otherwise, I'm not going to continue participating. So, and by the way, the reason I'm saying participating is, in case you're wondering, that is kind of like archives. That was said originally yeah. by Mason Malmuth when he was complaining on his own podcast about uh, my 60 Minutes appearance. And he was saying that there needs to be some sort of government organization, federal government organization that monitors poker forums and makes it illegal for ones like Neverwin Poker to exist. <laughs> he really said this. And he called Neverwin Poker a sick enterprise that 
degenerate participate in. <laughs> participate is the way he said it. Yeah. So now I always say participate. Sometimes I'll even spell out participate when I'm writing on the forum. And Mason and I love each other today as much as we did seven-plus years ago when he said that. So, not that much more to say about the poker news thing. It's interesting. Keep that in mind when you're reading poker news. And if you have any more information about this, please let me know. You can email dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com. You can even ask for anonymity, and I will not name you under any circumstances. A lot of times I'm given stories, and I will relay them out here and, of course, not name the source. The only thing I don't do anymore is sometimes I'll have people come to me and say, such and such person is a scammer. So please expose that to the world, but don't say it came from me. And I go, wait a minute. (laughs) I can't do that. You're making me say the person's a scammer, and I don't even know if they are or not. So if you have a story you want to tell, go ahead and tell it. You can call into the show. You can post it on the forum. But I'm not going to tell it for you. But this is not about a scam. This is about one company buying another. And even if I'm wrong, it's not uh, a tragedy. I haven't uh, slandered. Poker news by saying poker, poker stars bought them. I would just be making an incorrect report. So I don't mind passing that along to the public. But I, I believe the source. The source seemed pretty reliable. All righty. So let's go to the discussion of someone who may or may not be reliable. A lot of people think he is, but a lot of question marks surrounding this one. That's Greg Raymer. Greg Raymer by and large, has a good reputation. And I'm not saying by and large to slam his weight, by the way. (laughs) I'm really not. I I really just said that, and then I realized I shouldn't use the word large with Greg Raymer. But okay, Greg Raymer, the 2004 main event champion who cashed for $5 million, and I I don't think he had any backers. Maybe he did, but uh, I don't think he did. $5 million, of course, he doesn't keep it all. The taxman takes a good deal. Cashed... Fairly big again in the next year, finishing 20th. Had a very lucrative sponsorship with PokerStars for many years. I know Moneymaker was getting a million a year. I don't know if uh, Raymer was getting that, but he was getting a lot. He was fired by PokerStars in 2011, mainly because he just wasn't relevant enough anymore, and PokerStars was out of the U.S. market at that point. And that's when things started to go downhill. See, Raymer... If PokerStars was paying his buy-in to high-profile tournaments, for example, uh, I think it was in 2009, he entered a 40K buy-in World Series event and finished uh, at the final table, like pretty high up, like second or third, and got $774,000. Very nice cash. Better, In fact, that's a better cash than I've ever had. But it's very easy to play those events if PokerStars is putting you in. But putting up your own 40K in an event is very tough. So, Raymer was flying high when, when uh, PokerStars was footing the bill for these tournaments. But once he got fired in late 2011, now it was up to him to either put himself in events or find backers to put him in events. So, in 2012, he had a pretty good year. He cashed uh, almost $400,000 in a like four- or five-month period in the second half of the year of 2012. So that's pretty good. I mean, he was still entering a lot of big tournaments, but I, I'm pretty sure he finished in the black on that one in 2012, the first full year that he was operating on his own. But then came 2013, and in 2013, he had a very poor year. I don't know how many tournaments he entered, but I presumably he still entered a lot, and he had uh, 
a pretty small total for caches. In fact, let me get the exact figure up here. It's, it was something where he definitely had a pretty big losing year. Because keep in mind, he'd been off 2012 where he's entering big tournaments and doing well all those years before, and PokerStars is putting him in, so he's just thinking, hey, I can just keep entering these and keep winning, and it's all cool. But uh, that's not what happened. So let me tell you what his cash was in uh, 2013. Should have had this up, but of course I produced the show during the show. Uh, let's go to stats. Greg Raymer cashed a whopping 31864 in 2013. Ugly. Ugly. So I guarantee he spent a lot of money on buy-ins that year. 31k in cash is, is terrible when you've spent far, far more than that in buy-ins, so he probably lost a good deal of money in 13, and he was probably putting himself in or had backers, but whatever it was, 2014 came, and things needed to change. He needed to be backed. So that was the first I had heard of Raymer being staked. And a lot of people were kind of shocked by this because you thought of Raymer as a responsible guy. Now, he did end up in a prostitution sting. I think it was in 2012. Either 12 or 13, he ended up in a prostitution sting, as I mentioned earlier in the show. So he wasn't living the complete responsible lifestyle. He was cheating on his wife with prostitutes. But you can you can maybe separate that and say, okay, sometimes a guy can be responsible with everything except sexual matters where they can't control themselves. I mean, look, even Bill Clinton, look at uh, – even he couldn't keep it in his pants and he was the president. So, Okay, but first of all, you don't know he was cheating on his wife. Because you don't know what their relationship is like. Second of all, isn't it more responsible to be getting staked? Well, uh, well, at that point, yes. But I'm talking about what got him there. How did he go from all the money he made over the years with Poker Stars basically putting him in most of the tournaments he was playing? So he's probably keeping most or all the money. And how does he go from that? To needing stakes at that point? Because I, I don't. You know, I had better years in the past. Uh, than I have now. And uh, you're not seeing me out there saying, hey, stake me, because I, I'm super responsible with money. But obviously he must not have been in some way to get himself in this position by 2014. I'm not sure I agree, because you're not in the position he is to get very favorable staking deals. I mean, honestly, if I won the World Series main event, I'd never play with my own money again. I could get great staking deals that are probably you know, not even good deals for my backers, but just on name recognition alone, and I'd never touch that money. Well, That, to me, is actually more responsible. You could, but there's been other stories about him uh, trying to get low-stakes games going and uh, cash games and uh, playing satellites for uh, fairly low buy-in tournaments that nobody would waste their time with if they had the money to enter, things like that. Where A lot of signs that he's broke. So, All right. so I, I've got to say that... Uh, and these are first-hand accounts from Poker Fraud Alert members that aren't likely to have made it up. So... I think it's pretty safe to say that he's broke. And also something I said before, he, his excuse, both in 2014 and 2016, is that he's doing this for marriage EV, meaning that uh, he's a winner every year, but that which isn't true, as you can see by his results, but he's a winner every year, but that his wife gets nervous when he's playing for fairly big money, and every time he loses, she gets upset. So rather than worry his wife that uh, this way the backers are smoothing out the variance for him, 
and it'll make his wife happier, and then this makes everything at home better, and his life is better. So that's that's what he was saying in his explanation, but it's not like he just married this woman. He's been with her for a very long time. She's seen him play poker all these years. If you are married to someone who is consistently putting up wins year after year after year without a single losing year, you stop worrying about them going through temporary slumps because you're, you're convinced that when it's all said and done, when the year's over, they're going to win. And uh, so obviously that's not what's happening here. The, the whole thing doesn't make a lot of sense. He, he could uh, now he wouldn't come out and say what Daredevil's saying. He wouldn't say, "Well, now that I've won the main event, uh, you guys can put me in because I have name recognition. You guys don't." But his his explanation is even a little bit weird about his wife. He could just say he could just say something as simple of uh, of tournaments can be uh, a lot of volatility, a lot of variance. Uh, he's choosing to. Uh, live a conservative lifestyle and uh, even though he's going to end up sharing a lot of his success with, with the people who are backing him, uh, this gives him the peace of mind that he is not risking his bankroll on continuing to play tournaments. And that would make everyone just as happy than this, of this wife's story. I, that wife's story immediately jumped out at me as a little bit weird and not true. Yeah, and, uh, yeah that was odd. And then, and then the this reports we're hearing about him trying to get low stakes games going and entering small satellites. Uh, I'm thinking, okay, he's broke or close enough to broke where it's possible his wife did put her foot down and said like okay between the prostitute and now you're chunking off all the money in some way like this is it like we we have some money left but you're not touching this anymore like it could be something right. like that where yeah where that, that does make more sense where she says well now i'm afraid of you risking the money because it's in proportion to you know what it's down to at the moment yeah. the proportion is too high yeah you know? so this this was our Okay, before we continue, this is another weird phone number. <laughs> I'm so curious. I got to answer this. It's another weird eight-digit phone number with a country code, different country code. Call you're on the air. Go ahead. Funny country code. Go ahead. Put on your best fake accent. Go ahead. Hi, hello. Is your poker for that radio? No, that was me. Never mind. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what the point is here. He's not talking. I, I, I thought I heard some I background noise, but okay. I'm not. Yeah, I heard that too. That's, I give up. I'm, I, if it wasn't for the background noise, I'd say maybe you're having problems. But now, now I think you're just calling me with funny caller IDs and getting me all excited about some tiny country calling me, and it's not really happening. So forget it. Well, it's obviously not since it's a different country. Yeah, unless, <laughs> so unless, it's just unless, made up. unless he tries. So stop taking the call. Uh, I, I was hoping maybe like someone from Greenland is calling me or something from from the ice. Okay, so uh, we made these comments back in 2014, or at least I made these comments in 2014 when this Raymer staking thing first came out. This is not new stuff, as far as that's concerned. And I came with the same conclusions then. In fact, I mentioned them on this show. But now we have 2016 and. It's changed a little bit, and I've also analyzed it a bit more and have found some things I don't like. So he's at it again. Here is what he wrote on Ustake.com, which is a site which is fairly new. I think it started last year, and it manages staking to where uh, they hold the money, they buy you in, and then they pay out the, the backers, so this way the... Chino Ream types can't be staked and run off with the money. This way, 
you know they're going to enter the tournament. This way you know you're going to get paid. Of course, this isn't free. It costs you 5%, which is kind of steep. But I guess for the peace of mind on that, it maybe it's worth it. Now, they don't protect you against other shady things that can happen with these type of stakes, like uh, chip dumping or whatever. But at least as far as the payment, it's guaranteed. As far as the person playing the event, it's guaranteed. So you stake, which... I'm not endorsing them or anything. I don't know all that much about them other than that. But this is on Ustake.com, which it wasn't before. When Greg Raymer did this before in 2014 and presumably 2015, though I don't remember seeing that, uh, he was just doing it on his own. 2016 here, he's doing it on Ustake. So it says, strangely enough, the heading here for his explanation on Ustake is Notes from Greg. <laughs> It's kind of a weird title. Like, why not make it, uh, uh, would you like to invest in me this year? Or Greg Raymer's uh, staking package. No, it's notes from Greg. So here's the notes from Greg. Let me start by saying thank you for looking at my listing and considering backing me. I'm accepting investments into a bankroll for all of my poker play in 2016. Remember that, all of my poker play in 2016. It has been 11.5 years since I won the main event and 23 years since I started playing poker. I still love the game, and I'm looking forward to a great 2016 and would like you to be part of it with me. Since 2011, I have traveled almost entirely within the U.S., with my schedule being dictated largely where I book my Fossil Man poker training seminars. In the last few years, I have completed about 75 to 100 MTTs per year, as well as a dozen or so super satellites, two to three dozen one-table satellites, and two to three dozen cash game sessions per year. My schedule for 2016 may be somewhat similar to this model, or it may be quite different. <laughs> With my daughter off to college now, I'm taking a few poke. I'm, take- I'm talking to a few poker rooms around the country about relocating to live nearby and being their full-time ambassador. If this happens, I will likely travel a bit less, and my poker schedule will consist of somewhat fewer MTTs of the uh, of the World Series of Poker, uh, Heartland Poker Tour. MSPT variety, more of the local daily tournaments wherever I end up, and a lot more cash game sessions. Hmm. I would still expect to spend all of the summer at the WSOP in Las Vegas and compete in 20 to 25 bracelet events. While this is not anywhere near enough volume to guarantee a result consistent with long-term expectation, it is going to result in much less variance than the typical one event or small package deal. So he's already setting this up here that he's not giving you a schedule. He's kind of revolving this around who will hire him to do poker seminars that he may move somewhere and play primarily in that area and that if he does that he'll probably play more cash than he does tournaments which we're talking about live cash where you cannot monitor the results he doesn't say that but that's the truth and uh, and then either way he's going to play 20 to 25 bracelet events at the world series so he, he goes on with this heading why am i selling a piece of my action since I no longer receive a guaranteed source of income referring to poker stars my wife has become more nervous about poker Although I have a 23-year track record of winning results in both tournaments and cash games, she is not a poker player and is worried that I will start losing. Yeah, she's only been with him for uh, two decades or more, and he's been playing for 23 years. Somehow she's just realizing now that there's some volatility to it. He didn't have the deal with poker stars till 2004, so what'd she do before then? So to make her happy, I have chosen to sell off a big piece of my bankroll so that my downside risk is a lot more limited and my upside potential, but try explaining that to her, LOL. Even though this move is costing me EV, it is worth it because it provides marriage EV. Happy wife, happy life. 
Yeah, I'm sure that was his motto when he went and uh, got the hooker. Prior to the 2004 main event, I had done something similar. I sold pieces of my action to a group of about 18 individuals who brought about 1 to 10 shares each while I brought a much, bought a much larger portion. This is prior to the 2004 main event. I wonder if... He's not really saying the 2004 main event itself, though. Oh, we did this for a series of four consecutive six-month periods ending in the spring of 2004. How unlucky is that for those guys? <laughs> yeah, ouch. They're backing him for two years, and he's probably bricking all over the place. He's like, screw this guy, he sucks. And then he wins the main event. Oh, that's got to hurt. For the first three periods, the share price went up about 20% total. In the fourth period, the share price went up about 6,000%. I don't even know what that means. I, I don't know either. Like, what does he mean went up 6,000%? So he's marking it up 6,000% and thinks that's a good... What does that mean? I don't know. Or he's saying he's paying back 6,000%? Yeah, maybe that's that what it is. I, I don't that's know. that's impossible. Yeah, it's so weird. Since then, I've played entirely on my own bankroll until these last two years when I again sold pieces to please Cheryl. So it did start 2014. That's it. And I thought that's so because he barely cashed in 2013. He was entering a bunch of expensive events on his own dime, cashed 31K, which is nothing. And uh, so then Cheryl probably put her foot down and said, yeah, this is not going to go on anymore. You've got to find it. Or he's like so close to bust that we can't afford it. I guess. Although, you know, him saying it again does make me think maybe it's more true. Well, it could be like half true. It could be no, like no. The, that he's close to Busto, but the, yes, it's to please Cheryl, but it's, it's to please Cheryl because they're down to low funds, and then if he continued playing, she's going to be furious. Right. I mean, I, so, somebody, Bobby Orr, actually just mentioned in the chat that I guess his wife was, he said that about his wife even after he won the main event, hmm. that she was worried about him playing poker. So hmm. I guess it's it, Yeah, it could be partially true. A lot of times these stories are built upon the truth in some way, even if they're not completely true. The details. This deal is set up so that if the bankroll loses money for the period, all investors lose equally. I am one of the investors, and I'm putting up $20,000 as part of this bankroll. If there is a loss at the end of the year, all investors will lose proportionately, including me. So on the losing side, I'm at exactly the same risk as the other investors, which which is stupid because... uh, uh, you're always – if you've got a piece of yourself in any way, you're always at the same risk as the other investors. It's, right, yeah. You're always tied to it in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're ahead at the end of the year, then as a player, I receive 40% of the net win, and the remaining of the 60% will be divided proportionately among the amount invested. This is when it starts to get weird because he's basically saying that this is a 40-60 stake where uh, – or 60-40 for the staker. The, the, the stakers get 60% back of whatever the profit is, and he is the player – it's 40%. Now, that's fairly common for staking deals, but where this is not common anymore is that he is one of the investors as well, and you don't have a tournament schedule. He's providing his own money to play with in a way. that He's the one controlling the money, whereas in a regular backing deal, like let's say you have a backer, okay? The way it works is the backer doesn't just hand you 100 k and say, okay, well, go pick the tournaments you want to play, and, uh, and and let me know which ones you play. It doesn't work that way. The backer, You tell the backer, I want to play this. The backer says, okay. And then the backer gives you the money to play specifically that tournament. Now, sometimes they'll give you more if you have a series of tournaments coming up, like the World Series, so he doesn't have to do 18 individual transfers. But uh, the backer doesn't just hand you this giant heap of money and say, okay, start playing. Uh, the backer is, is, is doling out the money to you. So, right. so basically- in, in fact, the few times I've been staked, it's been the exact opposite. 
the backer has said, look, I think this is a good tournament for you for whatever reason, so I'm willing to back you. Mm -hmm. So, and that, you know, makes more sense than, you know, in general, you don't want the player just picking whatever they feel like and having it so ambiguous, but. Yeah, so so here's some problems we have already, and then I'll go on here. This we've already got big problems with this. If you haven't caught it already, the twenty thousand dollars he's putting up himself, and by the way, later in this he claims that thirty percent also came from outside investors. So fifty percent is supposedly already sold, but he's not twenty percent supposedly from him, thirty percent from these unknown parties. So he's only selling fifty percent of himself on here. So if he finishes. With a profit at the end of the year. And this is a year-long stake. It goes through the entire year of 2016. If at December 31st, 2016, if he's up money on this stake, then you as an investor will get whatever your share is of 60% of the profits. 40% of the profits goes right to him off the top. You get whatever your share is of 60%. However, how is your share calculated? Well, it's calculated uh, compared to the percentage you supposedly own of him. But... He claims that 20% of him is owned by himself and 30% of him is owned by these outside investors. So this means that 50% of that remaining 60%, meaning 30%, is going to him and these outside investors before it goes to these people buying on Ustake. Now that's fine if this is really happening. If he really did put down 20K, if the other investors really did put down 30K, and if he's going to play a tournament schedule which requires this money to be spent. But here is a huge loophole that could uh, be very damaging here, one of a few I found. He's not giving a concrete tournament schedule. He's not promising to play a certain amount of events, amount meaning the amount of money total of buy-ins. So let's say, I'm saying for argument's sake, I'm not saying this is what's happening, but let's say for argument's sake that he's not really putting in 20K. And let's say for argument's sake that these backers, these outside backers providing 30K do not exist. Then in reality, he is not starting with 50K here. He's starting with zero. And if the other 50K that he wants from Ustake people, if he collects that and just makes sure to never be more than 50K down and make sure to enter events accordingly so he's never more than 50K down. You know how tournaments work. You'll win some, you'll lose some, you win some, you lose some. And uh, if, if you're cashing more than you've bought in, you're ahead. If you're cashing less than you've bought in, you're behind. Well, as long as he keeps himself from being down more than 50K, there is no proof in any way that this original 50K that he claims is there ever existed. And he, he's the one controlling the schedule, so if he starts out poorly and starts to get way down, if he's getting close to being 50K down, he can just slow down and, and make excuses of why he can't play. Oh, I, I, I can't get many seminars recently. Uh... Yeah, I, I don't feel well. There's other issues going on. I, I can't travel. I didn't think this is good value. This tournament, blah blah blah. Uh, so he could keep it under 50k loss, and no one will ever know that other 50k behind didn't exist, which ex- essentially makes it a free roll for him. And if that 50k supposedly invested never existed, then you're getting paid half as much as you should, because you're actually putting out all the risk, uh, and and uh, not half the risk like you thought you were. So you're you're getting paid half as much as you should. Your your one percent of him is really two percent of him, and you don't realize it. And and yet, if it loses, then you take the entire loss. 
So I'm not saying this is happening, but it, the whole thing is very weird because that, that's one big flaw with what he's doing here where he's just collecting money up front and then just deciding what to play. It's very, very non-standard. That's not the way stakes work. And you don't in- – mm. Well, here's – and I mean you can go on with the other holes in it, but here, here's the problem with, with any of those arguments that you're making, Todd. This involves cash gameplay as well. So you trust them or you don't. Well, there's the, the, no way to verify it. There never has been. People have been and are staked in cash games all the time, and there's no way to verify it. So, well, that's the second. That's the second problem. Don't. That's the second problem is the cash games. And so, since you brought that up, he's saying that he may play cash games, and these are live cash games, not online cash games where you can watch and see how he's doing and see if the results he reports match what you've observed or even have data mined. Live cash games, there's no way to tell. I once got. A piece of me bought in a live cash game, and uh, it was actually bought by, of all people, John Robert Balland, who saw me playing 8160 the Bellagio. And yeah, he knows me, so we're not close friends, but he knows me and he knows I'm a good limit hold'em player. So he saw me playing 8160 the Bellagio, went up to me and he said, Yeah, I feel like gambling today. Uh, how about you sell me a piece of yourself? And I was like, No, you know, I, I really, uh, you know, live poker is as slow as it is. Uh, uh, 8160 is a limit I like to play. I don't, I don't want to dilute what I'm playing here down to lower stakes by you buying a piece. I really, you know, I'm, I'm happy just playing for myself. Uh, and also I don't like feeling the pressure of other people, uh, having a piece of me. So he says, Oh, come on, come on. And so he offered me some really good deal with a really good markup because I was saying no. And I wasn't doing this as a negotiating tactic. I really just didn't want to, but he, he, he gave me a really good deal. I don't remember what it was to where I, I said yes. So, he said, okay, and then within about 15 or 20 minutes, he was done with the game. He was playing and just walked off. So <laughs> he gave me like $2,000 or something. Uh, you know, of course, I collected from him up front because I, I know it's Jean Robert Balland. I'm not going to have him owe me money. But uh, I collected the money from him up front, and uh, I forgot the exact terms, but it was very favorable towards me. And then I did very well in the game, so I owed him money. Uh, I could have totally stiffed him. I couldn't have claimed not to have won because there are other people at the table and they would have yeah, you know, they could have reported back to him that I won. I couldn't claim I lost or broke even. But no one was counting how much I was winning. No one really heard our full conversation. No one counted my money when I started. In fact, the people in the game changed over time. It was a long session. So I could have reported so many things. I could have underreported big time. I was honest about it, but I, I could have not been. In fact, I, I had a hard time even tracking him down to pay him, strangely enough. I... Uh, when I tried to call him, it was hard to reach him. And then when I reached him, he couldn't meet me. And so <laughs> I finally said, look, I, you know, I'm, I want to leave town soon. Uh, I, uh, you've got to find a way for me to pay you. So he had me handed to someone he owed money to, <laughs> which I did. But uh, I, I thought it was amazing that someone would just hand me $2,000 and then just walk away and assume I'm going to really report it accurately and pay them. I'm like, wow, okay. So... <laughs> Uh, that was very trusting of him. So I always thought cash game stakes are always a very big mistake live unless you trust the person with your life, unless it's someone like a really, really, really close friend or a family member, someone you know really, really has your own interests at heart and would feel absolutely awful if they stiffed you. Even a moderately good friend, if they're hurting for money, could easily stiff you. They could rationalize. They could say, well, they're still making money here. You know, I'll cut what I want in half. They're still, they're still profiting. I need the money much more than he does. Uh, you know, I'll make it up later if I, if I do well. 
uh, he'll never know. You know, I'll just find another way to get the money to him, like on another stake. I'll over-report next time. People can rationalize when they're struggling. Someone posted on the forum that no matter how trustworthy someone seems, a broke gambler is a very dangerous animal. And I thought that was a great quote because uh, when someone is a gambler and doesn't have a bankroll and needs one or, or sometimes even needs money to support themselves and their family, uh, they can become a very different person and do things that they would never do otherwise. So it's very, very tempting to screw someone on a cash stake, especially if you don't have much money. If the, if the person, like, one thing I'll say for John Robert is that he probably knew that I wasn't hurting for money, so he probably knew the chance that I would stiff him was much less than a, a broke degenerate. But still, he was taking a chance and just walking off and there was no one monitoring it. I, with Raymer, I mean, we're seeing many indications that he's broke or close to it. And he's claiming that a lot of what you're staking him here, you just have to trust that he tells you, I won this or I lost this and you have to believe him. So that's another huge hole with this. That's not a, I mean, it's obvious to people who read this, but that's that's another big problem. And you can say, well, you, you have to trust someone. I heard the argument of either you trust the person or you don't. If you don't trust the person you're staking, there's other ways they can screw you. They can uh, they can chip dump to their friend. Uh, they, they can uh, unregister from the tournament and get the money back and never play and, and maybe get away with that. There's, there's some things they can do. They, they can play a super reckless style where they're going for first place or nothing and not really play a game that's... Uh, Positive EV for you as a staker. There's many things they could do that can screw you as a backer. So there can be the argument if you don't trust the person you're backing, uh, then you don't trust them. And if you do trust them, you do trust them, and it's it's just down to that. But I think here it's just too easy and too tempting. There, there's too many very easy and undetectable ways that Raymer can game this. And that is something that bothers me here, and especially because there are ways around this. He doesn't have to do it this way, and I'll explain some ideas on how he could just modify this to where these problems won't exist. But before that, we'll take a caller. Caller, you're on the air. Hey, it's Brett from Sacramento. Brett from Sacramento. Hi, what's going on? Hey, I actually, you know, I'm, I'm not big in the poker world, but I actually met him in person in Las Vegas 2005, the year after he won the... Uh, World Series of Poker, and he was kind of being real rude to us at McDonald's, and uh, I think he's a big wheel, a big executive, and so I don't feel too sorry for him now that he's hurting. You know, I, I shook his hand. But my question for you is, aren't these guys investing their money like in real estate or better investments outside the poker world so they don't get into this position where they're near broke or... Don't they take better shoring of their lives to protect their investments? No, they very rarely do. Poker players are ter- actually terrible with money. Of course. You think gamblers want long-term investments? <laughs> gamblers are really bad with their money typically. But, uh, Brett, you said you saw him at a McDonald's and he was rude to you. Is that true? Is that what I was understanding? Yeah, true. We're standing in line at a McDonald's and he walked right behind me. And he's, like, talking into his wrist. Like, he's like he has some new cellular technology he's talking to someone, I'm like, what are you talking to his wrist? I had the mic in his wrist. I'm like, hey, man, didn't you win the World Series of Poker last year? He goes, yeah. But, like, like he was too good to talk to us. So I go, well, nice to meet you. Are, are, aren't you the guy with the lizards or something? He says, yeah, that's me. And so it's kind of weird to have him walk up right behind you, and uh, I actually recognized him, but he wasn't interested in talking to us. He goes, yeah, we're, I'm in the tournament right now. We're on lunch break. 
Okay, so wait. That's my only uh, <laughs> real long story. I actually got to meet him. That was before I knew you, Todd, but he actually walked right behind me and I got to talk to him, but because he was so rude, I don't feel so bad about his misfortune now. Yeah, well. Well, I, I got to ask the hard hitting questions because that's what Todd pays me for. Uh, what did he order? After we ordered for him, we walked away. I don't oh, care what he, he got. Uh, I was curious of that too. Like, like, like did, did he order five hamburgers or something? Like, was, it'd be funny right. if he did. It'd be funny, like you, you see Raymer at McDonald's and he just has an obscene, obscenely large meal. Like, like uh, David Benjamin is known for that. Just, just bringing a ton of McDonald's food to every tournament he plays. Yeah, but honest part of the story was I don't know what I don't remember the study or technology today, but he was like talking to his wrist. Like he's talking like he's brokering a big deal. And he's talking to his wrist after his microphone was out. I'm like, can't you use a regular cell phone? Are you, is that the way it is? Once you win the World Series of Poker, you're that high flying that you, you can't use a regular phone like someone else. Well, maybe, story, maybe he was but, using a, a 10 year advanced version of the Apple Watch. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he got a Bluetooth put into his bracelet. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe that's it. Total true story, and that's all I got. But okay, my thank question you. was, yeah, thank you. Thanks, Brett. Yeah, so Brett, uh, wondering why they're not putting their money in investments. Uh, poker players are just awful with money. That's the short answer. So uh, here's some things he could have done to change the stake. And believe me, he's getting a good deal of criticism on 2 plus 2. It's, it's kind of split between people criticizing this in various ways and ones defending him. But he's getting a good deal of criticism, especially about the cash game angle, because the cash game part is obvious. The, the second factor about the, the existing backers and his own money, whether it's really there or not, that's a bit of uh, – that requires a bit more analysis of it. But the cash game thing jumps out at anyone. Like how can you take a stake and play cash games and we have no way to verify your results? So he could easily change this. Supposedly – he has 20k of his own money and 30k from backers. That's 50k right there, half what he's asking for. He, he wants 100k. Why can't he separate out the cash game portion to where he uses his existing backers' money and his money to back the cash games and then also runs a separate stake for the cash game? So if you really want to be foolhardy enough to invest in the cash games, then go ahead. Go ahead. You know what you're getting into. And then separate, separate out the tournaments and then also publish a tournament schedule. And if he doesn't have an exact schedule because it has to do with where he can do a seminar and where he can get comp rooms or whatever the factors are, then publish a list of potential tournaments with a promise that he'll play a certain minimum amount, a monetary amount of tournaments. So like he'll publish a big list and say, of this list, I promise I will enter at least 200K worth of events from this list. So it could be a list of like a million dollars worth of tournaments, but he promises of those, I'll play at least 200K worth. So this way, at least you know that he's has a reason to accumulate a 100K bankroll. Uh, I gave an example in Poker Fraud Alert to show how I could stiff everybody big time with something similar if I was a jerk. Let's say I was uh, fairly close to broke, but posturing that I wasn't. And the truth is I could be. You guys wouldn't know. I, I wouldn't come out here and report I've lost all my money. So let's say I'm broke like Team MLG claims I am. And uh, and let's say I said, hey, guys, I have a great idea. I'm going to start playing 
high stakes tournaments. I'm going to go on the tournament trail and high, play high stakes tournaments, but you know this really adds up quickly. You play 10 here, 15k here, uh, 25k here, 5k here. Yeah, boy, it really adds up fast. So I need about 500k to enter this these tournaments that I want to play for 2016. So then I tell you guys that uh, here's how we'll do it. And remember, I'm really broke and nobody knows. So I say, this is how I'll do it. I'm going to buy 200K of myself. I'm going to buy 40% of myself right there. Not only that, but I've convinced my dad to invest another 200K in me for another 40%. But I still don't feel comfortable. I need 100K more and I just can't get it. So I'm selling the remaining 20% to you guys on Poker Fraud Alert. And what we'll do here is uh, I will give you 60% of all profits, just like Raymer's doing. I could propose that. It would sound fair, provided you know you think that mark that markup's fair, which uh, probably isn't, but yeah, provided that you think it is, sounds okay. So then you guys do it. You guys collectively buy up 100k from me. Send me 100k between all of you for that final 20% of the 500k bankroll that I claim to have. But in reality, I don't really have a 500k bankroll because I'm broke and my dad didn't give me a penny. So in reality, my bankroll is 100k, which came from you guys. You have no way to know that. So what I can do is start playing tournaments. And if I hit some scores right off the bat, well, great. Then I'm playing with profit and you'll never know better. But if I start off poorly and start losing, then I got to watch out that I don't slip below that 100K, which I have because then I'll have no more money to play. And it'll be clear that I tricked you guys about the original 400K that was in there and that you really didn't have 20%. You really had 100% and didn't know it. So if I start losing, then I can start adjusting my schedule and claim travel problems, claim that I don't like the tournaments that are remaining, claim I'm not feeling well, blah, blah, blah. So let's say I finish the year losing 98K, very careful not to run over 100. Well, then I return the remaining 2K to you guys, and you've lost uh, 98% of what you bought in, and I've lost zero. Even though it appears I lost a lot, and a lot of my dad's money, I really lost nothing because I never risked it. But if I somehow did well and won, let's say I won 500K and was never down more than 100, so the money I didn't have didn't come into play. So let's say I win 500K. In this case, you guys would only be entitled to 60K of that. Only 60K of the 500K. Because I'm taking 40% off the top, like Raymer is. And then you only bought 20%, so you're only getting 20% of the remaining 60, which is only 60K. And I'm keeping the other 440 for myself. So I've kept 440k uh, with our perfectly keeping with our agreement. As far as you're concerned, you're thrilled. You won 60k and uh, um, you bought the final 20% of me. But in reality, you bought 100% of me and didn't know it. In reality, you took all the risk. I took no risk, and you ended up being entitled to just 12% of my winnings. Now, Raymer could exactly be doing this on a smaller scale. He could totally be doing this. I'm not saying he is. I'm not implying he is. He may not be. This could be just conspiracy theory. But the problem is it's possible. And this is non-standard. That's the problem with just claiming a role already exists and you're just adding to it. That's the problem there. Is that You usually don't do stakes based on bankrolls. You do stakes based upon a list of events or single events uh, that, that are done one after the other after the other where you know that the piece you're buying is a direct piece of events actually played. And that's, that's how stakes work. This, this is just weird. 
where you don't know how much he's going to play, the monetary value of what he's going to play. You don't know if he'll ever get more than 50K down if that first 50K ever existed. Now, someone brought up a good point in his defense. Believe it or not, it was Jay Searles who brought it up. Jay Searles said, wait a minute, I thought Ustake is holding this money. So isn't Ustake directly buying people in? So wouldn't that mean that Raymer has already sent that first 50K to Ustake? How could he fake that? Because Ustake has it down that they've received 50K. Well, there's one more piece of this puzzle. Greg Raymer owns a small piece of Ustake, which I believe they probably gave him because he's a poker celebrity. He has an affiliate page there. He's admitted that he owns a small piece of it, so it's not theory, this part. It's also listed on the page that they did not charge him for that first 50K. He should have owed 2500 for them to hold it, but it says right on the page that they gave him a, quote, discount of 2500 So basically they, they charge him no fee to seed it with 50K. So since he has a good relationship with them, since he's an important person to them, because they have pe- others on there like Jamie Gold, they're definitely trying to get big names running these staking packages to attract people to the site and then to want to use it themselves. Which isn't a bad business model, by the way. So it's very possible that Ustake is either putting up the 50K or is uh, putting it there on credit, basically saying to him, okay, give us the 50K later if we need it. Uh, we'll, we'll send out the money to these poker rooms where you're entering the tournaments from the money we collect from others, and if we need to dip into your 50K, you'll have to send it to us before we put you in anything further. Could be something like that. Could be uh, that they even have an agreement that they'll put it up, but only after he's lost the first 50K. It could be one of many things. But he has an existing relationship with the site. It's not like, it's not like me signing up to U-Stake where I have no relationship with them. And claim to be <coughs> <coughs> sorry about that. <coughs> oh, <God. coughs> I know what happened. I'm talking too much. Well, <coughs> yeah, and for no reason, I just started. Uh, my my throat got real dry. <clears> throat> it's not like I'm dying here, but uh, yeah, no, I'm I'm, I'm okay. I just. Uh, I just got this weird tickle in my throat all of a sudden, like like it just got really dry, and I started coughing, just like totally abruptly. But I'm okay again. I took a sip of water. But if I if I put 50k on there, I couldn't fake that. But if I put 50k on there, they also wouldn't give me all my money back from the commission. They would charge me the 2500 like they do everybody. So something weird is going on. I, I don't know what it is, but something weird is going on. And why is he using U-Stake? People are asking why are you using U-Stake because it costs five percent. Uh, that's another problem here is that if you buy in, they take 5% off the top as the U-stake fee. Now, if you're buying a piece for $100 and you have to pay 105 that makes sense. It makes sense that Raymer's not going to want to deal with receiving money for tiny pieces. I've dealt with that myself when I sell off my my pieces of the World Series. I, I got annoyed with all these like $18 pieces people were buying. Last year, I put an end to that and said you got to buy a bigger piece or buy nothing because I, I got tired of the busy work that was involved with processing this stuff. It's a pain in the ass. So... I mean, I appreciate people who wanted to invest small pieces. It was just too hard. So I understand Raymer wanting small pieces bought in that fashion. What I don't understand is he does not want to take stakes in any other way. So if you want to buy a bigger piece of him, he's not saying, hey, if you want to buy a a 5% piece of me for $5,000, 
uh, just write me a check or give me cash somewhere, or wire money to my bank account, and, and we'll skip the 5% from Ustake. He doesn't say that. You, you have to pay the 5% from Ustake. So if you want to buy uh, $5,000, you have to pay Ustake 250 bucks, which is pretty brutal. So that's just also weird. Why, why is he using Ustake? I mean, yeah, he he's affiliated with them, but he shouldn't have to use them. And it's actually harmful to his backers because of the 5%. And he's not even given an option for people. Somehow these outside backers were able to bypass it, but everybody else is not allowed to bypass it. So, right, well, that's what I was going to say. So where's the 30% coming from? Yeah, that's what's so weird. The outside backers, like, they get to bypass it and you don't. So, Also, wh- why not? If, <laughs> if you have 30% in already and you're asking for 50 but you stakes taking 5, why not just forget the 5 and just take 80? And then you have no risk for your wife or whatever. You have 80% of all the money you want and just rearrange the staking deal. Yeah, the, the the whole thing is weird. It's, it's so weird in so many it is ways. Strange, but... It's so weird. Like, there's so many ways he could do this that would silence the critics. He could start. He could take bigger pieces off U stake. He could say U stake is for people who are going to buy smaller pieces. But if you don't want to pay the fee, I understand. So, uh, if you want to buy five thousand dollars worth of me, then uh, we can do it offline. Something like that. And you could say, well, U stake guarantees they get the money. But I thought the whole point of this is that you're supposed to trust Raymer that he's a great guy. So if you're trusting him to give you accurate cash game results, uh, you should also not have to need U-Stake to guarantee that you're receiving the tournament money. Like, if he wants to screw you, he can in so many ways here. Not like U-Stake is protecting you. So uh, there's some tie-in with U-Stake here with this 50%. Either they're, uh, they're fronting it for him or fronting it if he needs it or giving him it on credit. Some, something weird like that. It's, there's something odd about the whole thing that is not as presented. And, and that whole 50K off the top is really bothering me because this one, he's not giving you a schedule. If you had a schedule of guaranteed events and you trusted he was really going to play them. Because one thing, I don't think Raymer is going to just run off with the money. I don't think he's going to run off with the money. I don't think he's going to not pay you. If, if he cashes in tournaments, he's not going to just disappear on you. I don't see that in his character. But uh, what I could see happening, potentially, is just some sort of games in the background that you could never detect. And this 50K, he could even be rationalizing. He could say, all right, I really don't have 30K of outside backers, and I really don't have 20K to put into this. But I'm going to say I do, get some investors, and you know, if, if it turns out I lose 50K, then I'll find others to loan me the 50K. So I'll really put it in at some point. I just, I'm just not going to right now. It could be something like that. Or uh, I'm not really going to put it in and you stake. Well, I'll, I'll get it from them on credit. And if I really need it, then uh, we can take this off compensation I get from them in the future. So some crap like that. But it's not really – you can't buy pieces of people in this fashion where you're buying a piece of a bankroll that may not be necessary. Because then they can totally screw you in the way I just described in my example where it sounds totally good on the surface, but in reality – uh, you're getting 12% when you're taking 100% of the risk. Well, I'll admit it's, it, it is strange. It is seemingly overly complicated and convoluted. But, again, all these things that you're saying are flaws are moot points because even if he gives you a tournament schedule and whatever, it doesn't matter because part of this is being staked for cash games. Mm-hmm. And a live cash game. I know you're an online player, Todd, and I guess a lot of the people giving you shit on 2 plus 2 are too, but I'm an LOL live player, and 
live cash game stakes, they do happen all the time. And also, if you've been in the poker world for as long as he has with no scandals, then, you know, you're good until you're not. So, you know, I don't know. I, I don't see it as as a big, such a big deal, but I understand that there's holes in it. But again, with the cash game element, there's a built-in hole with it. Yeah, it's a huge hole. And <laughs> you, you, like I said, you just you trust them or you don't. I, I think he should separate it out. I think he should separate it where a cash. If you want to do the cash game thing and uh, trust him with that, then fine. Then that's your risk. It's your right to do his right to offer yeah. it. But yeah, I to, to combine them, you could say, well, it's your right to not play to not buy a piece if you don't trust him in the cash games. But like, why not separate it out? Why not uh, why not separate out these outside backers and, and make this uh, say, okay, the outside backers are backing me for half the tournament. You guys are going to back me for the other half of the tournament. Something like that. So it's it's just. It removes a lot of the suspicion, a lot of the weirdness, a lot of the non-standard stuff. He's not. He's just he's sticking to his guns and he's making excuses for everything. The whole thing's kind of odd. And whenever there's somebody who is broke in poker and is or close to broke, and they're offering something a little bit weird and non-standard, it's very easy to be suspicious. And someone says, "Well, why are you so critical of Greg Raymer? Are you just doing it because you're jealous that he has a more successful tournament resume than you?" Is it because you're just trying to take him down a peg because he's a bigger name in poker than you? Uh, how could you say this type of stuff about such a fine citizen of the poker community? I say this. Look, I don't care who's offering it. I don't care if it's Greg Raymer. I don't care if it's Chino Ream. I don't care if it's Jesus Christ. Whoever it is, if there's a hole in the plan that is non-standard, that is weird, I'm going to say it. I don't care who's behind it, especially if the person behind it seems to be having financial trouble. So I, I hate to say it, but Greg Raymer, I'm sure his loyalty is much more to himself and his family than you. So people will do things that they're not proud of or they normally would not do in order to get back on fair financial footing. And and sometimes they'll rationalize why it's okay. That's in fact what Howard Lederer did and uh, the other guys at Full Tilt who were behind the theft of that money. They, Howard Lederer still to this day doesn't believe he stole Howard Letterer believes that uh, what they did was uh, they just temporarily borrowed and they were going to pay it all back, and then Black Friday came pow and interrupted it. That's what they think. They, they don't understand that they actually stole and then were unable to pay back because their scheme of, of stealing and paying it back to the players before the players realize it uh, was interrupted. That's really what happened. But you can't say you weren't stealing. You were. So... Here's, here's, I'll be interested to see going forward how much money he gets out of this. Yeah, so here's here's some uh, texts I've received over this and other matters. Uh, from the 303 area code, agree with your points on Raymer's stake. I dislike that other shadier players can point to it in the future and convince people into similar arrangements saying it's standard because Raymer did it. That's a bad precedent. Hmm, interesting. Uh, 505 saying, on 2 plus 2, Raymer's catching shit for his 50% markup. I don't think it's actually 50%, but it's, uh, well, it depends what you, I was thinking this too, like the, the, the 20% he claims to have of himself really means that, uh, he's getting 52% of all the cashing and, and the rest of the backers only get 48%. And that's not even counting. That's assuming the 30% is grouped in with the rest of the backers. But you can't really say that if he really put up his own 20K, then that's fine. But did he? We don't know. Uh, and no one's bringing up that point on 2 plus 2 for whatever reason. I don't know why that's being... The cash game thing's being brought up a lot, but not that. 
Uh, this is about the Canadian airline thing from the 347. Worst thing about flying Canadian airlines is hearing all the annoying announcements in two languages. <laughs> it's English and French, obviously. Yep. Uh, from the 248 area code, Stephen Avery is innocent. Who is that? Don't know. Don't know who that is. Why would you spin a seat cover? Micon back. No, Micon's not coming back here. <laughs> he may be. He may be back in the country. He's not going to be back on this show. Uh, not only don't I want him, but he does not want to come back. We we both agree on that one. Uh, Tide is broke and sucks at web design. This guy says, <laughs> referring to Marty. And then he just sends hi, the same guy. Like it's kind of backwards. Uh, this is the 510 area code, the black guy from Oakland. He says, CP time, or he referred to earlier, is colored people time, LOL. I can say it because I'm black, and I'm not from Oakland. In fact, I'm from Tracy. Okay, I'm sorry. I saw the 510. I thought that's Oakland. And uh, isn't Tracy like 209? I guess he moved from Oakland. 920 area code. Druff, I hope you got rid of the shirt you wore while spinning that seat cover from Hosiery 11. Well... It is 11 years ago now, almost 11 years ago. Uh, I still have the shirt. It, it looked worse on TV. It actually looks better in person than it did on TV. Some things just didn't... I, I also learned on TV some things look worse than they do in real life. Like, for example, my bald spot. I learned I should always wear a hat on TV because, you know, they say the camera adds 20 pounds. Well, the camera also adds, like, twice the service area of your bald spot. And there's a reason for this because they're shining a lot of light on you. For television, there's always a bright light over your head, no matter what they're filming. So when you have a white bald spot on your head, and of course it's very white if uh, because it doesn't get much sun, uh, there's a very white bald spot on your head. They're shining a bright light on it, and it, it reflects in a way that makes the bald spot look a lot bigger. So I, I looked a lot balder on TV than I really was. Uh, people don't even realize I have a bald spot a lot of times because I'm tall enough to where if I'm standing next to anyone who is anything but really, really tall, they can't see it because it's at the very top of my head. And that's true to this day, even though we're talking about 05 here. Uh, so I learned to wear a hat. I, I learned to wear certain shirts and certain colors that show up better on TV. Uh, I, I so also you're be sporting a PFA hat the next time we see you on TV. Yeah, yeah. And by the way, I'm looking at this Ustake site, Todd. You see the first page? It says "as featured on." There's a bunch of logos, and one of them is the Mark Hoke show. <laughs> so I'm <laughs> sure after tonight, that PFA is going to be front and center on there. Jeez. Mark Hoke, he, he gets everything. Hoke. He gets everything. I mean, he Mark, he has such a big budget, and I have nothing. That's, I know. Jeez, how does he do this? Okay, so he's traveling. Yeah, and I also learned, uh, you know, you don't – when you're on TV, you just act naturally. You don't try to do anything entertaining or, or funny You just uh, because there's too much pressure. It's, it's too hard to do this. It's it's a lot harder to be funny and interesting on TV than it is on uh, on this radio show or making forum posts or talking on the phone to someone. It's different, So, uh, especially if you're not used to it, as I was not. I was not used to being on TV. So, yeah, I learned these things, and, uh, and I – made a better effort on other appearances. You can see if you com- you compare my appearance in, in 2005 to my appearance uh, in 2009 with Phil Hellmuth, you can Google, uh, you can go on YouTube and type in Todd would tell us Phil Hellmuth, uh, WSOP. You'll probably find it where I was at the feature table with him and he knocked me out. Uh, you'll see a lot of differences. You'll see that uh, I seem like a much more normal and calm guy. 
Uh, nothing really stands out about me. You'll see that I look better. You'll see you won't see a bald spot. You'll see uh, that I actually appear to be thinner, even though I actually had gained weight since uh, since uh, from 2005 to 2009. And I gained like 10 pounds, but I actually look thinner. So, how does that work? Uh, just just based upon uh, the clothes I wore and uh, things like that. So I, I was just more aware. I was like, okay, I I can control these things better. Now I've, I've learned from last time when I saw the broadcast and didn't like certain things about it, and I'm not going to make the same mistake. So I, and then I saw the 2009 broadcast, and even though it showed me losing, which isn't nice, uh, at least I thought I looked and came off a whole lot better. So I, at least I was proud of that. Uh, this is weird. There's a Twitter account named at 2plus2forum. I don't know if it's really the 2plus2forum or who runs it. Have you heard of that account before? No, but I don't pay attention to 2plus2, so that, yeah, don't take that as Okay, I'm going to take a look at this. It, it tweeted something to me. Now i got to see it. At, it tweeted to me some link. <laughs> it tweeted to me, but I'm blocked. <laughs> I'm blocked from two. I guess it must be real then. <laughs> That's true. Okay, now now I've got to see what they tweeted. Now I've got to like log out and what a pain in the ass. All right, or I'll, I'll go on a browser that is not logged in. Now I've got to Was see what's recent. Yeah, they just did it. Yeah. Okay. It, it, it makes me think it's got to be something negative if they're trying to uh, get me to uh, see this. Uh, this is really weird. It's the 2 Plus 2 magazine for January 2016. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> I know what this is about. All right, listen to this. I'm kind of done talking about Raymer anyway, so we'll, uh, we'll move to this, this unexpected topic. So this, this was just tweeted to me by the 2 Plus 2 Forum Twitter account, which I have a feeling is run by that professional poker guy, the pro po- at Pro Poker. Okay. What's his real name? I'm forgetting his real name. Mike something. Let me see. And is this from at 2 Plus 2 Forum? Yeah, it's from at 2 Plus 2 Forum. Okay. But I think I, – I'm guessing that it's run by this guy, Pro Poker, Michael Minkoff. That's his name. I'm just guessing. He's like a big Mason ass kisser and – uh, and he really is, and he's like a blue mod on there, which is like the highest type of mod under Mason. So uh, he used to post on Poker Fraud Alert, strangely enough, during the first during the brief time when I was unbanned there on Two Plus Two, and we used to talk occasionally on Skype, like we were cool with each other. And then then I got banned from Two Plus Two, and then he started kind of getting obnoxious on PFA, and he was defending Mason at every turn, and then people kind of ran him off the site by bashing him, which he deserved. But I, I have a feeling he's running at 2 plus 2 forum. That's just my guess. But maybe it's run by Mason. I don't know. But someone so, someone who runs that at 2 plus 2 forum on Twitter just during the show just tweeted to me the 2 plus 2 poker magazine, which they put out online every month. So this is the January 2016 issue. I'm like, why is that Twitter account, which has me blocked, tweeting at me to go read their stupid magazine? So uh, I went to go take a look. And at first it starts – it's going off about a bunch of crap that's not interesting about uh, – uh, it turns out that uh, my wife Charmaine and I have played tennis and met a lot of tennis people over the years since we were kids. Well, like who cares? This is like from Mason. So 
It turns out this is about the Mason Malmuth uh, charity thing. Mason Malmuth, uh, I have to give the background to this now. We had an unfortunate event that occurred on Poker Fraud Alert, the most you know about, three years ago. And that is uh, JSIP, a.k.a. John Sepulveda, or Juan Sepulveda, who was an active member of our site, ran a charity tournament, a charity podcast for what was known as the 22Q Foundation, which is a charity uh, for kids with the 22Q deletion syndrome, which is a pretty bad thing to have. Uh, long story short, uh, JSIP turned out to be a scammer and not only stole some of the money for the charity, but also uh, ran, was running a stake on our site and wasn't actually playing poker and was just stealing the money. Big shock to everybody because he was a, a long-standing member of the community and well-liked and trusted and uh, pretty shocking. And in fact, it, it changed my policy as far as allowing that type of stuff on Poker Fraud Alert uh, without me knowing more about what people are offering and me approving it before these things are offered. So uh, the way Mason Malmuth got involved in the whole thing was that Daniel Negranu was part of this whole effort. Uh, Daniel Negranu appeared on the charity podcast. He was promoting it. And Daniel was just trying to do something nice. He wasn't getting anything out of it. He was just—he just thought it was a good cause. So he tried to post about it on Two Plus Two, and Mason would not let him. And Mason deleted the post and said, "You cannot promote this on here." And uh, and he said, "We do not allow charities to advertise on Two Plus Two because they could be scams. So we have a policy of no charities." So uh, Negra- he and Negranu went back and forth on this back and forth, and then uh, Negranu made like an angry blog about this, really strongly criticizing Mason for being a jerk and being the only one in poker who wasn't helping promote this worthy cause, this charity podcast. Well, and keep in mind, this was not, this podcast, it was from the PFA server, but it was not a Poker Fraud Alert event. It, it involved a lot of people on Poker Fraud Alert, but it was, it was for a different website that Jason was running. Uh, so what ended up happening once it came out that Jason uh, scammed and stole some of the money from the charity that was supposed to go to the... He didn't steal it from the charity. He stole money that was supposed to go to the charity and stole also uh, money from that stake. Uh, Mason was gloating big time. Mason was so thrilled that he didn't allow this to be promoted on 2 Plus 2, and it turned out that the organizer was a scammer. So to, what I believe, rub into Mason's face, or no, rub into Daniel's face, Mason, who had been accused of being a cold-hearted jerk for not allowing this charity to be promoted on 2 Plus 2, donated to the charity the amount that Jacob had stolen, which is around 2500 Jacob stole about twelve k total, but from the charity, he stole about 2500 So Mason's saying, look, look what a nice guy I am. Not only did I prevent a scam from being promoted here and screwing our users, but then when the site where this took place on when the organizer stole money that should have gone to the charity, I'm going to be the one covering it. So I, I really believed that Mason did this to show up Daniel because Daniel didn't offer to do it. I'm not saying Daniel should have, but uh, Mason wanted to be the one to do it. He didn't want to tell Daniel he should do it because then if Daniel does it, then Daniel looks good. He did it to show up both Daniel and our site that he's the one picking up the pieces instead of us, instead of Daniel, mainly Daniel, I think. So this came up again. Uh, they've been sniping at each other ever since for the last three years. And uh, Mason very reluctantly allows Daniel on his forum just because it brings the hits over to the forum and Mason gets more traffic and makes more money. 
But uh, they're, they're always fighting with each other on there. So this 2 Plus 2 magazine apparently is about Mason Malmuth's charity work that uh, I had assumed he is not really doing. I had believed that Mason just wasn't a charity. So so Mason in this magazine, the, I guess the front article is about the the Mason and Charmaine Malmuth Foundation, which he claims is a charity foundation that they established in 2007. He said, it's been my policy not to talk about our foundation. And while some posters became aware of it a few years ago, no one ever knew what it did or what it was about. But that changed with this post that appeared in 2015, and it's, it's a Daniel post. And then he goes on about uh, about something with tennis, about uh, he and his wife playing tennis. And then this is where it has to do with me. He wrote, normally it's not my style to drop figures like this, because he was talking about how they've given away uh, $270,000 to their charity. Which That doesn't mean it came from him. He's trying to claim they raised this through uh, tennis lessons and things like that. He says, normally it's not my style to draft figures like this, but recently on another website... (laughs) On on another website, it was written, Mason is not known for his charity donations. So guess who wrote that? that. Guess who wrote that one? That was me. So he says, well, the reason I'm not known for this is it's my opinion that charitable giving should be a private thing. And in the nine years our foundation has been around, I've never found it necessary to show off about it in any way. But I guess with this note, there has been a change. Unfortunately, because of my position with 2 Plus 2 and the success that we have had, it is inevitable that the critics will appear and the negative attacks will happen. And this is something I've had to deal with for many years. That's not true, Mason. I'll tell you why the critics are appearing. I'll tell you why there's attacks happening. I'll tell you why people criticize you. It's because you're a jerk. It's because you, you moderate your forum with heavy censorship, and not even censorship necessarily to keep it clean and keep it friendly, because there's not a lot of that over there. There's a lot of trolling, a lot of nastiness over there. Uh, what, what you keep off your site... The, the censorship is done either because of a petty dislike for people or for profit. Like, you censor strategy discussion on 2 Plus 2 because you want people to buy your books. You're afraid that if people discuss strategy too much on there, on, your, on the biggest poker forum there is, the biggest English-speaking poker forum there is in the world, that if too much strategy gets discussed there, then people may not want to buy your books about strategy, so you ordered your mods to censor it. This really happened, Mason. So that's the type of censorship I mean. You, you actually banned an ESPN reporter from your site because he featured me in an article. You tried to control what ESPN could print on their site just because you didn't like me. That really happened too, Mason. That's why people criticize you. That's why people don't like you. It's not because you're successful. It's not. It's because you act like a jerk, because you're a control freak. So that's why you face criticism. So he loves to rub things in people's faces. So from an account that I'm blocked from reading at 2 Plus 2 Forum, uh, they have to tweet it to me anyway. <laughs> Fortunately for him, I, I, I don't have them blocked. I didn't even know it existed. Uh, but just so I can read it and he can rub it in my face, look how much I've donated to charity. Ha, I am a charitable guy. What do you think of that, Todd? Well, you know what? Even if this is true, Mason, even if you raise 270 k for charity... That doesn't mean that the 2500 that you gave when this whole Jacep thing occurred wasn't done to rub in someone's face. You, you, you always love to rub things in people's faces. You, you, your settlement with Dutch Boyd involved having a sticky up there rubbing it in his face that you beat him in court. So, or the sticky of his apology. 
Like, like what kind of grown man has a, an apology as a sticky thread in your busiest forum about a cyber squatting thing? I mean, you, you beat the guy in court. You got money from him. Like, shouldn't that be enough? Like, do you, do you have to sticky an apology for two years? So that, that's the type of guy Mason Malmuth is. He's very petty. He loves to rub things in people's faces. He loves to try to control everything on the internet. I was banned on 2 plus 2 twice, not for breaking a single rule, but for things that occurred on other sites. Mason will tell you I've never broken a single rule, at least I think he'll tell you, on 2 plus 2. When I've posted there, I've made good posts, I've made informative posts, I've contributed content there that was very good and very readable. Didn't break rules, was respectful of uh, the standards of the community. I, I got banned. And I'm not bitter about this. You know, if they want to ban me, they can ban me. It's up to them. But uh, Mason is just a jerk. He is. So I, I don't care if, if he's doing something positive with charities. It's uh, I still stand by what I said, except for but Mason's not known for his charity donations. Well, that was true. You weren't known. I guess now you are if this is true. But I had no way to know this. Now, you said that on the forum. Correct? Yeah, I did. Yeah. So, no. so, well, it's good to know he's reading. Well, I think what happened here, I think pro poker lurks on our forum oh, because he, you know, he's been here a long time. First, he was posting for a while and uh, now he's probably just lurking. So he's probably lurking and, and saw it and brought it to Mason's attention. And yeah, he really is Mason's lackey. And the, the funny thing is I like the guys at the two plus two poker cast, especially Adam Schwartz, who listens to the show. And uh, I like him. And I, I like some of the mods on 2 Plus 2. I, I don't uh, hate everyone and everything associated with 2 Plus 2. And, and at one time I was even getting along with Pro Poker, but then uh, then I then Mason banned me over something petty. I, I was banned for such a dumb reason. I was banned because I was given a tip about something that had occurred in a, a live poker room in Vegas involving a poker room manager and involving accusations of theft. And while this manager was acting against the rules there, and doing a lot of things he shouldn't have. I guess he wasn't actually stealing. So I reported incorrectly something that was told to me by someone else. Now I don't do it anymore. Now I, now I won't ever post something like that. I tell people, post it yourself. But because I did that, I was banned from 2 plus 2. I didn't post this on 2 plus 2. I posted it on my site. But Mason decided to do that. And was this guy, was the, quote, victim in this whole thing? Was, was it a close friend of Mason's? No, Mason didn't know the guy. It was just a, a flimsy reason to get rid of me because he doesn't like me. Uh, yeah, all the all these things seem very petty. Everything is, and the spam policy there is so ridiculous. Let's say a discussion is going on about a topic, and there's a very very relevant article or post you made about that subject on your site before this thread existed on two plus two. You were not allowed to say, "Hey, I already did a write up about this three days ago. Uh, here it is." You're not allowed to do that. Uh, someone else is allowed to post a link to it, but you can't post any link to your own site there, or it's considered spamming, even if it's totally relevant. Because Mason is so concerned that other sites will, uh, that people will be promoting their own sites on his site. And I don't do that on my site. On my site, I let links go to anything. It, the only thing I don't allow is if people show up and just blatantly spam something. But, but if someone wants to post a link to something, even their own site, that's relevant to a discussion going on, of course I'll allow it. And why, why not allow that? That promotes uh, the discussion. It, it, it promotes the topic that's going on. It's, it gives people information. But that's the type of stuff he does. And this book he just released, this Real Poker Psychology, something I didn't fully realize when I talked about it on the show, is that this book was written as like a response to a woman named Dr. Trisha Cardner 
who wrote a poker psychology book. Mason read it, and for some reason this book tilted him, and he was so like anti-Trisha Cardner that he wrote his own book, his first book in like more than a decade he wrote, just to kind of troll her and, and write the opposite of what she wrote. So that's, that's oh, really? the, yeah, that's that. that's the reason for his book there. So, so, uh, so it seems like everything he does is like a reaction to someone. Yes, that he's trying to get back at. Yes, like I was wondering, like, like of all things for Mason to write a psychology book, he's like he's not a psychologist. Like, I was, where where did he get a psychology degree from? He didn't. He doesn't have one. Like, of all things for Mason to write about, why would he write that after all these years and not publishing something? It was just weird to me. And now I understand when I looked into it more since the last show. So anyway, that's that's a nice little aside we just had. I didn't. Uh, uh, Thank you, 2 Plus 2 Forum, for sending me that tweet so I, I could talk all about this on my show. Otherwise, I would have not noticed this till later. So I guess you. I'll be blocked next. <laughs> well, they don't know your Twitter handle, but we'll keep it quiet. All right. They, they might be able to deduce it. I didn't, I didn't even know their account existed until today, though, so it's yeah. not a great loss. But... Yeah, so let's see. Uh, by the way, Jay Stat thanking me in the chat for allowing his uh, uh, a link to his, his site about uh, blackjack card counting strategy. Sure, like anything that's useful for people to read, I go ahead and link here, especially people who contribute to the forum otherwise. I, I don't want some spammer showing up and say, hey, uh, buy, uh, buy Mexican Viagra here, and, and but I'm not allowing things like that. I'm not allowing, hey, uh, here, sign up for America's Card Room and get 10%. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to allow things like that, but if, if it's something relevant to the conversation, and if it's a especially if it's a user who's been here and been contributing, uh, Post whatever link you think is right to post. Okay. Let's move on to talk about poker stars. And uh, stress we haven't heard from Brandon yet. It's around that time. He'll say, are you guys done with the, the, poker, the boring poker show? <laughs> yep, say, that's what he'll say. And then I'll say something. He'll say, who's that, Trader Ruski? <laughs> so I, actually, uh, maybe it's better Brandon doesn't call for a while because uh, we're not even close to done. So... Isaac Haxton has quit as a PokerStars pro over the Supernova Elite controversy. That's where PokerStars is lowering the rewards you get for a Supernova Elite in 2016. You also can't earn Supernova Elite in 2016 anymore. But basically, if you've already earned it, you don't get the benefits promised from 2016 as uh, was on their site in 2015. And since it's like a two-year thing you earn, people feel screwed, which they're right to feel that way. Now, there's some other changes people are complaining about that PokerStars had every right to do, such as lowering the rake back going forward and stuff like that. But but I understand the Supernova Elite, if if you were promised certain benefits and it's supposed to last for two years, then they shouldn't change it in the middle. It's it's, uh, like a bait and switch. So fully on their side on that one, the players. But uh, some players are so extreme that they feel that all the changes are wrong. But anyway, Isaac Haxton who is a PokerStars pro or was a PokerStars pro, has quit. He has quit his position at the end of his contract, which is just ended, just terminated. said he's not renewing. He claims that they did offer him the same amount of money. He didn't say how much money that was, but the same amount of money they paid him in 2015. He's not coming back in 2016 because of the Supernova Elite controversy. And, of course, a lot of people are applauding him here that uh, Ike Haxton cares more about what's right than just making a buck from his sponsored pro deal on PokerStars. So you got a lot of positive reaction, but but there's some negative reaction. Now, how could there be negative reaction about him quitting over this 
and leaving money on the table that he could have otherwise gotten for being a PokerStars pro over something that PokerStars is doing that's unethical. How, how could anyone criticize that? Well, first let me read you his statement, and I'll tell you the criticism. As of today, I'm sad to report my PokerStars Team Pro Online contract has expired, and I've made the decision not to redo it. In November, as I'm sure most of you know, Stars announced a number of unpopular changes to their VIP program. There have been times where I have not seen eye-to-eye with PokerStars. I vehemently opposed certain changes that were made or lobbied strongly in favor of changes that were not implemented. At the end of the day, though, I've always respected those decisions were not mine to make and remained enthusiastic about endorsing the brand. This time is different. In the past, when I've disagreed with PokerStars, it has been on a practical, uh, it has been on practical matters of which goals were most important and which policies most effectively advance those goals. This time, my disagreement is simp- simpler and deeper. I believe PokerStars is behaving unethically. There's a lot not to like about the most recent changes and the way they've been communicated, but there's one aspect that I just can't accept. And then he goes on to explain the whole thing I just told you about the Supernova Elite that I won't bother repeating. Uh, I know what it takes to, to rake 1 million VPP in a year to make Supernova Elite. It's a tough grind. For most of the players who do it, it's an all-consuming commitment more intense than most full-time jobs. That's true. Many of them have relocated far from their homes and families to pursue it. Finding out just as you approach the finish line that your efforts will not be rewarded as you expected them to be is brutal. I cannot in good conscience continue to endorse a poker site that treats its players this way. This is a difficult day for me, and I'm truly sad to be parting ways like this with a company that I once held in such high regard. In 2012, when I first signed with PokerStars, it was one of my proudest moments in my career as a professional poker player. The PokerStars brand was beloved by the poker community and had a well-established and well-deserved reputation for treating its players well. I felt thrilled and honored to have my name associated with it, and for the most part, my time at the company has been a true honor and has been an experience I'll always be grateful for. I've learned a lot about how the poker industry works, I've made good money, and I've had the opportunity to meet and work with incredible people, both over both other sponsored pros and PokerStars employees. I'm proud to call many of these people my friends, and it hurts to know that I won't have the chance to work with them in the same way again. I am, however, happy and relieved now to speak candidly about the recent changes. I have every intention of responding to questions, and I'm excited to join the ongoing conversation. Unfortunately, as I'm going to actually have to earn my living at, by winning at poker this year, I'm on the next flight to Manila. Please be patient with me if my responses come slowly and at irregular intervals. Happy New Year, everyone. Is Manila, why is he going there? Is there a tournament series? Tournament or something? Yeah, it must be. Okay. Yeah. So anyway... Well, it sounds like a nice statement. He's, he's standing with the players and, and giving up sponsorship money for this reason that uh, PokerStars is acting unethically. Well, but there was one kind of weird thing in there. Go ahead. What is it? Well, he says, you know, basically, uh, this is so terrible I had to quit. But he also says <laughs> it happened in November. It's January. <laughs> so, well, he can claim it was his contract that he couldn't quit then. But, but he, yeah, but a contract with like an offshore poker type. Yeah, I've I've said that before too. I like I, I had people making up that excuse about promoting lock. Oh, I had a contract. No, you, a contract about promoting a scam. You you definitely can't cannot be enforced. But even poker stars, which isn't a scam. Uh, yeah. No, but it's not even legal in the country yeah. he resides. Yeah. Right, so. Yeah. So so anyway, Isaac Haxton uh, received a lot of support on social media and on two plus two, but. And by the way, it's funny, uh, Haley Hintz wrote this up and she said it was met with widespread support on social media and the poker forum he most often visits. She's <laughs> uh, taking a play out of Mason's playbook. Yeah, no, she, but she really does not like Mason and uh, does not want to give him 
free publicity, which which is good. Like I, I it's more than I can say for myself. So anyway, uh, one of the people who was critis- critical of him was David Bakes Baker. Now this is not the David Baker that I have beefs with. This is the younger David Baker who I don't really know and I don't have a problem with him. But uh, if you might remember, David Bakes Baker had a disagreement, so to speak, with Brian Hastings around World Series time when he had bracelet bets with Hastings, which he lost because Hastings won a bracelet, uh, when Hastings had been pretending he wasn't playing mixed games when in reality he was playing under a second account that people didn't know was him because he, he bought an account of a known fish there. So not only was he tricking people into making bracelet bets, but he was also playing people at high stakes under a fish's account that he purchased, which is a big no-no. He was multi-accounting. So there was a big controversy at the time that others knew this was going on and said nothing about it, including Jason Mercier and Isaac Haxton, who were, who were both Poker Stars pros. So two Poker Stars pros knew that Hastings was multi-accounting and using an account of a known fish to trick people into playing him and, uh, and, and win a lot of money off them because they're playing that account like they think they're playing a fish. And in reality, it's, it's Hastings, who's very good. Two guys who are actually sponsored Poker Stars pros knew about this and said nothing. So there was a lot of anger toward Haxton about this at the time that uh, they did not report it, they did not out it, and they tried to, in fact, cover up that they knew about it. So there's uh, a lot of anger toward Ike Haxton at the time. So David Bakes Baker said, why are you trying to make yourself look like a hero? Why are you trying to make it look like you support the Poker Stars grinders when you were very willing to sit back and watch them get cheated by your friend Brian Hastings and said nothing about it while you're working for Poker Stars? Like the, you're, you're, he said, you're just being self-serving here. You're just trying to show off what a great guy you are. But in reality, you weren't. You just proved it uh, six months ago. That, that's what David Bakes Baker is saying. And I, he has a point. Like it, it, it is hard, even if Haxton is doing the right thing here, it, it's hard to give him a pat on the back for it when he's selectively being ethical when it comes to poker star stuff. So he, he's outraged that the Supernova elites are getting screwed, but he's fine with these same players getting screwed by his buddy who, who's multi-accounting. So uh, what... Right. It, it also seems like with the contract thing, he, he's kind of setting himself up for another sponsorship, saying, look, I'm not going to break my contract. I'm quitting this site because I say it's shady, so I have a lot of integrity and hence value right now. So I'll go to someone else because if you think about that contract thing and why it's a bs excuse so what if he just resigned and it's for another year he, he was going to stick that out yeah yeah that's a good like, point yeah it, what if he, yeah what if he signed in uh, in october on october 15th or something yeah yeah so it seems like he's taking he it seems like he has an eye towards the next sponsorship like He's quitting the site for more reasons, which makes him valuable to go somewhere else. But then he's still honoring that contract, so people aren't afraid to sign him. Yeah, I, I kind of thought of that too. Like maybe he thinks there could be other opportunities down the road. Now, true, Poker Stars and Full Tilt are the uh, two biggest sites, but there's other sites out there, and uh, maybe he thinks some legalized U.S. sites in the future could sign. And maybe he thinks he's he's high profile enough now in the online poker world that 
he will get signed elsewhere and that this will not only make him look good here, but also erase people's bad memories of him with the Hastings thing. This is what uh, David Bakes Baker posted on New Year's Day at uh, 2016. He said, Ike, you had the chance to do the right thing when Brian Hastings told you about his multi-account and you did absolutely nothing. The stand you are taking right now is admirable, but in my opinion, it hardly outweighs your unwillingness to act when confronted with cheating and your silence until public pressure mounted. That was the other thing is once this came out, Haxton said nothing until people were like, wait a minute. Like somehow it was figured out that Ike Haxton knew about this and then Ike Haxton was stalling, stalling and finally admitted, yeah, okay, well, you know, maybe I knew about it. <laughs> so like he, he was really trying to get out of it being known that he knew about it ever. And so he stayed silent as it was happening. And then when it came out, he still stays silent as much as he could. I see. So he only said something because he had to. Right, right. It, it, yeah, he didn't right. come forward and say, oh, okay, well, now this is all coming out. I thought it was wrong the whole way. Like he was, he was trying to really stay quiet like he never knew. Uh, he said, also, Stars has told me in, in certain terms of that the review of Brian Hastings' account has concluded. So feel free to clear the air anytime about things that were constrained months ago. So that was another thing that got people angry is that Ike Haxton claimed that he couldn't say everything he knew because Stars is still reviewing the situation and it would compromise the investigation. So Bake said, hey, look, Stars already told me they're done with the investigation. So now you can tell us all about your buddy here. Go ahead. So it's a good point. You can't posture as, as Mr. Ethical when you just did this six months ago. If, you, if you're going to keep your mouth shut about your buddy cheating people with multi-accounting, then you're not going to be able to pat yourself on the back that you're leaving stars because they're they're not treating the supernova elite grinders well. You can't. It's uh, one doesn't outweigh the other. It's, it's a great point, and uh, so I agree with Bakes there. And yeah, also I'm, I'm looking at the thread now. So I guess he originally said, "Well, I can't say anything now because I'm an employee and the investigation's going on." And now he's saying, "Well, Bakes is saying, okay, now you're not an employee." And uh, I guess Isaac responded and said, well, the investigation's over, but they didn't tell me anything, so you have to ask poker stars. That's his most recent response, which was from like yesterday or something. So. Yeah. I don't like him. He seems like a jerk to me. And by my few interactions with him, he's been a jerk. So. Yeah, he, he just seems like one of these typical online guys. It's like, oh, yeah, nice play. <laughs> like, Shut up. All right. Uh, next topic here. Uh, so just keep all that in mind if, before you think Ike Haxton is a great guy for quitting over this. Amaya's stock is not doing well. Amaya has been losing money consistently. Just when you think it stabilizes, it goes down again. Amaya finished today at 11.89, their lowest close, I believe, uh, so far. The uh, It was down to 11.84 at one point today, but the close was 11.89. So yeah, it is the lowest ever that it's closed at. To give you an example of how far things have fallen, on November 9th, not a very long time ago, less than two months ago, this stock was at 23.56. Now it is 11.89. So it's lost half its value in two months. Not very good. So it keeps falling. If you look at the graph, uh, it's, it's pretty easy to do this uh, if you want to look at the graph. Just go to Google, type in Amaya space stock, and then a little graph will come up. And you can look at one day, five days, one month, three months, a year, five years, whatever. So 
you can see how the stock has been in a free fall since November 9th. First, it had a major drop at one point. Right on November 9th, it, it, it uh, or November 10th, it fell. Uh, between the 9th and the, and the 11th, it fell from 23.56 to 1480. So that's where most of it got lost. But it, it went up a, t- a little bit after that, but then it, it's been on a steady march downward, and this is now the lowest point. So Amaya is not doing well. And they are they're trying to to fight that they're trying to it's just not growing. I think that uh, they projected a lot more revenue than they're actually getting. And they're seeing that this is unfortunately not a growing industry it's a shrinking industry. And then the daily fantasy sports thing, the product that they released and then had to pull back in the U.S. that has not helped them either. They're probably expecting to get a nice little bump from that and they had to pull it back as soon as the controversy erupted about that so uh how far is it going to go down i don't know i i would love to give you a great stock tip here and tell you to buy now and uh watch it shoot back up but i could see it still going down i could see it losing a lot more so i i don't know where the bottom is going to be but I, i do know that we have someone on here who is going to co-host with us, and that's Brandon Drexel-Gerson. Hello. Good evening. Am I on the fraud fraud show? You are on the fraud show, yes. You're here. Good evening, gentlemen. Yeah, now, Brandon, we've been trying to speed through the topics about poker so you don't have to suffer through them, and unfortunately, uh, our breakneck pace has not allowed that to happen. We still... Talking about ultimate bet again? Uh, no, no, we we can do that too if you'd like to revisit that topic. But uh, uh, no, uh, but we're we're getting towards the end there, and then we can get to some stuff that uh, even though it's typically no. under the it, it's under the poker and gambling topics, I think topics I, that you will. I want to ask more. you something. I was listening earlier in the shitter uh, to the preamble, and, and I I thought it'd be the preamble at least, and you were speaking of that money maker. And now, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I thought you made a comment. And I, again, I was in the middle of a movement, so I might not have heard correctly. In reference to his main event win, did you say that he had all of himself in that? Moneymaker, I didn't contact. I, I didn't talk about it. I was talking about Or Raymer. not Moneymaker. I'm sorry. Uh, Raymer. Yeah. I, I, I assumed he did. Uh, he was saying in his in his little uh, uh, write-up there that he, he had backers until the spring of 2004, and then it stopped. There is a thread that he wrote yesterday on, uh, or post in that thread on two plus two, which I, I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't even know any of this was ever. Might have been the first time it was ever even acknowledged, in which he did state that he had sold shares for that main event. Hmm. So okay. I just thought that was interesting. Well, thank yeah, you. I, I, did you uh, read any of that? Like he had a bunch of responses. This, I, this was yesterday. No, I, I was. I was uh, starting to read it, and then I, I saw terribleness in the thread, and it, well, it was. Well, that's. Uh, what I, I want to discuss that with you at, at, at uh, some point in the. No, I don't mean our. I don't mean our thread. I mean their thread. Well, but there's some terribleness in that thread too. About like uh, about what? About us here? About them? About no, the, no. I'm saying in the thread on the fraud site. No, I, I cleaned that up though. Oh, it was cleaned up. No, I cleaned the whole thing. Yeah. Okay. That I, was I, a I, mess. I, no, I, I know. I wiped 43 posts out of there. Okay. Yeah, we right. we have some uh, problem users recently. Like, what can yeah. I say? Well, we had a uh, we had a meeting today. <laughs> uh, actually, I should say a conference with Pooh let it off from his mansion in West Palm Beach. Uh, Palm Beach County, but we'll get to that later. Just don't let me forget. I'll let you know what the findings okay. and okay. what was said. 
I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to handle it here. So it's not easy to run a forum. Oh, I, I, you know what? And the thing is, the council, and when I say council, I mean it's just a group of members that have at least, you know, there are people that are posting on these sites that have been around now that they can say they posted more than half of their adult life on, on these sites. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> wow. Think about half of their adult life, if not more. I mean, there are people now on there. You realize now it's 2016. There's still people on these sites that have, that have been around since 2004. 12 years, I'm 13 one, I, years. I'm one of them. Yeah, amazing. Hey, uh, what uh, what have we talked about so far? So I'm not askew, and what what is left on the poker? Well, what's the left? We we've, we've uh, never mind. We talked. We we talked about the uh, the Raymer thing. We talked about the uh, poker news being bought by Amaya. We talked about uh, Ike Haxton quitting. We talked about the Amaya stock, and uh, now I'm up to. And this is a short topic. I'm sure it's one that's going to thrill you, but it's a short topic, so don't worry. It's that, uh, you know, PokerStar said that starting January 1st that all these third-party tools, to uh, data mining tools, are not allowed on the site. And, and that uh, there will be consequences for anyone who tries to use them. They're trying to make it to where all these HUDs and other things people use to monitor games and players on PokerStars are not allowed anymore. And it makes it more fair for everybody, and I support that. Uh, but someone discovered something that is uh, a little bit... Uh, Disturbing and shows that PokerStars security is not as crack as they would make you believe. A guy who uh, plays on there all the time with those spin and goes. Uh, I guess there's a way to see how many players are watching the game. You can't see who they are, but it'll say like how many viewers of the table. He noticed that every single spin and go, heads up spin and go he plays on PokerStars, no matter how low the stakes are, has a minimum of five people watching. <laughs> and he's like, wait a minute, how is this happening? Like, how come, like, the second I open one up, there's five people watching instantly? Like, like, why are they flocking over there, always at least five people to watch these low-stakes, heads-up spin-and-go? So he figured, it, this is not individuals doing it. These must be automated tools that are uh, monitoring when new games start and automatically watch the game, these automated tools and data mine. So he, he was pissed that here they're saying that they've banned these tools. In reality, these tools are still there and still monitoring people and that it's unfair because it's, it's, it's banning people from using them, but yet people are still using them and getting away with it. So uh, it's – so PokerStars gave a response to this saying, we are aware that there are sites that collect data from our games. We're taking steps to prevent them from doing so. Unfortunately, this is not as easy as flipping a switch. We have dealt with the issue in the Zoom games, and we expect we'll be able to roll out a situation where the spin-in goes as well. We're hoping to do so in quarter one of 2016, though it's possible we'll have to revise that date. Once the spin-in go situation is in place, our other games will be covered as quickly as possible. <laughs> I don't understand this. It shouldn't. Uh, I understand if, if if people just create like a throwaway PokerStars account with no money in it and just open up games and watch them with with automated tools. It's hard to stop that because like if you ban that account, they can just make another one. But why why can't they just why can't they why can't they write something here? Come on, Brandon, don't do that. Don't do that, Brandon. Why can't they write something? Why can't they write a tool to? detect this the same way this guy detected it by just looking at it 
and then just ban the IPs of whoever does things like that. I, mean, I, I don't see why they have to do this game by game. First the Zoom, then the Spin and Go, then this, then that. It's, and then they, they've got to take months to do it. It seems like this just isn't the priority. So it, it's kind of weird. Yeah. Also, have either of you guys played one of these? No, but we can't. We're we're uh, we're not eligible. Oh, it to play was it. it came out after it was banned. Yeah. Way so after. Brandon, you haven't played it. No. Way okay. After. Okay. So. It, it, for anyone that doesn't know, when you want to play one of these, you just click a button that says, like, play a $5 one. So you can't see the tables. You can't pick, you know, the game. It just auto-seats you, oh. and the game starts right away. So here's here's an idea for Poker Stars. You guys can mail me the check. Just make the spin and goes anonymous. Yeah, that's true. Because there's no reason not to. And this is all supposed to be an entry-level thing for people that are not grinders, who don't want to deal with all this stuff, right, that that's a don't great idea. want people... Yeah, preying so, on them in the tables. Yeah, but you don't pick your tables, so just make everything anonymous, and now start focusing on the other games where you can enforce the software. Yeah, because and it, for some reason you have to do it game by game. And it should be easy to see if if certain IP addresses are are opening up a million tables and watching them at once. Like a, I, I don't see how this should be so hard to stop. They just don't seem to want to put the effort in doing it. So props to the guy who figured this out and uh, and has held their feet to the fire. Maybe it'll speed them up a bit. Okay, since we have a snorer here, we'll move past this topic. And uh, uh, okay, so let's. Uh, Let me ask you, what percent would you guess or estimate of our of roughly of the listenership is outside the U.S.? Um, well, How high? I, I I don't know, but there's actually, pe- but not only that, but there's people who enjoy hearing about these topics. Uh, you know, notice I don't talk about like such and such person won a tournament on there or or a poker star. Well, no, no, and of course I get it. I'm not. I'm I. I'm sorry for the snoring. You know, I just I hate poker stuff these days. But my question is: there, Is there a lot of people outside the U.S. that? Because I mean, I, I could care less. And I mean, I mean, it's only because I can't play on it. So why do I care well, what they're doing? Well, there, there, yes, there's, there are a number of people outside the U.S. In fact, I will tell you, you're during, basically providing a service for those people. Not only that, but uh, I met some people very far from the U.S. Uh, this New Year's. That uh, while I was there in Vegas for New Year's, there was a a family from Australia who actually listens to this program. And they uh, they said they really wanted to meet me, so uh, I arranged to meet them at a uh, very uh, romantic place. I, I met them. Wait, huh? There are people from Australia tracking you down because of the fraud radio show? Yeah, they wanted to meet me, and uh, Come on. listen, they uh, these people from Australia they came down to meet me at a tire place. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I, no, I, I'm not kidding. I had limited time there, and then the uh, a screw ended up in my tire. And no, no one did this to vandalize my car. It was just it happened while I was driving. I ran over a screw somehow on the freeway, and it went into the tire and destroyed the tire. It wasn't a good situation. So uh, I, I was at a tire place, and so I, I called the Australians, and I said, hey, uh, you said you wanted to meet me. I've got some time to kill here while I'm waiting for this to be done. Would you like to come down to the tire place? So they did. They came down to the tire place, and I met them. And they, they were very nice, the Australians. The, I know, Brandon, you've had some very tough meetings where you meet people, and they uh, somehow it doesn't go I well. I know Australians, though. Yeah. I so, met the, the one guy from Alabama, <laughs> yeah, the so, chew in his mouth and the moldy cheese. That's, that's the problem. I think it's the well, – I met, I met uh, Daredevil. He was a straight that, shooter except that's for true. the blender incident. That's true. So <laughs> – that's true. You ended. You ended up. That that ended up okay. But yeah, I I think I've done better. I think I've run a lot better with people I met. But yeah, you know, the Australians were very nice. They even brought me some uh, 
Australian chocolates and stuff like that. So uh, I'm sorry I'm not sharing this with you guys. Who uh, and these are these are people that don't post; they just listen to the show. Yeah, uh, it's uh, the guy has one post. I won't say who he is in case uh, he doesn't want that said. But he has one post, nothing controversial, and uh, yeah, they they mainly just listen to the show and and they uh, they seem to really enjoy it and. Knew a lot about the show and wanted to meet me, so uh, I, I like meeting the listeners. I, I really do. So I, I, I really wanted to make time for this, but I wasn't sure if I would have time just because uh, I was doing so many family things. I w- wasn't there for that long, but, you know, the, the tire thing happened, and, and there was some time, and uh, I used it that way. So To me, Australia is just irrelevant. <laughs> no, don't say that about our... Oh, but I'm just being honest. But don't what say that it? about our nice Australian listeners. Well, they're going to tune out here. In general, what, what... I mean, what... Do you don't, I mean, what need do we have of Australia? What need? Well, what need do we yeah. have of any country? What do we import need? Well, what do you mean, what need? I mean, the, you know, we, whether it's oil or something. Tim that we're trying to Exactly. Have but you what ever is it Tim about us? I have had Hold on. It, it, what, well, hold on. Hold on. Australia, right? Don't tell me you have not been fascinated by a boomerang. I've, I've never been into boomerangs. I liked koalas when I was younger. Okay, there you go. Huh. Have you ever eaten at Outback Steakhouse? Yes, but that's not – they're not from Australia. That's also not a good example because it's terrible. No, it's not, but. No. Have you ever enjoyed a I've, Paul Hogan movie? I think I've eaten it Outback once in the last decade. Yeah, what about – did you watch the Crocodile Dundee movies? I was never into that. Okay. That's the what one about, with – that's not a knife. This is a knife, right? That, yeah. That, yeah. Well, what about uh, I'm not Mel? saying – what has Australia ever done for us? Nicole Kidman. Okay, they could have her back. <laughs> oh. Uh, what do you mean? Oh. Seriously, okay, you're going to tell me. If she wasn't married to Tom Cruise, she would have ever been anybody? No. Absolutely not. You don't think she was hot in the day, though? I don't, no. I don't. Really? I think the two actresses that I despise the most, most, and ironically, they both are kind of, it's the same deal, Gwyneth Paltrow. She's not dating Brad Pitt. She doesn't have her head in a box in seven. We never hear from her. But now we got to hear her. And you don't even tell me. Well, she had a famous dad, though, so. I mean, but how, relatively famous, but not. I mean, did you really know who Bruce Palfo was? No, but but that, she got a boost thanks to her, that. I know the, the the mother was more famous because she. That's the mom from the 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 Robert De Niro movies, the Fokker the, the, movies. Yeah, the, that's the point. The point is that she had. Uh, she never would have been like she was considered for a while, like you know, like a five star leading lady. So so was Nicole Kidd. They never would have been if they weren't. I mean, really. You, you really disagree? You think on their own merits? No, they weren't. That's what I'm saying. But I'm saying that it wasn't just because. Wait, are you I, agreeing with me? Or I, I'm sort of agreeing with you. I'm saying oh. that yes, it was, a, it was thanks to connections. But uh, even if it wasn't for that particular movie, she would have found a way anyway through the connections. I'm not saying she wouldn't have made movies, but it just she would not. For a while, she was like the it girl. Both of them were. Well, I, I agree with you, know, you that Gwyneth they're Paltrow. making thirty million a movie. Like they're up there with Julia Roberts and in, in that level. I agree with you that Gwyneth Paltrow is awful. That I will She's say. She's awful. And then you know what makes me even worse is bitch. Have you ever heard her talk? She has a, she she gives an English accent. She was born in <laughs> yeah. no, I'm not kidding you now. I'm not making this up. She yeah, literally when she does her interviews, she talks like she's from Great Britain. She invented an accent. And you know, for movies or whatever, you have to do Shakespeare, you act like you're Shakespearean or whatever the fuck. But she's born in LA. She's an American and she talks in interviews and in just around people with a British accent. You know, she was in college she was in college with me for one quarter and then said, "Why am I in college and quit?" Is that true? Yeah. The same college you went to? Yep, at the same time. Hmm. She's like a year younger than me. So, right, here. But I, you get my point, though, or not? Yeah, listen. Tell me if you, if you appreciated this. And a spake is trying. Yeah, let's go on Weibel's at 9.30. Well, I'll say she's going at 9.30. I know it. 
free agent. Beer. Foster's Australian for beer. Do you remember those? Yes. How to Speak Australian and then... Yes. Yeah. That's not too old. It was like maybe 10 years old? Uh, something like 15? that. 15? Yeah. Anyhow, I, I'm not going to derail the whole fraud show, but I'm just... <laughs> I'm just saying, in my opinion, neither one of them would have. They're both examples if they weren't dating celebrities that were just insanely famous, rich, popular. I don't think their careers would have gotten anywhere near what they were. Brad Pitt really dates some pretty annoying women. I don't think Jennifer Aniston was annoying. No, except for her. She was fine. Yeah. She seemed like she's actually – she seems like she, she got screwed over by – Yeah, she does. She, she's, she seems nice. Yeah, I, she I agree. does actually. I agree. She seems the, she's eh, the exception. She seems dull. Maybe dull, but she's nice. What is, I mean, dull in the sense of what? Like, she's not... Well, like, she doesn't seem interesting. You ever see her in an interview? It's like, I don't know. It doesn't I, seem like there's a lot there. No, I don't watch a lot of Jennifer Aniston interviews, but... <laughs> oh, I got them all on tape. <laughs> but, I mean, I'm just saying, like, I don't know. I'm sure, you know, just because she's not letting guys do rails of coke off her tits, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure <laughs> she could entertain us. Maybe she is. Okay, so uh, let's let's see what else we got here. Uh, okay. Uh, Daily Fantasy Sports... May be illegal in another big state shortly. Do you know what state that would be, Brandon? A, okay, let's see. A popular I know state. New York is battling with them. Yeah. I know Illinois was battling. There you with go. Them. You, you got it already. It's, it's Illinois. I, I know they didn't. They ask for an injunction, or they? I know that they sent a cease and desist letter. Didn't Chicago also even ask for money back? Uh, or is that New York? One of the states asked for money, meaning the money that the entry fees and money that there's their. Uh, Citizens lost, or their residents lost, to be refunded. I think that was New York, but one of them did ask. For yeah, that, that was New York, I think. So they're they're going to be having a, a hearing about this, where uh, the Attorney General Lisa Madigan is claiming that it is illegal gambling. And that's that's the tactic being used by these states. Instead of going after the shady stuff that these sites have been doing, they just go after the easy, straightforward case, and that is, this is gambling. You're not a registered gambling site. You're not licensed to do this. Uh, get out. So that's what uh, now Illinois Attorney General Lisa Madigan is doing, and uh, the Daily Fantasy Sports site's, uh, site, DraftKings, is uh, they, they wanted to expedite the schedule in which they get to give a response to Lisa Madigan and say that... Uh, uh, basically have their day in court and say why they should be able to uh, continue operating in the state of Illinois. What a waste of time, money, and resources. Well, no, I, mean, I, I don't think it is because these these well, sites need to be okay. regulated. Oh, no, that's – right, and I realize it, that, and that should be done. But anyone saying that they're illegal, that's not the round telling them – I mean you're, you're the same as me. I assume both of you are. Anyone that's telling us what we can or can't do in the privacy of our own home – in regards to gambling, it just—it's fucking ridiculous. But that's—but I, I think that's not what they're doing there. I think they really are doing this just well, because they think they're shading. This is the—this is the quickest way to get them out. Because if, if you start attacking them on this insider, okay, then, thing, then, then regulate it then. Well, I, but that's, I think that's what they're going to start doing after this. That's—I think this is right, step but, one, and then they after that they write regulations and get it done. Now let me ask you. I'm not that from. I mean, I, I read the newspaper. You know, I read online, so I, I do know what's going on. But other than that one incident in which. Uh, a guy from another site who was an employee won a bunch on the other site, and then there was some question, which later was said, and they weren't going to tell the truth anyhow, that he didn't get any insider information. Has there been any other example of shadiness? Yes, yeah, so, well, there's a lot of examples of that same thing, and uh, even a memo that was found from FanDuel that was basically saying, uh, yeah, go ahead and do this, but just don't make it obvious that that was the short 
expand on that. No, they, 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 they said you can play on other sites. In fact, they said it's, it's good for the company that you play on other sites because you, uh, you learn about them or it's something like it's, it's good for right, us. But that's that not do. what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like actual blatant cheating. I know. So no, they were talking about like uh, uh, they'd use language like seek to avoid playing against people that you've seen their lineups on your site, on our site. Uh, seek to avoid playing them on the other site. Not you're prohibited from it. Not from not don't ever do it. Seek to avoid it. They said, and uh, or don't don't play don't have more than a certain percentage of entries in there uh, because it can look bad. A lot of things basically saying, yeah, you can do this. Yes, we're acknowledging that uh, you guys have access to insider info, but just uh, keep it under the radar so no one figures it out. That that was the gist of what was put out the memo. So it, it definitely was going on, and uh, so it was definitely shady. Also. People were using automated tools on these sites to enter like thousands of times and instantly change lineups when someone was, was hurt that the average player didn't have access to. So really the average player had just about no shot uh, except for maybe some of these heads-up ones. So it, it was very misleading to the average player who just really thought they are just playing almost like regular fantasy sports in, in a shorter form when in reality they're, they're up against people with thousands wait, of entries. That wait, are, so like the big I, – I, and again, I don't know that much. I've never played nothing. So like the big one, like the one that you could win like a million or the one that one guy won like 300,000, the employee from FanDuel. You can enter – I guess that's like the Sunday you know, big tournament or whatever they call it. Yeah, you can enter you can tons enter of times. enter more than once in yes, it? Yes, yes. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And the, and the, I guess and, it makes sense because they're getting more rake. Yeah, and so that, so wow. people would have like thousands of entries in there and, and, they, and a computer would be managing the whole thing. So if someone gets injured, the computer like instantly updates all thousand lineups. And so a human can't do things like that. That like that shouldn't be allowed. And so like, wouldn't you that like maybe equivalent that to like HUDs or just no much it? worse than HUDs, much worse than HUDs because uh, it's it's really giving you advantages that uh, that the average person doesn't have. This is just is not just seeing stats on people. This is um, operating your and lineup. I get it, that, it, but like anything else, you know, in life. If someone can find an edge, the smart people are going to find an edge. But that's why there's regulations to prevent this, and there aren't, and the, these sites have not done a good job self-regulating. And that's the, that's the problem is that the, the whole right. thing is, is almost like a scam where the average player has no shot and, and employees of the sites are cheating to win. It's, it's a mess. So, so here they had a chance to operate fairly. They weren't, and these states are saying, we don't want this crap going on anymore. We're going to find whatever quick path we can get to make these illegal. So so that's, that's what's going on right now. It's, it's not it, on uh, – January twenty second, uh, or they have until January twenty second, the uh, the state of Illinois to file a response to DraftKings, uh, to their response uh, to their response basically. So, uh, so they we'll we'll see what happens with this if this really ends up going through in Illinois. And so, what are the states are banning right now? Nevada. Potentially Illinois and New York, and where else? Yeah, but New York is still battling as well. Like they're still fighting back. It's the only three right now, as far as I know. There's a few others that it's already that. But I thought small, they. I thought there, there's some so, others. Yeah, like like I forget the other ones. Some other smaller states that have banned it the whole way. So in New York right now, though, can they play or they can't? I know they were going to try to get a. Uh, I, I believe they can. Right. They can. Right, they can, Yeah, they can right now, but it's it's still battling. They can't. And the, the three states that have taken action since this went down, I believe, are Nevada, New York, and, uh, and, what's and, so and Illinois. What's so crazy to me is that – and again, I, I, I thank you for educating me because I didn't know to the extent in terms of people using like automated, I guess, what would you call them, scripts you said? Or? Yeah, it's almost like playing bots online. So it's, it's like playing bots almost. Yeah. But what, what amazes me, did you know that there – I think like Jerry Jones. I know there's – I think Robert Kraft, uh, you know, owners uh, – the 
Cowboys and the Patriots both own shares. Yes. Of one of the two. Yes, they, they have shares, yeah. And then I think Major League Baseball. And yes. The, I think all the sports have partners. Oh, it's yeah, yeah. Crazy. There's a lot of partnerships and investments and big advertising partnerships. There are. And this is. Uh, Wouldn't this... you th- have thought these big, I mean, you know, the NFL's a multi billion dollar business? They would have done their due diligence before. These partnerships and putting up their banners. You, you would have thought, but they, they weren't. It's, it's surprising sometimes how obvious things can slip through the cracks. And you see the, quote, executives of these sites being interviewed, and they just look like computer geeks who don't really have a clue about like uh, about these type of matters. They seem like uh, they, they kind of have their, their heads up their asses. They don't seem like they're, uh, they're taking seriously as big as they've become. They, they don't. It's like they think they're still running like a little garage operation. They don't realize they're running these billions dollar industries that uh, uh, that can be exploited like this. They're being exploited by their own employees. They, they don't understand what major stakes are being played for here and, and what major investments are coming in. And the, the, these are boneheaded mistakes being made. Like like how hard is, well, how hard would it have been to have banned them from playing on other sites? How hard would it have been to to put, get a handle on these uh, these scripts people were using to to get major advantage? Like yeah. how hard would it I be? I don't think I definitely don't think banning and telling people they can't play is the answer. I think you know regulating them and taking away these things that are being done by users that that are deemed unfair. To level the playing field should be done. I mean, I'm, I'm going to guess you both agree with that, right? Yeah. The answer isn't just telling yeah, but us. They, they ban them first so they can regulate them. Yeah, that, they're basically saying here, you guys are, are doing a terrible job regulating yourselves. People are getting cheated. Uh, we're putting a halt to this. We're going to write regulations, then you can come back at that point. That's, that, so I think that, that's that what they're trying to say. 2025 uh, maybe, but that's, that's, that's the unfortunate thing that happens when you screw up and you, and you don't manage your company well and people get cheated. I don't, I don't feel sorry for these sites because they did it to themselves. They, I mean, that's not always the case. Look at PokerStars. They never cheated anyone. I mean, and we still, years later, can't play. Well, that, that's a little bit of a different story. That's, that's a matter of... Uh, of just getting the license, getting online poker license. That's, that's a little bit of a different story. But I, I am of the belief that you can't just decide that uh, something for real money is, is legal. Yeah, it's, it, it's illegal. You can't just decide to do it. And then when you're caught, say, oh, well, we should be able to do that. So let us keep operating. Like you, you have to go through the right channels. Otherwise, it's unfair. I promise you if, you, if you were it's unfair to those, uh, writing a big the rules. stockholder of that company, you'd be, you'd be bitching the same argument, as I'm sure I would, too. I mean, well, but then, have, but then it's different. They have so much then. money on the line. These guys are greedy. You know, and the, the, look at a state like New York where – what do they say? I mean it was like the tens of millions of, of citizens play. It was like an absurd number. Well, yeah, yeah, 10% of all players on daily fantasy sports sites are from New York State. It's fucking cra- – it was like 33 million. I mean it was a nuts number. It, it was a, it was a crazy number especially because New York, while it's a large state, does not have anywhere near 10% of the U.S. population. Yeah. The, the only state with a population like that is California. I mean if that one – and this is something else that, that I've wondered – if that one instance didn't occur where the kid got caught on the other site, the employee, would we even be – would all this – I mean is that no, really it would, what led to this? Yes, the, that's the whole change? catalyst. Yes, this would not be that's happening. A, wow. It's it amazing I know. I've, I've thought about that. I've thought about this guy made one stupid mistake and that yeah. is posting that lineup. It was, it was pointless. It was, he's writing a blog. He got lazy. He didn't want to wait until the time for the locking lineups were. So, or maybe he got confused of what time it was. So he posted something too early which gave away the fact that he had insider information. That he had access to those lineups when he shouldn't have, and so because the lineups hadn't He's been locked like yet. He's going to be like the Steve Bartman of fantasy. Yes, sports. he's got to be hated and despised, and 
Oh, I can't I, he even must. imagine he's still working there. I, that's so shocking. They haven't. Work? I think they just haven't shot. They haven't fired him for appearances. They want. They want to make it look like he hasn't done anything so terrible. But can you imagine how furious everybody at those companies are? They they were just rolling in money. No one was paying attention to what they were yeah. doing. They were just. Uh, they were growing, 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 becoming so huge. Everyone's investing in them, and then this one boneheaded mistake tears the whole industry down. I mean, it's uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. I thought about that. I tweeted that before about uh, I've never seen one person have such a negative impact on an industry before. Especially like I've seen like a CEO, but like a one mid-level employee have such a negative impact on an industry before. I've never seen that. So, okay, let's move on to the next topic. And I think uh, I think you'll find this one interesting, Brandon, and, and you too, Daredevil. Do you, you guys remember? Where's Trader Ruski at? I don't know where he is, but uh, he's welcome to join if he wants. Is he, is he all right? I, I think he may be in Vegas. Didn't he? I think oh, he maybe he's going to come in here for the CES. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah, he mentioned that. Yeah, he probably, that's probably where he is. Good kid. So right. <laughs> uh, do you remember when Antigua, your, your favorite country, with uh, that's the, uh, one, one, one of your favorite residents or temporary residents? Uh, Yours too. Yeah, one of our favorite residents. The World Trade Organization, the Antiguans – Filed a claim against the United States back in 2003. In 2003, that this is before the UIGEA years before. I know all but, about it. But yeah, so just to tell. Oh, hold on. Hold on. I'm having trouble. Oh, I'm gonna have to. Some reason it's not. If I answer this, it's it's not gonna let me. Hello. No, I, I can't put him on. Let me. Uh, <laughs> let, let me hold add on. him. Hold on. I'll supper him. For whatever reason, I couldn't add him to this conference we're having so let me add him this way hey Todd <laughs> hey guys <laughs> so cute he's just waiting for like uh... now I can't connect him see he Come he's, he, he comes like it's like um, it's like calling the dog and he comes running but then like uh, he came running a Skype I, I, issue yeah well no he tried to call in with Skype and he was not letting me add him to the conversation we're having if I answered it would have put you guys on hold so I, I hung up on his call, attempted Let's to call, him, call him. I tried, and it didn't answer, so we'll have to wait. Okay, so I, I appreciate the effort on his part. We'll try in a little bit. So this World Trade Organization thing, this was 13 years ago. For those of you that don't know, Antigua filed a complaint against the U.S. that the U.S. was making it tough for its residents to play on Antiguan casino, online casinos. So, yeah, I don't know why this keeps happening. I'm going to try to answer. Uh, it says on my Skype, too, answering this call will put your active call on hold. Yeah, see, I, he, I think he's adding some old conversation we had. It's just uh, he's got to I'll answer. instruct him what to do. You know, I'm, he's got to answer my call. If he can't, there's no way to put him on. It's some Skype idiosyncrasy. Well, Skype updated recently, too. So <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't. I, I, probably I, fucked it's up always updated. I didn't accept it, though. I said no. Yeah. I, said, I didn't have a choice. It auto-updated. It tried, and I aborted it. Uh. I aborted it like a... Like a, a sixteen-year-old girl who gets knocked up on prom night. <laughs> All so right. it was like what thirty-three, thirty, forty, fifty million, something like that. Uh, let me get the exact number. So the the complaint was that the U.S. is preventing its own citizens from playing on Antiguan casinos. And you say, what kind of complaint is that? Shouldn't the U.S. have a right to say where its citizens yeah, never can, quite can play? That. So Antigua is saying this is a big part of our income to this island and this is like it's like international trade so how come if the u.s uh population wants to play on our sites and the u.s is making it tough it's like it's like it becomes a world trade issue because uh they're basically it's preventing americans from using their products so 
the U.S. said, you got to be kidding me. We have a right to make our own laws about online gambling and, and regulating online gambling, and we don't like your sites, and we don't want our, our citizens to be a part of it, and it's against our laws. So that's why we're making it. It's not, it's not like we're preventing uh, Americans from uh, uh, utilizing a legal product that you guys are providing. This is an illegal product, so we, we can't. So anyway, the, the World Trade Organization in 2003 actually ruled for Antigua, which was very surprising to me. And, and so Antigua was actually seeking uh, an obscene judgment. Uh, let me get the exact number. You're, you're going to love this. Uh, where is it here? Well, the amount they got or the amount they No, the amount they, they were seeking. They so, so Antigua uh, originally was, uh, was seeking from the United States through the World Trade Organization $3.6 billion. <laughs> And that's the, that's more than the gross domestic product of the entire island of Antigua. So the U.S. said, "Oh yeah, well you want 3.6 billion. We're going to offer you one million dollars." No, they didn't even do that. Half of a million dollars. So, so they said, "No, our counter offer is five hundred thousand dollars." And so talk about being far apart. So. The, uh, so the World Trade Organization ruled much closer to the U.S., but still pretty big, $21.5 million per year. And this is back in 2007. So this has ballooned to $200 million since then. So the U.S. supposedly owes Antigua $200 million as a result of this ruling. So World Trade Organization has been saying to the U.S., well, pay up. That's our ruling. And the U.S.'s response was... <laughs> that, that's what their response was They just said no we're not paying And you can't do anything about it like, You're the World Trade Organization How can you force us So that's the way it's been for 9 years Actually for 13 years If you go all the way back to the beginning of this claim Well believe it or not There's been some movement on this And it may actually get solved Now in the meantime by the way Antigua said okay we're going to collect in our own way We're going to pirate U.S. intellectual property. We're going to steal U.S. music, U.S. movies, U.S. computer software, and we're going to sell it, and we will collect the money that way. So uh, they're going to do what uh, China's been doing for the last twenty years. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so that uh, seriously, you know that, that you on, you're on the streets of Beijing. And they're handing out movies that are in our theaters now. It's crazy. Yeah, and they've. Uh, I know Thailand's been doing that for a long time. Too. In the '80s, when I was in Thailand, you could buy all these things on the street that were bootlegs of uh, U.S. Uh, entertainment products. So, uh, Antigua, uh, they, their stance on this has softened since uh, the election of a new prime minister in 2014, named uh, Gaston Green. So, it looks like now there may be a compromise being made, and and. Uh, Basically, uh, the compromise is a little bit weird. You wouldn't expect this to be the compromise, but the compromise would be that uh, – and it's not for certain yet, but this is what is being theorized and this is the rumors we, going around. We send them MyCon and they drop the whole thing? <laughs> no, I think actually the compromise is we take MyCon back. <laughs> but uh, actually the, the compromise – is that uh, the U.S. offers some kind of military aid to Antigua, who doesn't have any kind of uh, military. Uh, and, and they have a very small population of like 50,000, so you can understand why they don't have any kind of military. So that uh, they have some kind of military aid. 
Is there, are, they, are they in a dire threat right now? No, but I think they just feel like super is, vulnerable, like they have is, nothing. What, like, is Bermuda coming after them? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what is that? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe they're afraid Vulnerable that, to what? I don't know. Their biggest, their biggest worry should be one thing. Hurricanes. No, I think I th- maybe they're worried that uh, St. Kitts is going to try to expand. <laughs> so, someone's going to come on a on a, sh- on a little uh, – what are those boats called, That the cigarette boats that they uh, – <laughs> pirate pe- – I mean uh, that makes no sense. So so they get some kind of uh, military aid and also uh, uh, some it's kind of uh, – uh, also that there will be some kind of secondary economic benefits that when there there is the military aid that this will spur some industry there and that uh, on the other side – that Antigua would agree not only to drop this matter, but to admit that the World Trade Organization ruling is invalid. So basically agreeing with the U.S. that they were right all along. And so the U.S. would look like they've been not avoiding paying a, a rightful judgment against them, but that it's been a bad judgment the whole way. And now Antigua admits, yeah, yeah, this was unfair to you guys. Okay, we're, we're going to back off, and then the U.S. will do some favors for them, and it's done. So this this is not set in stone yet. It's just this is what the rumor is, that uh, there is going to be that agreement. And maybe it's just that Antigua realized it's getting nothing, and that if they if they don't accept just this laughable military aid and, and whatever industry it brings there, that uh, the payment they will receive from the U.S. will be... Zero point zero. And I think they were maybe afraid to do the piracy thing because yeah, the U.S. could retaliate against them in various ways if they do that. So but maybe they're afraid to wake the sleeping giant, so to speak. So they've just been kind of waiting for the U.S. to cough up some of the money or be shamed into it by the World Trade Organization. So they're accepting a, a much lesser payment here. But th- this may finally get solved. I thought this was going to sit there forever like this and they're just going to give the middle finger to Antigua, but that's not the case. So uh, how this will affect our buddy who may want to move back there, I don't know. So, Brandon, uh, I don't know if I told you about this, but if not, you'll learn about this now, as will the rest of the radio audience. Uh, As you know, I had uh, my family with me during the New Year's Eve holiday. And uh, I had uh, six family members with me. Well, I was five family members, six including me. And even though they'd all been on the high roller before, including Benjamin, which is the Ferris wheel that goes 550 feet up that uh, operates at the Link in Las Vegas. It's owned by Caesars. It was very, very expensive to build, and it's been a complete fail. It has uh, not attracted nearly the crowd that they've expected. It's too expensive. It's just not enough of a novelty in Vegas where there's just so many entertainment options that people just kind of overlook it, even though it's right there in your face when you're looking around the city. So it has not done well. They even it's, it's so funny. You go in there and you see like this these switchback lines like you would have in Magic Mountain. Uh, here, I think we're going to be able to add Trader Ruski. I think it's going to work this time. Trader Ruski, hello. Hey, guys. Is that, is that CES in the background I hear? That is the Bellagio. Oh, it's the Bellagio. Uh, oh. Okay, we're going to get to this topic in a little bit, uh, Trader Ruski, but I, I have to advise you, please do not sleep in your car in Las Vegas. I'm very concerned about you. <laughs> I, I, I don't want you to... Uh, perish the same way that uh, another individual uh, recently did, which we'll talk about later in the show. Please please use a hotel. Okay, I got a room. That's good. And uh, so uh, anyway, I was talking about at the link, the high roller. So I got some free tickets to the high roller through 
my seven stars benefit and also a diamond benefit I got on the way up. So don't, don't think the total rewards didn't completely screw up on the redemption of this, which I won't bother getting into. But it was a bit. I, I learned something new that if you redeem an offer with total rewards and they hit the wrong button and redeem an incorrect offer, that they can't just back it out. Once they've redeemed an offer, you can't unredeem an offer, even if it's their mistake. <laughs> So, so basically the only recourse at that point is they had to put a note in your account that you really didn't redeem it and you had to hope someone finds that note. And, and to get them to email me that this happened because I wanted proof on my end was an immense task that should have been completed in a minute but took a lot of effort on my part. But that's Caesars for you. So anyway, we, we went to the, the high roller on December 31st. Now, as you probably know, December 31st is a very, very, very busy time in Las Vegas. The city is jammed. Uh, it's sold out. Every property is, is full. There's uh, an obscene number of people in Las Vegas. You would think that everything to do in Vegas would be jammed on the 31st. Now, it's kind of cool outside, but it was not bitter cold. It wasn't snowing. It wasn't raining. It wasn't even that windy. At 4 o'clock, we took our free tickets over to the link. Now, first of all, I learned that uh, they changed a policy there, that now, any child 12 and under is allowed to ride for free, which wasn't the case before. So they're trying to encourage, I guess they had the problem before where maybe the parents wanted to go on it, but they didn't want to, you know, they didn't want to spend the money for the kids too and spend for four people because it's like anywhere from 26 to $37, whether it's the day or night when you get on there. And I, I guess times four, it became too intimidating and you can't just leave the kids somewhere by themselves while you do it. So now kids are free, 12 and under. So I realized that, uh, of the six people there, two of them were, were 12 and under, one of them being Benjamin. So I I had two extra tickets. I thought they all needed tickets because I, I think before it was uh, under five gets in free and Benjamin's five. So I thought I needed a ticket for him too. So I had two extra tickets. So first of all, I did a good deed and I went through the line and I, I asked if anybody needed two tickets and I found uh, a nice uh, Brazilian family, actually from Brazil. And they, they were shocked. The guy's going... Why? I said, well, because I, I have these tickets complimentary and I don't want them to go to waste. I, I don't need them anymore. So would you like them? I'm not selling them to you. I'm giving them to you. So the guy was very grateful and uh, was, was very th- happy that I saved him like 52 bucks on those two tickets. In fact, he got to ride for free because the they, they had two kids with him and they, the kids were 12 and under. So, but that's the, not the point I was going to get to. I did a good deed there, but that's not the point I'm going to get to here. We went through the line, we walked past the place where they take pictures of you and turned it down, walked, walked through. Would you believe by the time we got on the ride, and keep in mind, they just load people as they get there, so each pod can have up to 40 people in there, so whatever crowd of people is there gets loaded on the next pod as it goes around. Would you believe when we got there, the number of people who were ahead of us in line when the pod arrived was 0.0. Zero. We got our own pod meant to carry 40 people. It was just the six of us. That was it. On New Year's Eve at 4 o'clock. This wasn't like 8 in the morning where you think no one's going to want to get up to do this. It's 4 o'clock on New Year's Eve. So that shows you how well this thing is doing. It's, it's a total fail. And well, Yeah, of course it's a total fail. Uh, this is a bigger fail than I've ever seen. I mean, on New Year's Eve... At four o'clock to have to be able to walk on and be the only ones on it. I mean, there were other people on the ride in the other pods, but the fact there's nobody in line and just the six of us in our own private pod, it was nice. It was the best experience I've had on this thing because 
there, there was no one else around there. It was, it was like we had our own little private thing, which you could actually buy for some exorbitant sum of money. Uh, by the way, how much do you think it was to buy your own private pod on New Year's Eve, the the nighttime when they're going to shoot off the fireworks at midnight? Uh, how much? I would do, guess like three, four hundred a person. Well, it's actually cheaper than that. It was two fifty per person, and up to twenty five. And you have to buy all twenty five people. Why is it twenty five? Because there's an open bar in each pod for this New Year's event. Not the thing we went to. There's an open bar in each pod, which of course is free, but it costs two fifty per person, and you have to buy all twenty five. You can't just buy twenty of them. You have to buy twenty five. So it's sixty two fifty to buy one of the pods. And if you want to go without buying a whole pod, it's two fifty per person. But for that two fifty. Because they don't turn the thing around while the fireworks are shooting, you're, you're like just stuck. If you just go, if you buy individually, you end up on one of the lower pods for $250 each. <laughs> so, I, I, I heard I, starting May 1st, we're actually going to start having some 8-5 video poker machines on this. <laughs> it's not a bad idea. Maybe they should. Idea, yeah. So, well, it, there's just so many. Like, I, I don't know why Caesars thought this was such a great idea. It, it doesn't make sense in Vegas for so many reasons. I mean, first of all, there are so many things that are taller than that Ferris wheel. It's not like this is a flat town where you're going to go up there and see over everything for views you couldn't see before. I mean, your room could be higher than the top of that thing. Yeah. So that's a weird thing. Also, you're blocked by like parking garages until you're a third of the way up. When you went on this, do they still have that spam going on the whole ride? Yeah, there's this obnoxious guy up there, and everybody everybody thinks this guy is awful. It's this like uh, narrator of the ride. It looks like a, a young pothead narrating the whole time. And I, I think they they believed this was going to be a young crowd on this thing, and it never is. It's always like, middle-aged people. So it's totally the wrong person for the demographic. But it's like this guy in his 20s who seems like a stoner. Who's, he even makes a 420 joke at one point during the uh, the narration. Really? And, and yeah, yeah. It sounds like, oh, we're 420 feet up. 420. Yeah. Uh, you know what that means? It means we're four fifths of the way up. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so it's something like that. So, but anyway, uh, everybody is annoyed by this guy, and that's another mistake they made. It's just kind of an annoyance to have there instead of having something understated, which is showing your how far you've gone up. And there, there is some interesting Vegas trivia they give, and there's an interesting thing they show up there where they show the building of it at, like, high-speed time-lapse. And that's interesting stuff to see, but that guy is, like, really an annoyance almost where you don't want to look up at the screen because the guy's such a douche. So, Did you go in the sweet uh, gift store? Oh, uh, we walk very fast fast through it, there. It, it, it's so comical. Like, it, it's... <laughs> The fact that they even have one, but that it's a decent size, and like people are going to buy a mug with a Ferris wheel on it, like I just, it's such a strange idea. Yeah. So I have something, by the way, that I haven't redeemed. I, I had ten tickets I could redeem. I needed. Oh, I only needed four. I thought I needed six, so I used up six. But I have four more left that are good till June thirtieth, which means part of the World Series. And the four I have left are the only four that come with the happy half, the happy half hour of drinks. To where you're allowed to sit there and drink. I don't know what they serve there, but you're allowed to have a half an hour's worth of alcoholic beverages before you ride. And, of course, then you have to pee the whole time up there for half an hour. But provided you can hold it pretty well or you, you urinate in the corner of the, of the pod. Uh, I have four of these to use, and I didn't redeem them because I thought maybe during the World Series, if somebody from PFA wants to ride this thing for free and have these free drinks beforehand, uh, th- they'll take some people if they want to go up with me. So I still have uh, four of those. 
So I saved that for the 30th, between now and the 30th of June. And I used the six ones I had for non-drinking. That is if the thing isn't out of business. I'll give up my burger bet with you if you take one of those one-on-one with Garrett for 40 minutes in a pod. (laughs) You know what would happen if I take it with Garrett? Like, he'll start out okay, and I'll say, oh, this guy's not that bad. Like, oh, this is – and then, like, by the end, he'll just be going crazy. At the end, he'll be, like, ranting like crazy. That kid's got some issues. Yeah. Yeah, he lashed out at Brandon recently for no reason, and Brandon did him a favor. Oh, did he? Yeah, Brandon, Brandon met with him. No, I know the favor. I'm saying, did he? I didn't. Yeah, know he lashed out on the forum, and yeah. I, you know, I'm not. I, to be honest, I didn't even want to meet him. I mean, I'm not taking on new people for the most part, and I did as a facilitator because see, money. Uh, to be honest, didn't want to meet him, <laughs> and uh, you know, he, they, you know, he backed him in this. Uh, I think it was a one thousand dollar tournament, and he promised him. So then I met see money. He's like, please do me this favor. I got stuff going on. Gave me the money, then I had to go meet him and told the kid, meet me by the Bellagio Tower, and he was in the garage. He's like, I don't see a tower. I'm like, where are you? What do you see? He's like, I see cars. I'm like, I. Yep. Yeah, that's great. So then apparently, I guess he was upset because of this, the sports betting forum that I didn't put him in it, but he never even asked me to. I, it just makes no sense. Yeah. He, he gets. That's the problem. He gets very sensitive and very crazy about some things, and. Sometimes he'll post messages that are very sane and coherent, and, and then a lot of times it's the exact opposite. So it's I probably drugs or alcohol. Yeah. So I, I, what I was reading yesterday made no sense. Yeah, that's what I see. And then like other times he'll post uh, some good and useful messages about the Atlantic City area. And, like there's been things he's brought to the forum that uh, have had some interest at least to me. But then other times he just rambles like a maniac. And, and yeah, yeah. But Todd, you, I mean, I'm not on the forums anymore. But, I mean, you used to always talk about the signal-to-noise ratio on 2 plus 2. I mean, Garrett's signal-to-noise ratio was like yeah. a million to 1. <laughs> a million to 1 that actually means it's good. He's a, thousand, a million uh, signals to one noise. No. You're giving him a compliment. Okay, so... Uh, also, oh, yeah, if you, are you still talking about the link? Think about this as a weird concept. Okay, think about this, Brandon, because you live there. Is there anything else in Vegas that ends in a dead end? Like, like that's the concept of this outdoor shopping mall, right? It goes east. Okay, it's not going up the strip. It's not going down the strip. So you go one way east to this big stupid Ferris wheel that you're going to ride once maybe. And then what? Walk back the same way you came past yeah, that all is the same weird. shops? Like that it's, it's, it's so weird. I guess they like didn't you're have not much, going anywhere through I guess it. They didn't have much choice. Though. That was where they had to build it. I guess. Yeah, but you know, I guess in all fairness, so if I just came out here. Maybe I'm, I'm 21, 22, 23, or whatever. Maybe I'm even older. I've never been to Vegas. I'm with my wife or my kids, and they all want to go on it. You know, think of how many suckers. You know what I mean? I think that's what it's for. Well, that's what course. they believed. But the thing is, it's just not getting the numbers anywhere near what they well, believed. Well, not for the not for the price that they want. Yeah, and the, you're and the, talking. I think I know during the day it's a little cheaper, but isn't it like thirty, thirty or forty during? Yeah, I think it's like thirty and like twenty or thirty during the day. I, mean, that, I think it's like thirty. 20. Yeah, like thirty-six yeah. and twenty-six. Yeah. So, like, I know I saved this this Brazilian fifty-two bucks because it was twenty-six for each of them, and I gave them free tickets. So, uh, you offer it to the Australians that are obsessed with you. Uh, I, I met them afterwards. But well, the, their their new plan actually, I don't know if you guys have heard this, which I think is smart and might work. Is they're going to put some actual like destination restaurants in the outdoor shopping thing, and uh, there's going to be three of them basically. Gordon Ramsay's going to open a restaurant in there, 
uh, fish well, there's, already, there's already, like, I think three or four restaurants in there. Yeah, but they're not, like, nobody's heard of them. They're all, they're well, not there's, destination. There's, a, there's right. a Yard House in there, which I, I yeah. know you probably aren't familiar with Yard House, but... Um, yeah, I know what it is, but, but yeah, that's not going to attract people by itself. But but they're adding a Gordon Ramsay. But that's what we chips. need in Vegas. We need another Gordon Ramsay or another Scott. Though. I mean, come on. Well, I'll, I'll tell you the two others that it's going to work. This is going to work because the other one is In and Out. That's going to be the only In and Out on the Strip. People will go there. And the other one is going to be Cantor's. If, if, yeah, the other ones. I'm sorry, Cantor's Deli. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, if you're that's that's a weird one. Like to put a Jewish deli right there. That's kind of odd. no, but I understand. It's it's a well-known deli. Well, I know, but they've had Cantor's and other places, and they've they failed. They had. Uh, I think the In and Out is going could be successful though. That's going to be well. A huge I mean, the In and Out's going to be successful for foot traffic. I mean, if you're yep. staying on this trip and you don't want to go to the closest one, which is off Tropicana in 15, you, you know, you'll walk over there. But then again, you know, a, a lot of that is just going to be for people that live in Southern California or, or have had an In-N-Out burger before and, you know, they know the brand. There's they, a lot of people on the East Coast that want to try it. They really that, are. That just want to eat a cheap meal and not have to pay, you know. Yeah, you know, no, I, I, I kind of wonder, do you think they're going to hike up the prices for that? Like they do for everything. I mean, everything. Oh, on this trip, uh, yeah, I bet they will. Yeah, for like, In-N-Out. I mean, yeah. The Subway's like, you know, $50. Yeah, every In-N-Out burger I've ever been to, it's the same price. You know, that, that's interesting because that that's a good question. In-N-Out is, they're very, very protective of the brand more than any brand I've ever seen. They are very, very protective. Not only don't they allow franchises, but they won't even allow you to call a specific store. If you've got a complaint, you have to call the main 800 number and complain to the main national office, which then uh, which then takes action. You know, the whole fucking company is owned by some chick. Oh, uh, that's that? be- that's because uh, her dad the- gave it, died, or something. He died happened. in a plane crash. Yeah, she, yeah, she's worth like. I think like four or five billion dollars. Well, yeah, it's because there's like executives in and out the diet. You know, she's, you know who she's dating? Or I, I've read this biography online about her. She's dating a fellow or a guy that she met that was like a burger guy in and out, like a burger. <laughs> I mean, obviously he isn't anymore. But can you imagine that jackpot? <laughs> Some in and out's interesting for another reason, and that is they have the model of overpaying all employees from managers on down. Uh, but then having very very high expectations of them, and uh, and it actually works to provide excellent service where everybody is like the managers of of these in and out stores. You wouldn't think of a fast food manager earning a lot of money; they make over a hundred k a year. The uh, the bottom I'm sure tier they're also working eighty ninety hours a week. I don't know how many hours they're working, but the the then the bottom tier employees there are making $12, $13 an hour, something like that, uh, way more than other fast food places. The reason for this is that they want to get a higher quality of employee there, and, and it goes from the top down. So they tell the manager, who's making 100 plus K a year, who knows that he'll never make money like this again managing fast food if he loses this job. And they tell, look, we are going to judge you based upon how many complaints we receive at the 800 number, valid or not. We, we receive complaints – then you've messed something up. So unless it's completely outlandish, where any complaint we think is semi-valid is a strike against you. If we get too many, you're fired. So that manager is on pins and needles all the time that his store will get complaints and he'll get fired and lose his dream job. So how tolerant do you think that manager is of the employees below him making mistakes? Obviously very intolerant because he knows that will get him canned. So I'm sorry. And again, I I, – maybe – I don't think I'm reading this wrong. I'm looking on. I just Googled 
salaries for In-N-Out Burger employees, and I'm on Bloomberg now, and it's saying that the average manager makes $11.50 an hour. That's wrong. Okay, I'm not. I'm, I'm just saying it says that then it has like the average cook makes thirteen forty nine an hour. No, the no. The, 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 How can the cook make more than the man? Yeah, see, that, yeah. That, that's where it's I'm wrong. Looking, okay, let me the, what the, what the, what the average they, cashier makes eleven ten. Anyhow, it's way above minimum wage. You know, no, the average court manager they're referring to there must be some yeah some cook over there. They, they, it's wrong. The, the store okay. manager on their on, on their website itself, In and Out Burgers employment website it says that you will start a new associate in any department. Will start at at least ten fifteen hour. Yeah. For one simple reason: you are the most important thing to us. Well, so so I'm telling you, the store manager, I'm telling you, the, the very top store manager of each location makes like a hundred k. That's what I've heard. So. Oh wow. Okay. Now here here's another one on businessinsider.com. Uh, the highest you'll make as a manager between seventy and one hundred twenty thousand dollars. There you go. You'll make as an assistant manager between forty and seventy thousand. And then compare. Okay, so going back to that one figure you said, if you top out at one hundred twenty thousand, um, the average, or I'm sorry, the median pay. This is according to Business Insider. This is amazing. The median pay for a fast food service manager in the industry is forty eight thousand a year, compared to ninety four thousand for the average in and out. Yes, yes. So, no, so now you know why they don't want to lose the job. So then they then they put the smackdown on their employees under them, saying. Uh, if you screw up, you're going to be gone because I'm not risking my job, my dream job. John you're not Everett Lee started out in 2002 at 10 bucks an hour, quickly moved his way up to 12.50, and now is a store manager making 100. Yeah, so now you see. So, so then the, the the employees who are now scared of the manager firing them, they are on best behavior because they don't want to lose the their fast food job that pays a lot more wow. than McDonald's and, and all the other ones down the street. So this is why the service is so good. And in the rare case you have a problem with in and out you have to just say the magic words. Well, okay, never mind. I'm just going to go home and call the 800 number and lodge a complaint. They will fall at your feet and do whatever you want. No matter who you are, you don't start out cooking burgers, actually. You start at the bottom with a towel in your hand, wiping down <laughs> tables before you can ever even cook That's a burger. That's why I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I once had an In-N-Out. Um, I, I, it was the one in Torrance, can California. Can you imagine doing that all day long? No, it's, it sucks. I know. but Even for 120000 I couldn't do it. <laughs> I mean, if I had a wife and I had children and I had a family and I you know, no other skill set, of course, but – can you just imagine, like being like the smell of burgers every, you know, just in that little confined space every day? No, it sucks. I agree. Listen, listen what this. do you even do as a manager? Do you just sit there? Do you watch well, everyone? Well, you watch everyone, make sure everything's being done right, and if and, and you, you, and, burgers, and you, you field any complaints. I don't know if you cook burgers, but you field any complaints. You make sure everything's running smoothly. Do you have that, an office? No, or you may have a little one in the back. I don't know. But listen to the story. Hang on, hang on. Listen to the story here. Uh, I went, I went down to the Torrance In and Out. This is many years ago, maybe twenty years ago. At the Torrance In and Out in California. It's a dangerous area for. A no, that's not a dangerous area. Torrance. Torrance is fine. What are you thinking? I'm thinking of Inglewood. Yeah. Okay. So, so I went. I went to the the Torrance In and Out, and something In and Out is you know because they have such strict standards. If they say they close at one a.m., they close at one a.m. They don't close at twelve fifty-five. They don't close at twelve fifty. They close at one a.m. So, I got there at twelve fifty-five. Not twelve fifty-five on my watch, but a real twelve fifty-five. I got there. I pulled up. Sorry, sir, we're closed. Well. The thing was not close to me. It was this in and out was uh, a good ten to fifteen minute drive from where I lived. So that's the closest from your location. Yes, at the time? yes, it wasn't close. So so hmm. yeah, so it was a pain in the ass. So I was pissed. I was sure I was going to be there in time. 
Like if, I'm not talking about getting their 1259. I got the 1255. It's clearly 1255. They just they were slow that night and closed early, which pissed me off. They're just not supposed to do it. This isn't like a mom and pop place which can do it. Uh, in and out, their corporate rules say they're absolutely positively not supposed to do that. So they did. So they tried to tell me they're closed. I told them you can't do that. I said I, I want. Uh, I'm expecting this. I drove all the way here. I'm not turning around empty-handed. I'm sorry, sir. We we were very slow. We closed for the night. I'm really sorry. We're cleaning up already. Please come back tomorrow. I said okay. I'm going to call the 800 number and and, t- and tell them you close at 1255. Uh, hang on, sir. We're going to make your burger for you. So that was it. Yeah, they were terrified that I was going to call the 800 number. That, that something like that. And I, I wasn't trying to be a dick. It's, I drove I drove all that way, and they did something they weren't supposed to. Because they, you know, as a customer of In and Out, that they're open exactly until the time they say they're open till. So you don't ever have to worry when you drive there if you if you show up with the, And by the way, for those of you that think uh, you know you shouldn't show up at 1255 when a place closes at one, that's not true. Corporate places that close at a, at a certain closing time, the employees are expected to stay all the way up until you know however long it takes to make the food for uh, anyone who gets there before closing time. Those are the rules. If you don't like that, you shouldn't work at that type of place. But uh, you know, I, if I, if I if it was right next door, I'd say okay, cool, no problem, go back home. It was the fact that I drove like ten to fifteen minutes to get there. So uh, I, did I lose? I think we lost everybody. We did. Lose I'm here. No, no, you're here. I'm here. How come I see everybody missing? I hear you. We lost Trader Ruski. He was on? <laughs> well, I know uh, Daredevil said he'd be right back. Oh, we lost him too. That's weird. I, I, it's showing everybody's gone. He says BRB. You know, the first Nevada in an outburger, I'm sorry, the first non California in an outburger was the one opened on Tropicana and I 15 Las Vegas. The first one in Nevada, right? The first one that was not in the state of California. Their, expand, their first expansion outside of California was the In-N-Out Burger right near the Strip on 15 and Trop in Las Vegas. Huh. I, this is so weird. Is it, it's showing that nobody's here on this call. It's just, it's, I'm sorry. She was also the, the owner of In-N-Out Burger. It's worth $7 billion. She is a granddaughter of the original founder and lived for many years in secrecy mostly because she survived two kidnapping attempts when she was younger. Wow. She also went to a private school that was started by her family, specifically to give her the education they wanted her to have. <laughs> Brandon, I, I have to tell you something here. I, I'm very disturbed right now because you're on a call that you shouldn't be. The call's over. But you're, 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 just, you're just here somehow. Like, like everything's gone, but you're just, your presence is still being felt. It's like, it's like the force. So um, I still see us being connected. I see the time it, it, we've been it, it disconnect on my end. It's showing everything's off. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to hang up on. I don't know how to hang up on it. Actually, you hang up on me because I, I don't have any way to end this call because it's just gone. I don't want to go though. No, I'm going to reconnect everybody. I kind of like it like this. <laughs> it's warm. It's cozy. You seem a little scared. Don't don't make me shut down Skype and start this all over. I will. Maybe that's just what you're going to have to do then. It's such a disaster. It just like the, the thing Wait, just how disappeared. How can we be talking if you don't see us connected? It, it yeah, just, also, I see it all. Connected. What the hell? See, you're here too. See, it shows it's not here. Well, I don't know what you're doing over there, Todd. Brandon and I are fine. It shows there's no call. It I'm shows seeing that, all of us connected. I think. Yeah, it's nothing's like, changed on my. Some, something happened here. As soon as Trader Ruski dropped off, the whole thing just got weird. It says call ended, and that's it. Well, maybe you should have got that update. <laughs> Okay, I, I'm, I'm shutting down Skype. What does this say? It said Todd would tell us Ronald. 
I don't, I'm seeing some weird message. I probably shouldn't even read this because I don't know if this is something private. I'm seeing something about you with Amazon.com. It's a book that you ordered. I thought you ordered that book, Brandon. No, or no, you didn't. You order the iPhone case. Oh, that's from that. Why am I? I don't know. That? I don't know. Here, let me. I'm gonna disconnect you. Reconnect you guys again. All right. All right. I don't know what the I hell happened. He... I don't know what happened here. Skype ended the call, but I kind of just kept them on in, in a phantom mode. It was really weird. I've never seen this before. It's all Trader Ruski's fault. He hung up, and then everything went to hell. I don't want to upgrade. I'm just going to log back in, start everything over. Sometimes that's what you have to do. You just have to wipe everything clean and start over. I'm going to slowly reconnect everybody here. Trader Ruski, since he started this whole thing, I'm going to connect him first, actually. To be the answer. Okay, Trader Ruski, you're you're here. For some reason, you dropping off just created a chain reaction that screwed everything up for me. Weird, because I just walked out of the Bellagio and I wasn't connected to Wi-Fi or anything, so it really shouldn't have affected it. But now, now, I, now I can't connect Brandon. It says he's busy. <laughs> Jeez. Okay, can I try to connect on uh, Daredevil? What's happening, Daredevil? No, he's not here yet. I, I I put you on first. Since you were the first to go, I put you back first. Watch, they're just like all not going to be reachable. I know this is going to happen. Like, I, yeah, I can't reach either of them. This is so weird. Oh, well, I'm here. Oh, you're I here. Oh, you're here. oh Brandon came back. Okay, now we got to get Daredevil. I never went anywhere. <laughs> I can't get Daredevil back now. This is so weird. What's going on here? What's happening, Brandon? <laughs> Traderuski, what's up, buddy? Doing well. There's my little buddy. Are you, are you in Vegas? Yeah, I'm in Vegas. Okay, we, we've got the whole gang back, and I think. Uh, yeah, I shot you a Twitter uh, message. but um, It seems like I send you a Twitter message, and then you respond like five days. Then I respond like five days. We have like a lapse of almost a week between response time. Maybe uh, DM me your, your cell. We can go do that I route. Maybe, maybe direct message me your cell phone number. Yeah, I'll do that. How, how long are you here for? I'm here till Saturday. Are you here with the assistant? The assistant is here. Of course. <laughs> of course the assistant is there. Uh, is your your name isn't known out there, right? I was going to ask where you're staying at because if no one knows who you are, they, you know. Druff says I don't think staying so. sometimes and they'll call the hotel. And, yeah, you know, whenever I say where I'm staying, someone always rings the hotel. Always. Trop- where are you? Tropicana. Okay. Nice. All right. So so let, let's go to the next topic here, Brandon. You'll find interest in this because I know uh, you did this. I pl- did you read my write-up yet about playing the Limit Hold'em 6 Max? Okay. So I, I played this spot. I, I admit I was kind of tired towards the end. I, I squeezed it in during a family vacation when everyone, everyone else was sleeping. But uh, I earned 1,614 tier credits in about six hours. Uh, I didn't play as fast as I could have, but uh, I played fairly fast after I got the hang of it. Uh, I was up as much as $200 at the beginning. I did well, and then I went into a tailspin at the end where I was getting sucked out on every hand. I finished down $451.25, meaning uh, since I wagered $16,140, that was a 2.8% hold. Uh, here are some things I noticed. Brandon, you can tell me if you agree with some things. I so When I played it, I was surprised by some things that I hadn't really seen anyone else report. First of all, the bot does not bluff. No, I said that too. For some reason, I don't remember that. Okay. It does not bluff. So, for example. I made a point of saying it's directly opposite than the uh, 
heads up button, which will bluff. This uh, yeah. will never bluff. Yeah, so yeah, I remember. Okay, I guess I guess I missed that. I'll call you down light, but I won't bluff. Yes, right. So so let's say the bot has a nine ten of spades, and the board comes seven of spades, eight of spades, three of hearts. Well, that's obviously a huge flop for it, and it will raise you on the flop with a hand like that, with a huge draw. Uh, but uh, what if it misses the turn and misses the river, and you've got something like a six high? Uh, is it going to bet the river? Well, a human opponent. Often will. It's been firing the whole way. You've been showing weakness the whole way. It may just fire because it knows if it checks behind uh, 10 high is never going to win. The bot will never do that. The bot will absolutely never fire something like 10 high in the river. The bot will never bluff raise you on the river. Uh, it will sometimes do what it thinks is a value bet when it's actually a very bad value bet. Sometimes Let me ask you, by the way, how, how long did it take? Or maybe you, you – I know what, – what's the guy that wrote the uh, original write-up? John, um, Mah- John Mahaffey. Yeah, he noticed it the same way I did. Did it take you a while to figure out how to just have, if you're out of a hand immediately, to get to the next hand right No, away? because both you and him had talked about it. So oh, I, yeah, that's right. I, I, I knew did, but did you watch how it will actually play itself out? Yes. If you don't? Yes, okay. it's funny. It's kind of okay. weird. Yeah, it is, it is weird. I don't know so, if that's for, like, integrity purposes, just so you could actually, you know what I mean? Yeah, it probably it's is strange you can sit there and actually watch all the action, and you're not even in the hand. Yeah. Like, you're staring at a slot mas- machine watching a play. <laughs> it is weird. So... Uh, so if it's betting the river, it always has a hand with some kind of showdown value. Sometimes it'll look like king high, but but usually not. Usually it will bet uh, – it, 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 bets, it bets the river a lot of times based upon your actions. So a lot of times it will check the river back if uh, if it thinks that you're calling down with something superior. So it really uh, – it, it re- never outright bluffs the river, never bluff raises you, never bets something like 10 high, never. No matter. It colludes with its friends. It does collude with its friends. We'll get to that. So uh, next thing, of course, you've talked about that, Brandon. John talked about it. Never bluff it because it will – one of those five bot opponents that you're playing, you're playing against five computerized opponents, uh, at least one of them will just about always call you down with anything, even weird hands like queen high, jack high, ten high. So uh, you'll never get all – just about never get all five well, of them to think fold. think of it like any other six-max game. Usually somebody will have some piece of something. Well, it's not just that. Uh, it's that. But they don't all see the flop. So – uh, but but even if they don't have a piece, you're, you're never going to get – not never, but you're very rarely going to get them to fold. So it's not worth trying to fire, fire, fire to get them to fold. And that really changes the strategy versus uh, a normal six-max game uh, where you're playing against you know two or three oppo- – you know, one, two or three opponents where you can sometimes bet them off. Uh, they're not going to call down with a horrible board. This This will. So don't bluff and don't just go bet, 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 bet the whole way. If you don't have anything, you're not going to win. And that's also going to change your strategy in some other ways. A raise pre-flop. Now, before I go to what a raise means, this is a little bit weird in that everybody antes at the beginning, which limit hold'em normally doesn't have. And that's where the. I mean, do you think that's where the edge is? Like, if you didn't have to, because then you could. If there wasn't an ante, you could play a lot more tighter. Yeah, you can still play tight, and I'll get to that. That's well, a, right, but at some point you have to play hands, and that that will explain to me this then. I found a stretch where I just was getting hand after hand. I, I read what you're right up that you'll make up for it with the pots you win. But say you get 20, 30 hands in a row that really just aren't playable Then, then you just have to eat it. And you just have to eat that it. That was your strategy. You just give up the antes even if it's yes, and, know, and, and finding Ga- out 40, 50, 60, yes, 70 bucks. And, and Gabo Boy played, has played it a lot too, and I've talked to him about it, and he told me that – I'm sorry, go ahead. Gabo Boy said that uh, that he, he thought the same thing. So so let, let me uh, tell you about its uh, the, the raises. So I'm telling you this more for the audience, not you. I know you know it, Brandon. But the 
once everybody's anteed, you can do something in limit hold'em you normally can't do. You can check pre-flop. In limit hold'em, normally, there's a blind bid out there, and that's already considered the first bet, so there's no such thing as checking. You've either got to call or fold. There's no checking. But since you've just put in anteys, keep losing daredevil. Since you keep putting in anteys, uh, then you can check. So anything that's not checking, meaning betting or raising a bet that's already out there, are considered raises. So a bet is a ra- what I'd consider a raise. Uh, raising the initial bet is a re-raise because otherwise everyone can just check around. So a so what this means is you technically can play total trash. I don't advise it, but you can because let's say you're dealt seven deuce offsuit. If everybody checks, uh, well, sometimes you will see this flop of seven deuce offsuit. If everybody checks, you will. You, you're never gonna even though you can, you never should fold for for free. That would make no sense. So. When a bet is made by the bot... Yeah, but is, did you see a lot of hands where you actually got to see it for free? I didn't. I saw some, yes. Well, I didn't say I didn't see some. No, no, I, I, I saw a surprising... It a, no, it wasn't that rare for me. Maybe it's changed. Huh. I've seen it. I saw a number of them. I wouldn't say that was the majority, really? but it, it, it happened where it wasn't a, a fluke. So uh, any kind of raise pre-flop by the bot, including a bet instead of a check, means a real hand. That means, like, big cards of queen-10 offsuit or better or a pocket pair so uh if it's got something like king seven suited it's just going to check uh if, if it's uh it's going to be raising not all the time sometimes it'll even check the queen 10 queen jack but uh it will sometimes bet that if it's if it's uh checked to it pre-flop but worse than that you're rarely going to see a bet it's just going to check so if you're seeing it open raise like that or open bet that means they're holding either big or semi-big cards or a pocket pair. So that means it's already given off a, a tell to you, and that's your cue to drop trash and semi-trash hands. That includes like even weak aces. If, you, if someone is betting ahead of you and you've got ace-3 offsuit, toss it. I, I believe that's the right thing to do. And in fact, when I did that, anecdotal evidence... So many times I saw them showing down bigger aces where I would have flopped an ace and lost. Uh, there were, and, and yes, I saw sometimes I, I would have won because they had queen 10, I had ace 3, and either we both missed or, uh, or uh, you know, I, I would have flopped the ace and, and beaten them. But there were so many times it did that and a bigger ace was up against me because it doesn't do that with any ace. It'll also check with, with a weak ace. So a bet against you, you need to throw away trash and semi-trash hands. Uh, now, what if you've got like a drawing type hand? What if you have a 7-8 suited? What if you've got even a 7-8 offsuit? What do you do? Well, we'll get to the draws shortly, but uh, I, I think it's okay to call bets there. But not. But what if there's a 3-bet or what's equivalent to a bet and a raise? Or what if it's a 4-bet, a bet and two raises? Well, a 3 or 4-bet seems to always mean ace-queen or better. It seems to me like ace-queen or pocket eights or above. Ace, queen, ace, king, pocket eights or above. It's, it, you can pretty much narrow it down to that. So if you're seeing that, it's pretty serious business, and, and then you should be even tighter if you see that ahead of you. Uh, if it, if, now, let's say you check. Let's say you're under the gun with queen three offsuit, and you check. And then it goes, check, 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 check. No, so it goes check, and then the guy to your left bets, and then it's call, 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 call all the way around to you. So now you have five, uh, a bet, four calls, and you're the last to act. You would think, okay, I can see it for the minimum, or almost the minimum for one bet. I should, in case I flop something a uh, fluke, you know, like like a uh, two pair or whatever. I have determined. I'm not positive on this, but I've, I've determined you still should fold there. 
because you're going to get yourself in trouble with that hand so many times or get sucked out on so many times. Like even if you flop, uh, you know, if it flops queen eight three and you're happy with the queen three, uh, you're against queen ten. Uh, so many times you're going to get counterfeited in some way and you're going to be screwed. And if you don't flop two pair, then you're not all that confident with going crazy with raising with it. Because sometimes the bot's going to go nuts with raise, 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 and you have to pound it with four bets on every street with a hand that's not even close to the nuts. And you don't want to do that, And if, especially if you're caught between two razors. I once got caught between two razors when I had jack five, and it turned out I would have won because it was two bots with middle pair, or one with middle pair, one with a draw, and they're raising each other on, on every street. I folded and ended up I would have won on the river because I, I had the best hand the whole way. But uh, so you want to avoid those uh, those semi trash hands or those those you know one big one small card offsuit type hands, even for one bet. If if it's check around, fine, because it's checked around, then uh, you're seeing it for free and you could fluke into something really nice. But you you shouldn't invest one penny into that, is my opinion. I also find that when it's a heads up pot between you and the bot, you and one other bot opponent, which does happen sometimes that it will check behind on the turn a lot, even if it's got something big. So it'll sometimes check a monster on the turn behind, and then when you bet the river, it raises you. This especially happens a lot if there's an obvious one-card draw, like 3, 4, 6, 7 on the turn, and it has the 5. It will check that behind heads up a lot, or sometimes even multi-way, because it wants to feign weakness, it doesn't want you to fold, and then wants you or something else to bet into it, and then you're stuck paying the raise. So... Just because it checks on the turn does not necessarily mean weakness, especially when it's in position. It also likes to check behind a lot on the flop if it has ace-king that missed, so if it or ace-queen that misses. So if it four-bets you, and then the flop is 7-3-3, three, three, and, and uh, let's say uh, you, know, you have a pocket pair, let's say you have an over pair, you have nines, you want to check-raise it, or you want whatever it is, it, uh, it will check that behind a lot when it's got big cards that missed. Uh, it's if it raises you on the turn in a multi-way pot, that's usually serious business. So if a, if a player that has been passive so far, let's say you have queen 10 and the board was queen 4-5, and you've been leading the betting on the flop. If a king hits the turn, you bet, and an opponent raises you in a multi-way pot, it's almost always got the king or better. So at that point, you either need to fold or, or call one more and drop the river. Because uh, that's almost always indicative that it's got something big. Sometimes heads up, it will uh, it will get fancy and do that with uh, um, a weaker hand than yours. Not bluff, but but do like a, a value raise that is not correct. But multi-way, when it does that, you're dead. Now, here's the thing that's most disturbing. And Brandon, I, I assume you noticed this too, the collusion. Do you notice the collusion? Of course. Yeah. The collusion is very disturbing. And in fact, I'm surprised this is I got is legal. fucked with it once. I think I had either like a... It was a non-nut flush. It was like a jack or queen high flush, and I got so trapped in it. And they were going back and forth, and one of them, of course, had the ace high flush, and the other had like a six high flush, but it was obvious what they were doing. It just, it was nuts. I just, you know. Well, I, that was the first time I was playing it within the first few hands, so I just didn't know. Yeah, so I, I got, I noticed that it tries to figure out if you have a draw. And if it does, the two or sometimes even three bot players will endlessly raise each other with mediocre holdings just to charge you. So here's an example. Let's say the board is jack of hearts, seven of spades, four of spades, and you have king ten of spades. So you only have king high, but you have a, a good flush draw. Well, let's say one bot has jack six offsuit for a top pair weak kicker, and the other one has jack two offsuit for a top pair even weaker kicker. 
they will often go four bits on the flop and four bits on the turn without improvement, provided the third spade does not fall and an overcard doesn't fall. Why? Because it knows there's a a possible flush draw out there. And if it starts noticing you calling a lot of bets, it will assume you have a draw and they will charge you. And they don't care about charging each other because they're playing with the same money. So this is collusion. If if this was found that uh, players were doing this in a live card room, they'd be kicked out. You're not allowed to do that. You are not allowed to uh, collude with another player and say, hey, I bet that guy over there has a draw. We're going to keep raising each other. Right, so so how is that legal? What's I don't know. The rationale that it's just one machine playing against you, so it's just the divisions of hands are arbitrary? It might be. That might be the only way. I, I don't know how it is. Maybe the gaming commission is not aware of this. It's weird. But it, I definitely noticed it. But then on the flip side, if you do flop a monster you know, or make a monster hand, you could also be the result of it. Yes, yes. So I, I, I did gain on some hands where, where it, it wrongly suspected. I don't think it can see your whole cards and do this. I think it does it when just based on the board and, and the way you're playing. And even if you try to pound it back with raises, sometimes it doesn't care and it'll just keep pounding you back with and raises. The other, the other thing you have to understand, too, the way it works, is um, that slot machine right now is there under what's called basically uh, beta testing. Do you know what this means, Jeff? Yeah, they're they're trying to see how it works out. It's before, only... it's, it's not, well, yeah, well, that's part of the beta testing. But before any new slot machine, whether it's some new sort of video poker or, or you know, even a little poodle game, you know, a typical like video, you know, slot machine type type game can get approved. It's put on the casino floor in, in a beta testing mode, and that gives patrons a chance to play it for the, the casino to gauge its popularity. For gaming to look at the hold, if there are any complaints, for them to review that. So then, anyhow, normally that means it's out for anywhere from like two to four months. And then it will be removed. It has to be removed. And then the owner or proprietor of the game can apply for a permanent license for it. And then at that point, gaming will look at the numbers. Uh, if there's any you know issues like what you're bringing up now with... You know, the colluding, you know, and it's brought to their attention. They'd look at that. And then once it's given to a permanent, and once it's given a permanent license, then if the owner wanted to, he could try to sell them, or I should say lease them to other casinos on the strip or anywhere, you know, anywhere in the world, actually. So that game is going to, one way or the other, that game is going to be gone soon. I don't know if you remember this because you were kind of in on it in the beginning, but not the early beginning. The same thing happened with the heads up machines. Yeah, I didn't know that. And everyone wrote, you know, remember there was this big thread on 2 plus 2. Where are they? Where are they? Red Rock pulled them out because that was you know, the, the first place that had them. But in fact, they didn't pull them out. Once the beta testing period ends, they have to, by law, remove them. Um, so anyhow, that's, that's the next step. So the game isn't approved yet. Okay. Under, you know, and there's some other word for it. I don't know. I'm just using the term beta testing because that's yeah. kind of basically what that's it is. That's an interesting piece of information. I didn't know all that. Yeah. So, so uh, it, the, the collusion thing is very annoying. And, yes, if you flop a monster against it when it appears you have a draw, then you could make a lot of money. But I, I, towards the end, I lost a lot of money because I kept flopping draws. And, and it, I was getting pounded by, like, top pair, bad kicker, and middle pair. Four bits on each street, and I'm going, what the hell? And then, and then in other hands, where I've got uh, top pair good kicker or two pair on a dry board, like, like King 7-3 Rainbow, uh, then they're not doing the same thing when they've got top pair bad kicker and middle pair. They're, they're, they're much more passive. So I, I definitely noticed that if it suspects a draw is what you're holding, which I must try to determine in various ways without actually looking at your cards, 
then they will collude against you and try to charge you the absolute maximum to catch them, which unfortunately lowers the value of draw hands because uh, now it's much more expensive to make draws. And uh, uh, this is similar like a no-limit hold'em. Drawing hands are less valuable than limit hold'em unless you can play in such a style to where you can scare people with made hands that your drawing hands are actually already made hands. But other than that, it's much tougher to play drawing hands in no limit because people can charge you so much more for them, especially if they suspect you have a draw. Or in limit hold'em, even if people realize you've got a flush draw, straight draw, they can't get you off of it. And if you hit it, you hit it. And So this is their way of charging you the max when you have a draw. And I, I had a combination of just missing a lot of draws and the few I made... Uh, I would get screwed or have a super cooler like I, you know, the, the flush draw that makes it for me makes a full house for someone, things like that. So right. Also, your implied odds are less because you said they never bluff on the river. Yeah, yeah. So, so that also decreases the value. Yes, and also here's another thing that decreases the value: the bots, while they will while they will pound when your draw hasn't hit yet, they're very aware when the draw hits. So if the draw does hit, we lost Trader Ruski, by the way. If the draw does hit and it thinks you have a draw. Suddenly Make everybody sure checks. On? Yes. Suddenly everybody checks. So so this also lowers the value of draw, drawing because uh, uh, as crazy as they go, they're aware that you have made your draw and then suddenly check to you and you make fewer bets at that point. Uh, now let me get to the part about being tight. Uh, I feel that dominated hands. I know John Mahaffey agrees with this as, as does Gobble Boy. Dominated type hands like King Three Offsuit and uh, any kind of semi trash hand that doesn't really have anywhere to go. Uh, just it's not that valuable. You're going to run yourself into trouble, and I feel that the real way you make money against the bot is by getting a lot of value out of the hands you're very confident with, where you where you just feel like you've got this one. Yes, it, it, flukes can happen, and, and uh, hands you don't expect can beat you, and bad beats happen, but, but hands where you're happy to put in a lot of money, thinking you're ahead, uh, where can, hands like King 3 Offsuit, you're rarely thinking, oh, I've got this one. Oh, this one I'm going to win. And so there you're putting in a lot of money and not knowing if you're going to see a better kicker showdown, a uh, better two pair showing down. So though there's not a lot of upside to those hands, and you're, they're going to charge you a lot of money. And, uh, and also, again, sometimes you'll get stuck in the collusion type thing where you're just stuff – like I, I, I'm telling you, I once got stuck on a board that, was, that had draws on it where I had jack five with top pair. And because it suspected I had draws, it put four bets in on every street, and finally on the river I folded, and I was shocked to see that I had the best hand without improving further. So uh, Now, I was very good at making laydowns, by the way. I, I only made two bad – that was one. I only made two bad laydowns the whole way. But you can, you can look at all the cards. So the whole time I played in the six hours, I only made two bad laydowns the entire time. So that, uh, that show, And it wasn't that I wasn't making laydowns. I was making a lot of them. So I, I had a very good feel for the laydowns. But uh, I, I feel that you just need to be tight and uh, you need to fold the trash and semi-trash hands and especially respect the raises pre-flop. The pre-flop gives away a lot of tells. If they're, if they're open raising, you know, open betting, that means they've got big cards or a pocket pair. If, uh, if they're three betting or four betting, that's real serious business. Ace, queen are better. Eight, pocket eights are better. So uh, as I mentioned, dump trash and semi-trash with any kind of raise in front of you. Uh, I've also mentioned that you won't win without a showdown in almost all the hands. So raising pre-flop and firing away is not as valuable as it is in limit hold'em, where a lot of times you can win 
with absolutely nothing just because people fold. They don't like the board. You know, you, you, uh, you let's say you, it's folded to you in limit hold'em in the cutoff, and you have nine ten suited. So you raise, and it, it, and the small blind and big blind call you, and the board comes a seven three. So you've completely airballed it. Well, you can bet the flop, and if if one of them has queen ten, and the other one has uh, five eight suited, they're they're going to both drop, and you're going to win it with with ten high. But this is not going to happen with the bot. With the bot, someone's going to call you down. The queen ten's probably going to call you down there. So uh, don't don't bother. That that really takes down the value of of raising pre and just firing. Now here's a concept I came up with that I'll see if you agree with Brandon. It's uh, something that's very counterintuitive for poker. I feel that raising an early position is more valuable and can be done with a wider range than raising a late position. Tell me why. What, what is your thinking? Here's my thinking. Uh, in conventional poker, just regular poker, uh, where you play against human opponents, uh, you have a much r- wider opening range in late position because the hands that have already f- there's already hands folded in front of you. There's no such thing as checking in, in regular poker. So if it goes fold, fold, fold to you, there's already hands out of there. So you know that. Fewer players left to act. Smaller chance that there's people who are going to three-bet you with, with a premium hand because there's others out already. Uh, and also you have position. So that's why you do it in regular poker. Most of you know that. But here's different. First of all, if it's checked to you, nobody's folded yet. So it's not like fold, fold, fold to you. It's check, check, check to you, meaning that these players who have uh, already checked to you may still stay in the hand. Uh, so, so that advantage is gone. There's a realistic chance that everyone or most of them will still call if you raise at this point in late position. Also, when you raise in late position, especially on the button, you're not buying any positional va- advantage because you already have position. If you raise on the button, you're not buying the button. You still have you're having the button no matter what. Whereas if you raise an earlier position and get some people to fold, and the, the bot does fold pre-flop, you can, you can get yourself the button that way. So, um, and, and so you can induce fold and, and buy the button that way, which helps you post-flop. Furthermore. If it goes check, 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 check to you and you're on the button and you raise, you're getting very few tells out of what the computer has because you're just going to get call, 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 call. And uh, you'll know they don't have any premium hands, but you're not going to know much because at that point uh, they start – they just tend to call you much more. If you raise an early position, you're more likely to get fold, and the ones that call you or re-raise you, then you can start putting them on hands a lot more. Then you can start no, – like if somebody re-raises you, then you know what what its range is with, with re-raising. You know what it probably has. You're very – a fairly narrow range of what they have, and the ones that call you, even there, you know that they have to have something real. Otherwise, they're just there. If you raise early position, you're not going to get called by ten uh, three offsuit. Typically, it's going to drop that. It's going to drop the total trash. So, you're going to have a lot better idea of where you are. For whereas in late position, if it's check 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 to you, then you're going to have very little idea other than that you're not against premium hands. And raising a late position is not going to do much for you anyway because you're not going to bet everybody off. So what is it really doing for you? So I feel that, uh, uh, like, if you get Dell Jack 9 offsuit, I feel that that's okay to raise an early position because then you can kind of define where you are in the hand and also off, sometimes get the button or, or get the button minus one opponent, whereas if you get it, if it's check, 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 check to you on the, on the button with Jack 9 offsuit, you just check. That's, that's my theory. It's not, it, otherwise, raising on the button with Jack Nine Officers is not going to do you anything. It's not going to do you any good. I agree. Okay, so that's that's a weird thing. So, 
raise an early position, open raise with early position more than, than late. Now, as the far highest as, you were up was how much? $200. And you lost how much? 450 yeah, that's, that was my that's exactly what I lost, somewhere in that same range. But I think I played like 16 I, times as much as you I, did. did. Yeah, you? you played a lot longer than I did. I, I noticed that you said that the verdict was still out on your opinion whether you think it's beatable. But I think – and I guess there's a novelty to go back and just play it. You know, I agree, but at the stakes that it offers, and there's no reason to think it's going to up the stakes. Is it even worth it? No, I mean, as, far, as far as earning enough tiers, as far as well, you can't. Well, you can't get enough tiers. See, this is it. For I, what though? You can't grind it for diamond in a day. I mean, uh, you, you, you well, you can if you spend the whole day there. How, what did you get? You said fifteen, sixteen hundred. I, I got sixteen hundred in about six hours, and I didn't play as fast as I could have because I was okay. taking notes and other things. So, if you were going a lot faster next time, and you're not taking notes, how many tiers can you earn an hour? Uh, maybe like uh, three fifty. And then, what is it at Caesars? Is that now? I don't even remember. It's at five thousand for diamond in a day. So you'd have to play sixteen hours. No, 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 not anywhere near that. Uh, well, three hundred tiers an hour. No, three like three fifty. Okay, so then that's. What, 14, 14, that's a yeah, it's, it's a lot of hours. hours. It's a lot of hours. Now, what you would do normally with this is you play twenty five hundred tiers and just uh, and make diamond in uh, in two days. Three hundred an hour. That's not a lot. The three fifty. No, I'm telling you, I played six hours. I, I listen. I played six hours, not that fast, with taking notes and, and taking. Well, then also some of it was at lower. How long were you at the lower stakes? Not for? not very long. Okay. But that's another thing. That's another thing that was a little slower. So I'm telling you, I could, I could probably – and Gobble Boy noticed the same thing, like 300 to 400 you could probably do playing normally. Uh, it, it, to make 2,500 – sucks. If they had two of these machines in it, it would almost be worth it because then you and a buddy could play. Yeah, but I'll tell you, I found it, I, I found it interesting. I, I, I had fun with it. So like the six hours went by very, very fast. So I, I wouldn't. Well, there's a big difference though between that and doing it again for 14. No, I know 14 might be a bit much, much, but I, I'm saying to do like I, I could probably grind out 2,500 with it and then get the 5,000 bonus. And uh, now, would I want to do 20 days of it? Well, that's uh, to make seven star. That's that's tough. But if you want to make diamond, you just do two days of that and you've got it. So, what is seven star this year? How many tiers? The same thing. 150. Still 150. And then you get the 5,000 bonus for 2,500 or 10,000 bonus for 5,000. Has that been confirmed that that's the same for this year? Yes. 25 is 5 and then yes. 5 is 10? Yes. It's almost the identical program this year as last year. Yeah. So, so. Uh, I, but what's, and what's your expected loss? Well, so I, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't figure it out because uh, I don't know. I, I don't, I wasn't playing. I, I figured a lot of this out as I went along. So. Uh, and and even some things I, at the end, I, I made a few mistakes at the end. I started because I, I I was getting tired at the end and just making I wasn't playing the best that I could have played, and uh, I was calling down too light some things. Like at the end, I kind of analyzed what I did. You're and trying thought, to chase losses. <laughs> uh oh. Uh oh. When the you fun stops. When the fun stops. Yeah, you notice how it says when, not if. <laughs> so here, here's some other things. The bots will trick. Will get tricky. Uh, they will sometimes uh, uh, call you names. That and they'll they'll bet the flop. They'll sometimes bet the flop. The trash talk. They'll, they'll sometimes bet the flop out of position. Check to you. Can you imagine a little slot machine? The little letters G A Y. That would be fun. That would be fun if they called me names. They should have that. They should have a machine that taunts you. Player but, equals joke. <laughs> When it when it bets into the the type of tricky stuff it does, like it'll bet into you on the flop. You call, then the turn it checks, and you're like, "Oh, I've got it now." I bet it has ace high. You bet, and it check raises you. So like it does it does do things like that. The so machine you, tells you they're the best Iraqi 
slot machine in the world. <laughs> yeah. So so that so you got to watch out for those tricks. But at the same time, it will sometimes bet the flop and then check when it has a weak hand. So you so got what's to, the verdict? Play or don't play? I, I'm going to try again. I, I don't well, know. But for the people listening, do you well, uh, for do the you people listening, uh, I, I was going to say that at the end. I think if you want to take a shot at this, you have to be good enough at Limit Hold'em to beat like a live 10-20 Limit Hold'em game. And if you can't do that, then you shouldn't play because you won't have the fundamentals of Limit Hold'em down enough to play this thing. Even though this How is... mad were you when you lost the 450 at the end? Were you mad? I wasn't that mad because I had fun with it and, uh, and, and I... I... Chase the 450... At... Some other way? No, I don't know, a game. A no, I, I no, I didn't have uh, the whole day. I had to work, deal with that stupid tire, actually. So, I, uh, I, I didn't have any time to chase anything. But, uh, th- so here's another thing: you should bet your hand immediately. If you flop top pair, uh, in most cases, don't try to check raise. Don't try to get fancy. Just, just bet out. You, you, because it checks behind a lot. Uh, it gets scared very easily if it misses, uh, especially multi way. Uh, with, the, with the information you have now, do you think it could be beat? Maybe. Maybe. I think with the information I have now, I, I'm willing to take a shot at it and see if I could beat it or, or come close to breaking even. Uh, because there's... But, I mean, you get down, you said 450, and that's kind of the point I was at. At that point, I was like, you know what? I'm probably not going to get it back. And, of course, I, I think I played, I don't remember, maybe an hour and a half or so. But you said you got like 100 but... tiers. I played like 16 times what you did. I mean, I played an hour and a half. But it doesn't matter. The tier shows how much you bet. Yeah, I, well, I was playing the highest limit. Well, I don't know what happened here, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm t- maybe because you didn't. Well, the other the guy, what did, didn't he get? What, how many tiers did he say? He, he claimed got? he got. He, he claimed he, he. I don't know how many he actually got, but he said he played the lower stakes, and had he multiplied it to the higher tiers, he would have gotten a thousand an hour. Which me and me well, and that, Gobble, That's my point. Something no, is screwed. No, me, me and me and Gobble Boy figured out that that's not possible. We think he made a mistake. But of course uh, he made a mistake. But, but but we both found me and Gobble Boy found like three to four hundred tiers an hour is very realistic, and even I playing slower made like two seventy an hour. So uh, so anyway, what I'm saying here is that I I, I lost like two point eight percent there of the money I bet in there, which uh, with these adjustments I might be able to overcome. It we'll, we'll see. Like if, if I, uh, I I want to try it again, I don't think it's going to be very lucrative. In fact, it's, it's not a high limit. So even if uh, it is beatable, it's not worth sitting there for just to play it. But but for fun and for you're not going to lose much money and even to earn some tears. Or would you consider doing that for, to get the seven star again? Um. I would if I think that the expected loss is lower than right, playing or, or equivalent. Because I'll tell you this, it was much more fun doing this than, than grinding video poker, which uh, which gets boring. It could be some stress, and that's kind of stressful if you don't hit something after a while. I mean, you know what I mean? Video poker or this? No, video poker. I'm yeah, saying. so it is. It is. And it's it, stressful. Well, and, it, and, and it's also just not as fun because you're just you're just doing a mathematical strategy without any kind of real skill. In video poker, in video poker is no skill. You just you just have to memorize the right strategy. So, how many sessions would it take if you played? What's the math? So, you're saying get to twenty five hundred. Get to twenty five hundred. Do twenty of those sessions to get to seven star. Two to okay, get to so diamond. Twenty to get to seven. You're talking one hundred sixty hours, roughly. Um, so saying, say just say three hundred and change an hour. That's eight hours for twenty five hundred. No, it's more like seven hours. So it's about seven. Okay. Probably seven. Well, I'm saying you take a break, you go to the bathroom, call it eight. Hours. If, you, if you want to call it eight, then, then yes, it would be 160 hours. 
Okay, that's my question. 160. Yeah. That's not bad. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. Like, as long as it's not going to, like, be, if it's going to beat you by a lot more than video poker is going to well, beat let's, you. Let's hope those Indians don't start camping out there. It's <laughs> only one machine in the whole city. I know. I, 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 maybe I'm making Did a Did you mistake. find it? Like, I told you, remember? Yeah, you yeah, no, you gave, you gave good advice. Actually, you know what? Here, I'll, I'll tell you what. Uh, since you told us about you taking a dump during the show, I'll tell you about me taking a dump. Uh, I, I get to Harris and I immediately feel like I have to do this, and uh, I can't. I can't like I kind of wanted to just like sit down at the bottom plate a little bit and then go no, take the dump. No, it's never good if you're backed up like that. Yeah, I know. So I'm like, no, no, no. I, I can't. I've got to have my mind on the you game. Be light I, on your feet too. Yeah, I, I got to be. I got to have my mind on the game and and not. Now the only thing about that is if you are sitting there and there are people around you, and you kind of like to be alone. You start dropping bombs. Yeah, you know that that is one area. that is one weapon you have. Or or even if the, I, I I thought I thought maybe if there's somebody already playing in the game that, that I could sit next to them at the other machine and and drive them out of there. <laughs> So, so this is this is what I did here. Uh, so I, I'm like, okay, I got to find a toilet now. So I'm looking around. I don't see a freaking bathroom anywhere there. I go, how could there not be any bathroom like right in the middle of this casino and right next to the buffet, which is where this is? So I found a security guard. I said, where's the bathroom? And he points like way over there on the other side of the casino. I go, that's really the closest bathroom? He said, yes. Is it none this direction? Nope. There's like one bathroom in the whole Howard's Casino there. So I, I go there in. Is a shit it is a shithole. It is a shithole. So did I go. You, to- did you know that at one point that was there? Prestigious. That was our marquee property. Yes. When Harris was Harris. Yeah, I used to stay there when it was. So, so I went. That's so, amazing, isn't it? That, that was like their building block that they. I mean. Yes. So I so I went I went to the bathroom there crazy, and then yeah. I, I found something I've never seen before. It's an auto flush toilet, which I don't like in the first place, and it did not have any button to manually flush it. I could not find. I, I searched and searched and searched, and the reason was like I, the only open toilet had all this paper in it. Thankfully, nobody like took a dump in there, just left it. But there's all this paper in there, like tons of paper in there, and I want to get rid of it before I sit down. So I cannot find the freaking manual flush button, and it will not flush. It doesn't flush on its own, and I could not find a single manual flush button, no matter how hard I looked. So I'm like, all right, I guess I have to just sit down and go into the paper. So I did. I sat down and went into the paper, and then when I stood up, the thing flushed itself. So. Otherwise, it would have left a huge mess for the next person. But can you imagine that they don't have a manual flush button on it? That uh, it has to auto flush, and if you it know, do- these are the things that I've noticed, and I, I've said this before. It's not even something. I mean, of course, something like that's an annoyance. But you walk into these properties, any Caesar's property, they don't take care of it. Like I can't even imagine in five years, ten it, it is laughable. How these properties are going to look? Mm-hmm. Like you go in the you go in the elevator and you see trash and scratches and buttons missing. Yeah, I kid you not. Like there's buttons missing. Yes, and, and, the Rio, go, tons of buttons missing. And you go back and the same buttons are missing. And, like, and I, I don't understand. They have very few maintenance different. people. The few maintenance people that work will tell you that there's very few there. Yeah, and they're they're annoyed by it because they're they're just overworked. Uh, any maintenance request takes a freaking eternity. And I'll I'll tell you what Benjamin's mom said. Uh, we just stayed at Augustus, and we've been there many, many times uh, since I've been with her, especially the last uh, four years. And she said, Augustus is really starting to look run down. And I said, you're right. It, it looks old. It's, it's 10 years old, but it looks like an old 10. It's yeah, like, you... like Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> Lindsay Lohan was the Augustus <laughs> Tower. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Daredevil. I was going to say, you guys know the story of the, the Paris sign, right? Like that, that square balloon thing that's out front of the Paris? No. So that thing was in such disrepair that at Caesars wouldn't fix it that 
all the, these group of people that were fans of the Paris Hotel banded together and like formed a lobby group basically, and they lobbied Caesars for like two years to fix the like rundowns at the Paris, which is not you know what, was one was of one of them that girl was one of them that girl who ran over everybody there. <laughs> she was just crazy. Like, you know, that's how much they don't care about keeping up things. That the sign, which is meant to draw people in, that's like right out front, is just like falling apart. I don't understand why they're cheaping out like this. Like, I had a maintenance issue at the Augustus Tower, and I knew it would be a disaster to get anyone there. It's like two kind of minor to moderate plumbing issues that. You could live through, but being there for a number of days would be annoying, like a, like a shower head that had some issues and a, one of the sinks didn't work. So, like, I knew it would be a disaster to get the maintenance there unless I was willing to have them come in when I wasn't there, which I didn't want. But uh, the, the, the I, ma- I stayed at the Augusta uh, Tower Druff, Daredevil, uh, quite a bit. I mean, during the World Series, and I'm weird like this. Uh, I'll go through stretches when I'm playing during the summer that I'll just stay – on the strip part of it's because I kind of live far and I don't, you know, I like to be right there. And I also have friends down there and I kind of like the vibe of it. But anyhow, the last time I was there was during this past, this past summer of last year. And I was there quite a bit, but you know, I wasn't in the room much. I just was there basically to sleep. I, I didn't really notice. I mean, I guess like the carpeting is a little worn and, but what are the things that you that you and your girlfriend noticed that when you made said it was like an old 10? Well, okay, so so it's just starting to have an older look with scratches on things, with uh, with with uh, maintenance issues. With everything. Are you talking just, about the particular room you were in? Or? Everything, it, the whole thing, the hallway, the room, the the elevator. Everything just looks like it's getting older and not and not kept in good condition. It looks like they they just don't give a crap with the maintenance. And you never stay in Octavius because the longer walk. Yeah, I, no, and it doesn't have a view. Benjamin yeah. loves he loves the fountains, and I, I, I never get that. Why are they? Made Octavius the way they. That's did. another fail. They, they, when they built Octavius, sense. it's not. You, there's no incentive other than the rooms are newer, but they're actually even a little smaller. Yes, yeah, that's, and, and, it's, really and it was been a fail because uh, anybody who knows better typically wants Augustus because it's no, a long walk. It's a long walk. It has no view, and and people go, well, I'd rather have the view and and the slightly bigger room and the shorter walk. So. Everybody goes with Augustus and Octavius, which is supposed to be the new exclusive tower. Uh, anybody in the know doesn't want it. No, they. I, I think I read somewhere they were building a new tower at Caesars. Is that right? No, it's uh, they renamed a tower. They renamed the Roman Tower to the Julius Tower. Well, no, I know that. I thought they were building a new tower. No, I haven't no. seen that. No, I think you're thinking of the Julius Tower. That okay, hold on, hold it. on. Unless I haven't heard of it. Oh yeah, okay. This is Caesars announces. New $75 million. They're spending $75 million on the Julius Tower. Yeah, That's what I guess you're it's at the Roman Tower. They're adding luxury rooms on the Strip. And then, uh, okay, yeah, it's cute. Never resting on its laurels. That's <laughs> funny. The $75 million Las Vegas Hotel Tower renovation is part. Okay, yeah, it's just a renovation. Rates are starting at $149. 587 rooms are in the Julius Tower. They were featured new design-savvy modern rooms and suites. The Julius Tower is the latest piece of a $2 billion investment, cementing – where do they get the money yeah, to well, do this? Well, uh, the, I think the operative word – the, the I, I, think the, I think the obvious uh, – the operative words in that statement are the Julius Tower is the latest piece of <laughs> – 
you, you can you can insert the the remaining uh, words there. But yeah, the Roman Tower is uh, an ancient tower. It's like fifty years old, and uh, they hadn't renovated it at all. So now they're re- they're renovating. But didn't you get stuck in there once? Yes, yes, I, I got stuck in there. Stepped, once. That's the only one I think. The only tower I've never been in. No, I, I had the choice of either an awful room in Augustus that was like the lowest floor and was super noisy, or or the Roman Tower, and I took the Roman. Yeah, I remember that. Okay, so. Uh, let me finish off with a bot here. So you need to value bet a lot. Uh, sometimes the bot will do what I call the turn donk bet where like in a heads up pot, it will check you bet it calls. And then on a turn, which is a total blank, it bets out at you again. That almost always means BS. It means like it has bottom pair or middle pair, bad kicker. See, then you just raise it again and you also bet the river. Because uh, and you and most of the time you'll be good. I I made very few value turn raises like that and was wrong. But, but I, I'm saying I made a number of them and was not wrong very often at all. To where I really made extra money doing that. So it feels weird when you've got uh, pocket nines and uh, so first of all, so first of all, like if you got po- like pocket nines and the board's like jack jack ten four against two opponents, if they check to you, bet the flop, bet the turn, bet the river. If it stays. Pretty much the same. It may feel weird doing that with third pair, but I'm telling you, they will show you some action if they can beat that. And, and again, like with the dock betting thing, uh, if if you've got a seven, and the board is, uh, uh, and, and the board is is ten seven two, if it goes check call, or if it's if it's bet, you raise it calls, and then the turn is a three, it bets out again. You should raise again. Because that means it doesn't have any. That means it has like a, a middle pair bad kicker or a bottom pair, and uh, and and it's just still firing out at you, and you get extra money that way. You value bet, value bet, value bet, and in fact, if your value bet isn't good, it will re-raise you usually, and then you'll know to drop out of the hand. So uh, don't be afraid to value bet. It's not going to be that often that you value bet or value raise and then end up showing down the worst hand. Most of the time, you're going to get the pleasant surprise of, wow, I can't believe I made all that money for middle pair. Wow, I can't believe I made all that money from third pair. So, so uh, value bet as much as you can, and, and don't worry about the few times that you're going to get it wrong. You're going to get it right much more. Uh, don't be afraid to value bet the river, especially because you'll sometimes get called by nonsensical hands. Let me tell you about the uh, – the, now, this is not a common hand, but this is one – I'm sure you probably had one like this too – where uh, the bot called me with among the, the worst calls I've ever seen in my life in poker. So in this hand – uh, I had Jack Deuce, and uh, the board. This is after it had been checking around a lot. The board was King King Ten. Check 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 check. The turn was uh, a seven. Check 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 check. Of course, I would have folded if uh, anything hit. If anyone had bet, the river a jack. So now I've got second pair with the two kings uh, over me. I was first to act. I bet. Ace eight offsuit called. Okay, that's that's understandable. Ace high. 6-8 offsuit for 8-high called. 9-deuce suited for 9-high then called. 7-deuce <laughs> offsuit for pair 7 called. And then my personal favorite, the last caller with 4 callers in front of him. 4-5 offsuit for 5-high called. <laughs> I'm not sure why it does things like that, but it did. I got five callers there, including eight high, nine high, and five high calling me there. So it seems to not consider who is already called in front of it. 
I mean, five high was almost the worst possible hand there. So, and that was the last to call as well. <laughs> so, so that was free money. Uh, so always try to bet, value bet the river if you can. Don't be afraid, don't always try to go for the free showdown there. You don't do that here. They'll let you know if they have you beat by raising you. Uh, don't try to pound your draws post flop. If you flop a flush draw in position, don't try to buy free cards. Just just call. If you get uh, unless you have a monster draw like a straight and flush draw, like open ended straight flush draw, whatever. You, otherwise, don't do it. If you just got uh, ace high flush draw, no pair, it bets into you. Just call. Don't don't try to raise. It may raise you back, or it may bet the turn out at you. You're going to charge yourself more money. You're not going to fool it. It's not going to give you a free card. Don't bother. It's also very aware when there's two flush cards on the board of what you're doing, and it's going to try to thwart that. So don't do it. Try to try to get those draws. Try to get to the draws cheap. Uh, don't ever try to raise for a free card in the turn. And uh, don't forget. Don't be afraid to go four bets on every street with a strong but non-nut hand. So if you got Jack Nine, the board's nine nine three. Don't be afraid to go four bets on the turn in river with that, even though you're, you don't have the best kicker, even though you could be up against a set. Go four bets each way. They will sometimes uh, hammer you with, a, with the trip's worst kicker or even sometimes just top pair. Like, uh, you know, you could have 993, you bet the flop, call, 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 the turn is a queen, and uh, they'll go four bets on the turn and river with you with just uh, queen seven. So you've got, you've got to be willing to go four bets. Once in a while you will be against the monster there. You just have to deal with it. But you have to get value on those. So, uh, also, don't be a river payoff monkey. Don't call with weak ace highs. In general, if it's betting the whole way, don't call with any ace high. You're not going to win. It's not going to go bet, 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 bet all the way through if it's only got ace high. It's not going to do it. Lay down the ace high. Even ace king high. So, don't be afraid to make tight laydowns. Don't be a river payoff monkey. And those are my pieces of advice for playing the bot. And it was fun. I enjoyed it. Even though I lost $450, I enjoyed it. I will play it again. I will report back with further things I find. Brandon, maybe you want to try it again and report back. Are you going to try it again, Brandon? Uh-oh. Do we have anybody here? Did- yeah, I'm here. Okay, we lost Brandon. Okay, that's fine. All right. Okay, let's... Uh, he's taking a break. He's taking a little rest. Okay, so let's talk about Daniel Negreanu who got his Bank of America account shut down. Yes, Daniel Negreanu. Why would he lose the Bank of America account? What was he doing with Bank of America that would get it lost? This is what he tweeted on December 22nd. I guess I should have covered this two weeks ago, but all right. Apparently, Bank of America no longer wants my business. They are closing my accounts because I put too much money in them from poker? Question mark, question mark, question mark. And then Doug Polk responded and said his bank had done something similar. I think also Bank of America. They froze 700 to 800K of my money and didn't tell me shit for two months. And then Haralabos Vargaris, the sports betting genius, said... 100% 100% your account will get closed as soon as Chase, this is not Bank of America, Chase realizes you play poker. Supernova Elite Grinder, who couldn't be very happy these days, Ankush Mandavia said he got permabanned from his bank without being told why. Negranu said that 
an operation of the government called Operation Choke Point, which is a government initiative that investigates banking institutions that process payments for uh, high risk of fraudulent activity, can include everything from ammunition sales to payday loans and online gambling, that uh, this allows them to find it and uh, treasures the banks to close the accounts, or the banks will do it on their own to keep out of trouble, because they are supposed to close accounts that are engaging in online gambling. Daniel also said he had his MasterCard canceled. He said, MasterCard just canceled my credit card for no reason whatsoever, and I'm rich. How dumb are they? Ha ha. Well, I don't think MasterCard canceled his card. It's probably the issuing bank. You don't have a card for MasterCard. You actually have a MasterCard with a bank. So it's not like American Express that uh, uh, is usually not associated directly with the bank. They're, they're issuing their own cards. So Daniel doesn't seem to understand that. But uh, I, I don't understand why he lost the MasterCard or what bank it was, but I can tell you that the Bank of America is not a surprise. The Bank of America is very hardline about online gambling. If they suspect you are involved with online gambling, which they can tell by where you're receiving wires from, if, so, if, if there's various tells that you give off when you're receiving money, when you're receiving cash outs through online gambling. Because you're getting big wires. The banks are told by the government they're supposed to look into this and, and see if anything's suspicious. So you get these big wires from abroad that are of suspicious nature, uh, and then they investigate you and see that you're a poker player. With Daniel, Daniel Negrana, that's very easy to see. Uh, then it's figured out what you're doing, and then they close your account. And they, they can do it. They're not, uh, they don't have to prove it. It's not a court of law. Bank of America is very hard line with that. They do not want poker players as customers. There's a lot of people who've had Bank of America accounts shut down for receiving online poker withdrawals. So it's not that he was putting poker money in there. It's that Daniel was getting online poker money, presumably – his paycheck from Poker Stars. That's probably the way he was getting paid. There it was a uh, like cash outs through Poker Stars, and that's why they closed his account. Doug Polk, seven hundred K. Yeah, that speaks for itself. So, Chase, they are also semi hard line, not as much as Bank of America. I disagree with Herlabos Vulgaris that uh, it's not a hundred percent they'll shut you down, but Chase has shut people down, so they're not all that safe to use. Here is a tip. If you want a bank that does not give a crap, if you want a bank that does not shut people down, to my knowledge, Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo processes poker payments all the time and doesn't give a crap. Wells Fargo also didn't give a crap about online poker deposits through its debit card. You could use the Wells Fargo debit card to deposit to any poker site all the way up through Black Friday. And they didn't stop it where every other bank did. Every other bank could get rejected. Not every other, but most other banks got rejected. Wells Fargo put it right on through. They don't care. They're supposed to care. The law says they're supposed to care. They don't. So do not process your poker cash outs to Bank of America or Chase, especially not Bank of America. Do it to Wells Fargo. Maybe they'll change their view at one point, but for years and years, Wells Fargo has been very light. That's not their official policy, but that's the way they're acting. They've been very, very light on online gambling. They will look the other way, it seems. So that's where you should do it. Otherwise, you're going to be banned from these banks. They won't open accounts for you in the future. They don't have to tell you why. They just say they want your business, and that's it. And it sucks to be shut out of some major banks because it's, uh, in many cases, it's convenient or necessary to have accounts with them. Not totally necessary, but you, you don't want to be shut out from the big banks. So use Wells Fargo for your online poker Cash outs. Now, deposits, don't worry about it. Deposits yeah, make from anything. Any credit card or debit card, that will do it. They don't really care about that. They care about money coming in, not money going out. So money coming in, 
do it to Wells Fargo. Tell them I sent you. Actually, don't. <laughs> so use Wells Fargo. Don't get shut out. Yeah, I should be getting money for from Wells Fargo here. Okay. I'm promoting them here. I, just just for this, just for this to give Wells Fargo more of their money's worth. Uh, let me just don't use that Citibank. I never trusted that Citibank. Did they ever shut? I don't know about them shutting down accounts, but I know Wells Fargo doesn't give a crap. So I just don't trust Citibank. Why don't you trust? Because they're uh, based in New York. Do you hate New Yorkers? No, I've just had some problems with them. I uh, made a, a cash deposit once into one of their ATMs for like $5,000, and they shut down my account. They wanted to know where the money came from. Uh, I, I know you probably don't do this, but I mean, I just, I've never had a problem. Well, maybe you do do it. Did you deposit in ATMs ever? No. Or to deposit yeah. of what kind? Checks or, or cash? Cash, I don't do, but you can't. Okay. Nowadays, had a problem. nowadays you well, nowadays you can because it, it reads the cash and does automatically. Yeah, right. I, well, I, I my main my main bank is Bank of America, and I've done it for years. I've never had a problem, and I, I don't ever want to walk inside a bank. But sometimes, you know, I'll deposit some cash. And anyhow, uh, I had a couple instances with Citibank where I think it was between three and five thousand. They literally blocked my account until they spoke with me to find out why I was depositing that much cash. Huh. I don't think that's a lot of money, three five thousand dollars. Yeah, especially, especially in Las Vegas. Vegas. Yeah. I mean, you know, it. So anyhow, yeah, and they literally would block my account, and then someone would call me from a special. You know, the worst thing is this: when someone calls you, and this is what what really got me. It was like a special department, a special lady signed to my case would call me, and then I'd call her back. It would take three or four days before I can get a hold of her, and just go to voicemail, <laughs> and my account was basically just shut down. That that sucks. Here, let me. Uh, yeah, I, this this. Segment is brought to you by Wells Fargo. From the moment I took over, I knew this day would come. When you would all want to take me down. But after everything I've done for you, do you really want to do this? Yes. They just dumped her. As you built your career, you built your wealth. Well, obviously you're all fired. We'll help you manage that wealth with the same care that has encouraged clients to entrust us with $1.7 trillion of their assets. Wells Fargo. Together we'll go far. In online poker. <laughs> See, I, I gave them a free ad. I, I'm so appreciative that uh, that they process online poker payments without <sighs> telling the government on you. Well, yeah. they won't give me an account. No. Hmm. Well, listen, real interesting. I'm sure you guys heard uh, some of this stuff. I mean, it made national news, but over... This past weekend, I guess you can still call it the holiday weekend, although it was, uh, it was the, I guess it was New Year's Day and then the second. Johnny Manziel, you guys know about this? No. Was allegedly spotted, and these, these are oh, yeah. more than one source that supposedly is, is you know, a good source in Vegas, you know, like newspaper reporters. Another one was a uh, radio host from... Uh, I think it's 1100 AM, which is the ESPN affiliate here in Vegas, claimed that Johnny Manziel was at the Planet Hollywood on uh, on Saturday and Sunday, dining at the nightclub and having dinner. Uh, what's the big deal? Well, A, he was in the NFL's concussion protocol at the time. B, the team was playing their final game of the season the next day in Cleveland. And, of course, you know, he's had all these jaunts before to Vegas where he's taken heat and, and even has been disciplined. So, allegedly, he was here in Vegas at Planet Hollywood, and he was actually playing blackjack and at the club. He was wearing a blonde wig, 
a phony mustache, glasses, and a hoodie, and paid everything in cash, and he went by the name Billy. I mean, and I'm not just – this isn't some, some gossip site. This has been on ESPN, and you can simply Google it, and, and I mean, you'll read about it. But uh, from everything I'm reading, and these are pretty uh, pretty good sources – um, one of them was a, uh, like I said, a, a local radio host that's on 1100 AM here in Vegas who said that he went down there and he witnessed it. It was the, definitely him. But can you imagine? I mean, uh, and, and they said at one point it was comical that people just knew it was him. His fake mustache fell off and <laughs> he was playing blackjack at the table. Like it fell right off on the table. Um, anyhow, that, that's pretty funny. Well, maybe uh, he just watched that uh, 21 movie. Yeah. <laughs> Years ago, to plan a Hollywood in disguise, play some blackjack. Yeah, you know, I, I've I've heard that he wants off that team, and that's why he does all this. He's, he's going to be done. They said Cleveland's yeah. already said they're basically done, and it looks like now um, what's going to happen. And and I, I see the logic in this, at least from one team standpoint. Uh, if they cut him, which in all likelihood they're going to do, and they're of course they're a team in influx again. They don't have a GM. They don't have uh, a coach in fact they made one hire so far and this is how fucked their organization is they went and they got the uh guy from the mets paul well what, what is his name Druff? he's the executive that runs the mets paula pasta paula uh, paul, Posta, paul, something paul, like that. De podesta paul yeah okay he was hired okay as the president of the browns yesterday he, he worked for the dodgers game. at one point yeah they're calling him like the new jonas hill um you know from that that uh, what was that movie? Moneyball. Moneyball. Yes. Yeah. Very good. So, uh, anyhow, what they're saying now is that Manziel is going to be cut. He'll be a free agent, free to sign anywhere he wants, and he'll likely sign with the Dallas Cowboys uh, for two reasons. One being that you know he it is his hometown area and uh, back to Texas, but more importantly, you know the reason why the Cowboys are after him is this year showed more than any uh, that. You know, Tony Romo, uh, I mean, he's 35. He broke his collarbone twice this year, and then they just plunged. They were just awful with him out. And, if, you know, they want to now. They, they realize the importance of having a backup quarterback or a decent backup quarterback, and they can't expect Romo to play all 16 games, in which he hasn't in, in a couple of years. He's been injury prone. So, anyhow, it looks like he's going to go to Dallas um, as a backup and then be groomed to be the future replacement in two or three years when Romo is, you know, is 38, 39, either retires or just is ineffective. Um, but anyhow, uh, other than that, I'm looking right here. I used to do a segment. Do you remember? The, the, I don't know. You probably never listened to the other show I used to do. But I used to do a little segment about gaming news. And, uh, you know, people like that. People like people like hearing stuff that's going on in Vegas. So, yeah. Uh, I'm just looking here now, and I mean, it's nothing anyone else couldn't find, um, but just interesting stuff that's going on in Vegas. Let me see. Uh... Oh, producing the show during the show, my favorite. Absolutely. Oh, Brandon, have you seen the new uh, the new space at the Encore? Uh, the new... I'm... Be more the new space, yeah, like the new casino space. That's uh, yeah. I was actually at the encore. Hangout for the millennials. I was at the encore during uh, my birthday in the middle of December. I actually stayed there for I don't know three or four nights. Oh, okay. I think it just opened at the end of December, but it's this. Okay, it's, I, I, it's this kind of new concept, kind of not where it's like it's casino space, but it's supposed to be a hybrid. Um, <coughs> so 
there's like a few blackjack tables, but then there's also pool tables, and there's a bar, and there's like TVs in coffee tables. And it's supposed to be this hangout slash bar slash gaming space. And this was at the Encore. Yeah. No, it I just, did not. Like yeah. It, it, okay. Yeah, it definitely wasn't there in the middle of December. No, I I, I didn't even hear about that. Yeah, it's an interesting concept. So they're saying, look, if you go with a group of friends to Vegas, the problem is a lot of times you have to split up because somebody wants to drink, somebody wants to gamble, somebody wants to do a leisure activity. So they're saying, let's put everything in this one space and two of your buddies can play pool and two of your buddies can drink and two of your buddies can play blackjack and you don't have to split up. And we're just going to kind of make everything in this little area where you can kind of hang out while your friends gamble and you don't have to separate. Now – I don't know. Does that seem like a that's going to work? Seem like something that Steve Wynn would introduce. That, that I know. seems kind of odd to me. He doesn't, you know, he caters more to like the high-end Asians and European gamblers, not like the frats that. Yeah, that, that is surprising. Together. Yeah, this is for the millennials. This is for the younger. Yeah, I, expe- I expect that at like the Cosmo. Well, they kind of yeah, and they've kind of done that at the Cosmo. Not it's not as integrated. Like they have pool tables on the second floor and that kind of thing, but. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just – I'm surprised he's giving up so much you know, real estate in casino floor space to you know, non-gaming things. And this is just kind of an odd concept for him and for – I don't know. I don't think it's going to work long term, but yeah. it's an interesting experiment. So here, here I, I have uh, something that I want to get to. Uh, I forgot to talk about my Vegas news though. Oh, yeah, oh, there's more Vegas news. Okay, go ahead. Well, I didn't say any Vegas news really. Anyhow, well – Looking ahead to 2016, this is what um, the Review Journal and a couple other uh, companies that, I guess, predict all things Vegas are saying the biggest things uh, in terms of the strip to look for in 2016. Number one, of course, being the new Las Vegas arena. Um, That's supposed to open in about three months in March. Yeah, I drove by it as it was being built. uh, What did you think? Or just aesthetically how it looked. It, it was at night. It was hard to see. I just saw it existed and saw I was in the process. But it's hard to tell how it looked. It was, it was night and kind of dark there. Okay. Well, the first live – and again, we have no permanent tenant yet. Uh, the whole idea initially was to get either an NBA team, which we're not going to do. Yeah, it's not going to happen. Or, yeah, especially after what happened during the All-Star break uh, or the All-Star game here. Pac-Man Jones shooting up the club. Um <laughs> But a hockey team, which, funny enough, somehow Danny Negrano, wasn't he behind lobbying for this or yeah. some kind of petition? Or I know he did something. But anyhow, the first thing that is booked. So as of right now, this will be the first time that a normal everyday man can step foot inside the uh, new arena. It's going to be an April 6th concert featuring native the native Las Vegas band The Killers and also featuring uh, as an opening act Wayne Newton. It's kind of weird. <laughs> the Killers and Wayne Newton, huh? Yeah. Then also uh, early this year, and this is kind of strange because I don't think we really even need this, but the Monte Carlo is opening up a 5,000-seat theater. and that, you know, That's a big size space. Um, the one that's replacing was only 1,500 feet or 1,500 seats. Um, and then their biggest group that the Monte Carlo had there was Bl- the Blue Man Group, but they actually got booted out of there. God, Blue, poor Blue Man Group. Weren't they like the big thing for a while? They were like at the Venetian. You know, I, I, yeah, I saw them. Uh, where, they're at the Luxor now. I, I understand that. I wasn't impressed when I saw it. 
I, I, I saw it once. I thought it was okay. I, I never I really didn't I, I, back again. I, 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 it was okay. Like it was, it was entertaining for an hour. No, I, hour I actually, I expected it to be better. I, I was, I was disappointed. Hmm. I just, I, I kind of, I, I thought it was going to be from like the commercials I'd see with the Blue Man Group in there. I kind of thought it was more along the lines of that of uh, just them doing really interesting things without speaking with. Uh, with different uh, things that shoot out different paint colors and the stuff that would have been really cool to see, and it, it really, it really you, wasn't. Yeah. Do you know how big MGM is and how much land they own? No, but I know it's here. They own so much land that in the spring of 2016, they are going to com- be done completing a four-story, 405,000 square foot golf facility. <laughs> this is at the MGM Grand. <laughs> Almost half a million square feet, four stories, with 122 hitting bays, a full golf course, kitchen bars, pools, a stage for live acts. I mean, that's fucking insane. Daredevil? I mean, what, what, that's yeah. <laughs> that that place well, it's, is it's so huge, that... though. It's it's even bigger than you think because with the mansion and the signature and like that's and that's already like the biggest hotel in America, isn't it? Uh, not it was. I don't. I, I don't think it is anymore. I know. Actually, I know for a while it was in the world. I think I looked at this. Someone else was asking me, and I'll, I'll Google it in a second. But I don't think. I think it is in America. Okay, it definitely but. isn't in the world, but maybe, maybe it is just the U.S. now. But anyhow, uh, a company called Top Golf International is uh, has been doing this. I didn't even know about it. It's going to open up early uh, this year, I guess, in the spring. But four stories, half a million square feet. I mean, that's monstrous. Wow. A 215 yard uh, hitting green. I mean, that's that's nuts. Also, for the first time in a number of years, there's going to be a casino that's actually demolished, and we'll get to watch it. Anyone have a guess what casino that is? I know what it is. It's the Riviera. Okay. Very good. Sometime in either uh, April or May, it's coming down. Yeah, I knew that was coming down soon. Yeah, it got sold apparently to the uh, Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority. Yep. Um, their plans for the hotel. Uh, is as of right now is to just build a convention center in the space and not replace yep. it with a casino. Uh, but they claim because of the economy and other issues, that's years and years away at this point. Um, huh. but in the meantime, they're going to implode it, and uh, the site is uh, going to just be idle for a while. Um, anyhow, you know what they were doing in the Riviera mm-hmm. after it closed? I have no idea. It's a crack house? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, this is this is really smart um, because after it closed and they knew it was going to be demolished, but they didn't know when. Um, they were actually approached by the FBI and various like SWAT teams, and they've been running like terrorist scenarios in there. Huh. Oh wow! Which is smart for Vegas because that's yeah. where it's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Now they have this big empty casino where they can say, "Okay, you know, here's the scenario: somebody put a bomb in the whatever, and they, they run all the scenarios in there." Uh, so for a non-Vegas insider, I mean, not even shit. You're a Canadian. You sure know a lot yeah, of this, Vegas. This, this, he really Very is impressive. He really is. He, oh, he can he this. can pretend to be living in Vegas. Everyone would buy it. Now here's one for Druff. Yeah, Druff. There is a Star Wars, uh, excuse me, Starwood Hotel that's going to be a part of Las Vegas. It's actually going to enter an existing struggling hotel casino on the Strip. Do you have any guess? Which hotel and casino? Well, there, one of their towers is going to be now run by Starwood. I do. I know you do. 
It's true. Well, I know there's a Weston on, on Flamingo, no, no, but no, 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 this is no, a big no. name. This that's what I'm saying. It, 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 this that's is on Starwood, the but you're saying an existing Starwood hotel is there? Okay, no, 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 no. no. There's, I said that there's a, an existing struggling casino hotel on the Strip, and one of their two towers, because they need to raise capital, is going to be turned over. Okay, to the W. Okay, which is obviously owned and run by Starwood. Starwood. And it's also, uh, you're going to be able to use, redeem your comps and casino and loyalty programs. Everything will be converted so you can basically play in the casino and, and or stay there and get the same privileges as you would if you're staying in a Starwood anywhere in the world. Huh. This casino lost $122.7 over the first nine months of last year. They don't know the last quarter yet. It's been struggling since day one. Druff. It's not very old. It's only been there a couple years. It's been struggling since the moment it came up. It's not the Cosmo. No, I know the Cosmo's not struggling. Um, well, it was. But... It was for a long time. What do you mean? Yeah. It just turned a profit like last month. It's the but... first time. Yep. Right, I'm just okay. Just go ahead, Daredevil. Tell Druff. Yeah, I, I, I'm not getting it. Yeah, I, I actually told Brandon this, right? But uh, yeah, it's the SLS. Oh, okay. I. I... I don't know why I missed that. I did a segment on this on the SLS. What a fail it was, and how they were uh, they, they were they were not going to be managing it anymore, and they're going to be turning over the management. But the Starwood thing that hadn't been news yet. Well, it's, it's only one of the towers too. It's yeah. called the Lux Tower. Yes, yeah. but it's going to be a full service W hotel, um, and then that, as well as the rest of the resort, will be connected to the Starwood Preferred Guest Loyalty Program. Um, Obviously, like I said, they lost 122.7 million, and that was over just the final nine months. That was such a, such a dumb idea to to do that whole thing in the first place. Yeah. I, 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 I had told you with no research that was going to fail. Now here's one that's definitely going to make people that cherish the old school Vegas just roll over in their graves or roll over in, in, in front of the the horse racing or whatever they're doing these days in Vegas. Um, the Associated Press Associated Press is reporting. Yikes. That Treasure Island in mid-2016 will be bringing a show, an electronic-based show that's dedicated to the Avengers and the Transformer brand. (laughs) Okay, but here we go. The show will be installed on top of the Treasure Island in a 28,000 square foot space above a CVS drugstore. <laughs> I'm not making this up. It will yeah, be, well, the CVS is already open, right? Yes, it's already open, but I'm just saying people are already pissed about the CVS. I know. The fact know. that there's a Chili's now on the strip, but then they're putting a Transformer Avenger themed show on top of the drugstore. Yep. And yeah, this is supposed to open in March or April. Um, and, and you know what that was supposed to be originally? A car dealership. Oh. What? And Ooh. Phil Ruffin, yeah, he said when he built that big thing with the CVS, because, you know, he bought the TI like a year or two ago, and he shut down half of the, you know, moat or whatever you want to call it with the ships in it, and he filled it in and built that structure. And it was supposed to be uh, a retail structure, and one whole floor was supposed to be CVS, and one whole floor was supposed to be a car dealership. And I think it was a GM dealership and then they pulled out and then he couldn't he was just going to sell it and parse it up and sell it to other retailers and 
he didn't get enough interest, and now I guess it's going to be an attraction. Look at all this stuff hmm. Your Devil knows. I can't believe it. And then lastly, I, I, I knew nothing about this, but I'm sure Daredevil can inform us. Groundbreaking. There's a groundbreaking ceremony recently for Resort, Resort World's Las Vegas. Do you know about this, either one of you? Resort yeah, World's? but <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I mean, it, it is and it isn't. I mean, can you call it a groundbreaking They ceremony? said it's going to open in 2000, uh, what year? 18 is what I heard. 2018 it will be, oh, God, Jesus, you're good. I think Druff, I, 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 I'm impressed. I mean, you know, listen, this kid is good. I've always liked him. He's, you know, but he, fucking, I mean, Christ, oh, he's getting the dates. I mean, Druff. Well, you see, you see why I brought him back to the show. Yeah, yeah. Well, tell us then. I'm not. I'm just going to shut the fuck up. Tell us about <laughs> Resort Worlds opening on the former uh, owned Boyd Gaming Corp, uh, abandoned Echelon Development uh, site. Yeah, it's the. Uh, do you guys know the Genting Gaming Group? Yeah, the yes. Genting Gaming Group. Yeah, How they could I not know them. Yeah. Aren't they based in Malaysia? Yeah, the, yeah. Are they and, really? <laughs> they're they're based in Asia, I believe. Yeah, and, and Phil Ivey is uh, has a dispute. With it's them. it's Malaysia, but go ahead. Oh, is it? Yeah. yeah. But yeah. So yeah, they bought the Echelon site. It's weird to say groundbreaking because you know that that structure has been there for so long, right? Um, they finally started work on it. <clears throat> it stalled out a little bit because they're getting all their money from Asia. And the Asian economy is kind of at a downturn right now. So it's going slower than people thought. But apparently there's gonna, you're going to start to see cranes like in a month or two. So there's going to be actual, you know, they're going to ramp up construction. But before that's finished, actually, because I know, Brandon, you mentioned the other show. Like what was the last casino that actually opened, right? Yes. Yeah, even downtown. even So there's actually one that's going to beat Resorts World. To opening, and it's just off the strip, and it's called the Lucky Dragon, and it's kind of like it's it's kind of uh, in the you know where the Trump is. Oh yes, of course. Yeah, so it's it's kind of it's kind of behind Resorts World almost, and that'll actually be the first hotel to open in a long time, and they're actually pretty far along with that. If you go and see what they've done in the construction, so that'll be open before Resorts World. Resorts World, I don't know. Yeah, if they make 2018, I'd be surprised, but. And, and here's a shocker for you guys. I mean, I just I, I I don't know what to say. I mean, I, this is I'm reading the internet, and this these are the, the things I read, and I'm just saying this is probably why, or not probably. This is why China is, is so far ahead of us, and the people there are just so much smarter, and we just get laughed at. The American Gaming Association touted a poll this past Monday, uh, Druff Daredevil. The poll indicated that 97% of Nevada gaming employees were most likely to vote for a candidate who supports the gaming industry. (laughs) I mean, really? I mean, no, really? That That was was productive. That's who they're going to... I mean, come on. Seriously? And then who, who, who did the workers favor? Workers favored Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, who were seen as understanding the gaming industry better than any other candidate. I want to know who the other three percent were, like the, that wanted to vote for the candidate who does not support their own industry. I mean, <laughs> the poll prompted the association's president Jeff Freeman to say, "Gaming employees are an electoral force to be reckoned with." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Okay. So let's uh, let me talk about Beth Shack. Are you done with the Vegas things? We move to Beth Shack. Uh, Any more? Uh-oh. I got one more. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Let's each do one more. It, it looks like 
Cirque du Soleil has finally reached a saturation point. Yeah, I think. I, I, I thought that I, was years ago. Yeah, me too. Yeah, <laughs> but there's actually going to be the first show closing where nothing's replacing it. I don't know if you guys heard this, but um, Zarkana at the Aria. Really? So, so Chris Angel's still going on? Even Chris though, a- they just extended him five years. What? And I don't understand. What? It I don't know anyone. There's a weird show. He's a mind freak one, right? Yeah, I think he hypnotized those people. Seriously. Yeah, there's, no, there's a strange following he has. No, I know. He does, but th- this I is, don't like him, but I, there are a lot of this people is, that so, come so to so Vegas and they say, I can't wait to see Chris Angel. But have you read the freak. reviews of that show? It's the worst ever. I, I don't get it either. Yeah, that they. I, I've read that they staff extra employees when that show gets out because so many people ask for refunds. Yeah, there's actually booing at the show. There's Everyone gets yeah. out and is so mad and asks for refunds, and that's very unusual. Even shows that are kind of fail shows that are disappointing, very few people actually demand a refund. They actually have a substantial number of people after every episode of the show that, that will go and demand a refund because it wasn't what they were expecting. And, and it's, it's nothing like it was promoted, and it, it's very cheesy, and it's like someone said the only trick he really performed was making all the money disappear, like the $100 million that went into developing it because it's like the cheesiest, lamest thing, and it's nothing like his Mind Freak shows that, that uh, enjoyed some popularity on TV. And even big fans of his, most of them, except for the most delusional and uh, – and uh, yes, men of, of the bunch walk out very frustrated and very uh, and feel like they got cheated. So uh, it's it's in fact it's called Cirque du Soleil, and there's really no Cirque du Soleil element to it because they redid the show, where it's just a bunch of like one lame magic trick after another. Most of which where he just kind of disappears from the stage. They flash a bright light in your eyes, and he appears somewhere else. <laughs> that's like the whole show. You know that little deli in the Luxor that's like. Kind of behind the poker room. I uh, I haven't been there in a long time, so I don't know. Well, anyway, right beside there, there's actually a Chris Angel. Wait, say that again. I'm sorry, I, I I drifted. I was reading something. <laughs> no, I mean I'm not ignoring you. I just what, he's what talking deli? about the deli, the deli in the Luxor behind yeah, by Chris a 24 Angel. 24 hour deli in the Luxor. That's is like, it right by the poker room. Yes, yes. Yeah, I know where that is. So right beside there is actually the Chris Angel like gift shop. Only reason why I know there is it. There's that's where the only. Uh, Back when it used to comp, that's where the only limit bot is. It's right in that area. It's right by that deli, and I played it. That deli's awful, by the way, too. That's a shocker. Yeah, it's it's not good. uh, You're saying a restaurant at the Luxor is is bad? I can't believe it. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? But anyway, I had a sandwich there once, and it was busy. And uh, it's right beside the Chris Angel gift shop store thing. And I was in that restaurant for probably an hour, and I did not see one person go in. Like I, I don't know why he's being extended, and but anyways, Arcana is closing, and you know it replaced a different Cirque show at Aria, which was Viva Elvis. Yeah, that was a huge fail. So that was a huge fail. This was a fail. I guess Aria said, you know what? No more Cirque. They're just gonna, they're actually gonna like take down the theater and make it convention space. Yeah, yeah. one criticism of a lot of the recent Cirque shows is there's not enough acrobatics to it. There's, it's, it's there. The whole thing is really diluting. Where they're they're just willing to slap Cirque du Soleil on any show, and and people go there expecting something like O oh, or like Mystere, and it's nothing like that. And or then, Love, even I like or, that Love, Druff. I, yeah, I haven't seen Love. Actually. Yeah, Love's good. It's probably I've seen three. That's probably I, I've, 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 I've meant six. I've meant to go see that one. I haven't. That's seen my favorite that. by far too. Okay. And lastly, this is the last one. Daredevil, I'll give you a shot. If you know this one, then I'm just going to not say another fucking word and you're going to take over the fucking weekend news edition. But out of all the casinos on the strip, or actually I shouldn't say on the strip, on the strip and off the strip uh, this past 
holiday weekend, which would be the one you wouldn't want to stay at if you wanted to have water? <laughs> running water, water, or, water. Or, or running water? Oh, I guess he doesn't know. Oh. The Westgate on the day before New Year's. I'm sorry, the day before New Year's Eve, the hotel went between 14 and 18 hours without any water. Mm. Officials at the hotel, which have about 3,000 rooms and was near capacity, originally were led to believe repairs would be a one- to two-hour ordeal. But the issue went way, way longer and beyond that. Restaurants ended up closing, and there was no water service to the convention service area at the property. (laughs) Guests took to social media as they waited for the water to return, uh, blah, 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 blah. And then officials at the hotel, including CEO, uh, CEO, chief Yes, he's the CEO and also the chief operating officer, Mark Waltrip, said it was not an issue on the Westgate's end. And then, of course, what happens after that? A spokesman for the Water District of Las Vegas said, this is a Westgate-specific problem. (laughs) (laughs) The the issue is with the properties. (laughs) The issue is with the property's infrastructure and not a Water District issue. Water was turned on roughly 12 hours after... Uh, one patron noticed it was out. Uh, so-and-so went to the bathroom, and they noticed they couldn't flush the toilet. They got an unwelcome surprise when something came up from the toilet. Uh, the hotel was kind enough to pass out bottles of water to guests, but they didn't issue a hotel-wide notice about the issue. Wow. That's a failed property. That's the former Las Vegas yeah. Hilton. It's, you know, if it, it wasn't for that sports book, they wouldn't get any notoriety, any publicity at all. Yeah, I know. It's only you know, Westgate's opening line, or you know, because they yeah. come up with the first. Well, they, they, that, was, that was the Hilton Superbook originally. Yep, I'm surprised they didn't sell that because you know the convention authority that bought the Riviera, and they own the convention space that's right beside the Westgate, and they went to the Westgate first, and said, "We'll buy you out, tear you down, and extend the convention center." And he said, "No, I don't want to sell." Oh wow. And so then they went to the Riv, which was not their first choice because now it's across the street, right? And lastly, um, getting back to what you were talking about before the MGM, um, and I don't know how how you want to actually uh, declare this, but uh, the biggest hotel in the world now is the Greenlands Genting Highlands. It's a hotel. It's actually a resort hotel uh, in Malaysia, and it has – is this even built? Had to be real. It was built in '65, uh, but there are some remodelings done. It has 7,351 rooms. It's the biggest hotel in the world. Uh, the MGM, on the other hand, has 6,852 rooms, and which would be good for second in the world and uh, number one in the U.S. But the way I guess this list is compiled, it lists the Venetian as the number one uh, as the biggest hotel in the U.S. because it's also counting the Palazzo. Uh, since it's connected to each other and owned by the same company as well. So if you combine both those properties, it has 7,117 rooms, which would be for second. So I don't know. What do you guys think? What would be the true biggest hotel in the U.S.? Well, I'd say MGM because it's not connected, but then can't you count like the signature and the mansion, which would put it way over? Well, I don't know if that counts this. Oh, actually, no, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. MGM Grand Las Vegas, 800, uh, rooms, includes MGM Grand, 30 floors, signature Skylofts, and the mansion. Oh. Oh. It was the world's largest hotel from 1993 to 2006. But I'm saying the fact that technically they're two properties, you know, two different buildings, you know, not not even towers, but, you know, within – 
maybe an eighth of a mile walking distance, you know, meaning the Venetian Palazzo. Do you still count that as one hotel? Or I don't that know. Be... That's close. Because if that's the case, then the Wynn and Encore would actually fall number six on that list. Yeah, I was thinking with that. 4,750 rooms. But e- either way, and funny enough, I didn't even, even know this. Actually, what other hotels – What I mean, there's – one, two, there's two fail hotels I never would even guess that are in the top ten in the world, in the most rooms. Do you have any guess what they'd be? One of them we mentioned already. Uh, the we West just talked about it. No. That's only 3,000, that's right. Yeah. Well, anyhow, the Luxor has 4,400. I didn't know it was that big. Yeah. No, neither did I. And the Excalibur is number ten on the list with 4,008 rooms. That I didn't know 28 either. floors each, two towers. Yeah, that, that list is – it's it's funny too because – Actually, I was, it was with you, Brandon. I think I was looking at that recently. But if you look in the top 100, there's some weird ones in there. Like, Oh, yeah, that, that's right. We were doing that. I think number 53 is like Circus Circus Reno. Like, yeah, it, it's sure, crazy. It's the, well, number 15 is Circus Circus Vegas with 3,774 rooms. But I guess that just goes to show you. I mean, looking at this list, it's basically, for the most part, you can't go more than a spot or two without at least in the top 50 without a Vegas. I mean, you have... The top ten alone, Venetian Palazzo, MGM. Then you have a Disney complex in Orlando, which I guess makes sense. And then some other uh, hotel in Russia with 5,000 rooms. And then the Wynn, Mandalay Bay, Luxor, Excalibur. These are all in the top 20 now. Aria, Caesars, Bellagio. Then the Sheraton, Macau. And then Circus Circus, the Flamingo, Hilton, Atlantis, and Paradise. I mean, they're all just Vegas. Like coming in, I guess there's not that many big hotels in the world, huh? Yeah, there there aren't, and there, there's I mean, a, there's a lot of work to maintain a, a property that size. You, you just have like more. The showboat is number 100. The showboat in Atlantic City you, with you, 1,300 rooms. Yeah, you just ha- you have a lot more properties in other cities that are not as big. What's the biggest hotel in uh, Los Angeles, Jeff? I don't even know. Okay. The Borgata. Yeah, that, that, it's Jesus. I mean, I, do, are they more rooms in Vegas than anywhere else in, the, in like any other city in the world? See, I don't know if that's true because it may just be the combination of a bunch of smaller hotels would be bigger than that. City, oh, yeah. city, maybe, maybe not, but concentration definitely. What about like a city like Orlando? That, that, that I mean, you know, they have to have a couple hundred. Well, thousand. Los Angeles has got to have a lot too. In New York, got a whole, a whole lot. But these, these are huge cities. You would think Orlando would have more because they are the number one tourist destination in the world, in America. Yeah. 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 I, in America or even the world? I thought well, they were North the America. I don't, I don't know about the okay. world. The funny thing, I've never been there. Never been to Orlando. Never been huh? to Orlando. I was there once. No, you're not really missing much. Yeah, uh, I, I didn't want to go. I haven't been back, so that's. Hmm. Well, that's interesting. Anyhow, uh, I guess that that's about it for the gaming news. But uh... okay, here's here's a little bit more gaming news of a different type. Uh oh. Um, when you think of Beth's Shack, uh, you probably shoes. I think of shoes. Shoes. You probably have it a gold digger. How I think. A... Okay, no, honestly, shoes. I think of Crunk. Yeah. You know why I think of Kronk, right? Yeah, it's for the pocket. Uh, yeah, exactly, right, because at that moment. Um, I I, th- I think of a drunk who who was belligerent with me uh, uh, because I, I knocked her I husband out. I think it's funny going when you say that. <laughs> no, Beth Jack was always drunk. She was constantly drunk. Chloe was always, uh, okay, well. Yeah, so, you know, Beth was constantly drunk all day and all night. Uh, so I, I think of that. I think of a gold digger. I think of someone who... Hit it big with a divorce and pretend she got her money from elsewhere, from playing poker. Uh, but I bet you don't think of her as a top-tier poker coach. 
<laughs> but you can get poker coaching. This is a, from something called Confidential. I'm not sure where this is from. It was posted by Matt Glantz, who, by the way, listens to this show. Wait, it's confidential, though. Well, I know, but Matt Glantz posted it, so I think Did it's safe. tell you to say it? I think it's safe. Well, I think it's safe. I'm, I'm risking pissing him off, but I'm okay. going to do it anyway. It's the perfect gift for the gambling fan on your Christmas list. I'm sorry I'm not reading this before Christmas, but you can think <laughs> of it for next year. Three, now, three-time World Series of Poker finalist... Beth Shack. Now, first of all, what does finalist mean? She only made the final table once. You know, I hate that. Don't you hate when these they, they say these things and it's just nonsense? Yeah, it doesn't, it's even not even true. Top, she she didn't even make the final table more than right. once. Okay. Finalist. A three-time World Series of Poker finalist, Beth Shack, is launching a luxury poker chip set in a handcrafted box with gold embossed cards. That's <laughs> uh, it's perfect for the divorcee who made uh, many millions from her husband who got sick of her drinking all the time. And embarrassing him. Card Shark Shack, right, I like to Card Shark, is also offering up mm. private poker lessons at $1,000 an hour. <laughs> and promises to teach women how to meet Mr. Right at the poker table. So that's the extra yeah. you get. You don't just learn how to play poker. I can trump you, though. I can trump uh, you, Jeff. Side note. A pal of Shaq's tells Confidential that the entrepreneurial card queen claims to have never lost a game of strip poker. Isn't that sweet? And there's a picture of her that looks like it was taken 25 years ago. Or seriously, seriously photoshopped. So so what what can beat this? $1,000 an hour for no, Shaq uh, coaching well, I'm, you. I'm finding it right now. Hold on. I mean, that's... Can you imagine... I would take her coaching if I was playing a heads-up match against Brett Ritchie. That's the only person I would have her coach me against. I'm trying to find it, but I, I can't find it right now. But what's, what's more lulls than that was when they had Tiffany Michelle on MSNBC <laughs> as a gaming expert. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yes, yes. And they and they used all these really awful poker terms during yeah, the, the interview. Yeah, blackjack terms. It's like doubling down, dog, yeah. you know? It, it was <laughs> I'm trying to find the clip. But you remember that? They yes. had her on. Yes. Yes. I mean, really? Was it you know CNBC the... or MSNBC? Uh, I don't remember. Okay. So, yeah, $1,000 an hour to be coached by Beth Jack. Now, she says how to meet Mr. Right at the poker table. What what advice is she going to give? Like, like find the richest guy there. Uh, find the guy in the with, with, with the most expensive watch and uh, the most expensive-looking clothes. He doesn't seem to care if he wins or loses. Like what? What is the advice? It, must, it has to do with money. This Mister Wright. I mean, that's a that's how Beth Shack got her riches. You you marry a really rich hedge fund manager and uh, get drunk all the time, embarrass him. I mean, I always like to tell this story when Dan Shack, before anyone knew who he was, at least anyone in poker, he was at my table in the event that I won uh, ten and a half years ago, the three K limit hold'em, and I put like four bad beats on him in the first two rounds, and finally knocked him out after like the fourth bad beat. Uh, so. He took it in good spirits, and he was very polite about it. He was, in fact, he said after like the third one, he's like, "I'm so glad this is no limit, but I would have been out three times by now." So it was like beats and coolers I was putting on him. So finally, I knocked him out of the fourth one, and so he was interested to see who would win the event. Keep in mind, this is like after the second level. So he came up to me when he saw me about a month later, or not a month, a few days later at the main event. I was sweating Reggie Man actually, who was making it fairly deep there, and. 
he he saw me in the hallway and he came up and he says, ah, I knew it. I knew it. I knew you were going to win it. I could just tell by the way you were running in that event. Even at the beginning, I could tell you were going to be the one to win it. So he was very interested that the guy who kept beating him in the first two rounds ended up winning the whole thing. So Beth Jack was with him. And she's like, I heard about this. And she's a drink in her hand. You know, you're so got to be so glad you didn't do it to me or I would have kicked you in the face. And he's like, honey, honey, please be polite. He's like, no. You know, he's he just he put those beats on you. He's just, you know, you can't do that to people. I I would have really kicked you in the face for that. And I was like, oh my! And he he kept begging her to be nice and stop it, and she just would not shut up. And uh, and he finally had to like kind of pull her away. And then of all things, I go to sweat Reggie Man, and who's at his table? Of the many tables left, is Dan Shack. So she's standing right next to me, like, oh my god, not again! And she just starts talking to me like this didn't happen, like she's my friend. It, it was the weirdest experience, and like every time I saw her after that, after it was learned who Dan Shack was and who she was and their history and you know how rich he was and all that, uh, every time I saw her, she had a drink in her hand. Even I think even at that final table, the, that infamous final table with Phil Helmuth and Brett Ritchie. So, uh, I, I think that she was probably just insufferable to live with, with the constant drinking, and he probably just finally tired of it and booted her. And uh, she must have gotten a mammoth settlement. She's also one of these women who loves hanging out with gay guys. Did you notice that? She's she's always with gay guys. No. Yeah, this... she's she's always tweeting about you know this guy, that guy, and it's always some guy who's gay, like including like gay celebrities. I'm, I'm forgetting. Uh, 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 I think I Lance play... Bass. She got to be friends with. Oh yeah, I, she tweeted. Can I play this clip real fast? Yeah. Well, well, you're giving, no, send it to me. It won't sound good over. No, 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 no. Let me do. Let me play it. I, I can't hear it. Just hear. Send it to me so I can play it. Well, I don't know where it's at. I found it on my phone. All oh. right, hold on. Let me find it on Skype. Yeah, it, it, it sounds have, have crappy to the phone. Have you guys seen this Beth Shack poker chip set? No. Uh, okay, I'm looking at it right now. It's it's a joke. So let me find it. <laughs> okay, go to <laughs> go to go to BethShack.com. Okay. And then on the right. It's 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 small. It says Beth's poker set. Oh, I see it. Yeah. Okay, and look at this thing. <laughs> I mean, this is like this is a high. And <laughs> yeah, this looks, this looks like the the cheap poker chips you get at Kmart for uh, like a ten dollars set. And I love I love some of the descriptions. All right, I sent you the link by the way. Okay, where, where did you send it out? It's Skype? called "Is Obama Making a Bad Beat?" And they have it's in one of the Skype. There you go. I think you see, it's right in our. Uh, can I see it? Okay, let me send it. Oh no, I got, I got it, 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 I got it. Okay. Boxes. Here we go. This is from 2011. This is just how dumb them. Next time you think about whether you're actually hearing an expert speak about something on one of these new shows. No, it's a joke. You know, Dave Lehrman. Remember him on the show? He used to masquerade as phony experts and do this. Like he did this all the time because the, the media just didn't care. They don't check on anything. He totally trolled the media and got jobs that way. Okay, here we go. Well, be careful pushing a bad hand. Just because you push it more does not make it any less bad. Take it from a real gambler. So we thought tonight we would get you one, and indeed we did. With us now is Tiffany Michelle. Tiffany is a professional blackjack and poker player. Is that blackjack. true, Tiffany? So, so you know what you're doing when it comes to gambling. That's what they tell me. All right. Well, good for you. So, Tiffany, I'm going to rely on your expertise as a gambler extraordinaire, taking a look at what the president's doing. A good gambler, I understand, or someone who bets a lot, understands or thinks that he or she has a good hand. Am I right? 
Yeah, generally you have a good hand or you know if you have a bad hand how to maneuver with that hand and uh, take advantage of your opponent's weaknesses. So sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, and then you have to work with the best angle to push that bad hand. All right, now the president apparently, <laughs> not Tiffany, is viewed to have a bad hand right now because They're uh, the prior cards he's dealt have turned out to be, you know, threes and fours. They haven't what are they really talking about? Threes um, and fours? Yeah, he continues bad. playing the same hand. What is the strategy behind that? I mean, if I were looking at you, continue, let's say you had a couple of bad hands and you're continuing to play, mm -hmm. then I'm thinking, well, you must be holding some good cards, right? Yeah. Well, but before she answers, I, in, in her defense, this is a nonsensical question. How do you answer this? <laughs> Not only did Barack Obama in his first year in office decide to tackle one of the toughest issues in U.S. politics, you know, Hillary Clinton tried when she was a first lady, it would be like me approaching Phil Hellmuth on my first day of my poker game and saying, hey, Phil Hellmuth, you have 11 bracelets. I want to challenge you heads up. So it's a tough situation. <laughs> and what tends to happen when you consistently lose hands, I mean, talk about Scott Brown. That was a really bad beat for Barack Obama and the, oh, and the Democrats who really thought they had a good chip lead there. You know, they thought they had a good this tournament. And with that bad beat, you know, the tables have turned, the momentum's changing. And what often happens for some players is you continue to push the issues. You continue to play the bad hands. You continue to get into sticky situations. And what really needs to happen is you need to step away from the table. You need to clear your head. All the good poker players are going to do that. They're going to step away after several. But he's not, Tiffany. He's not doing that. So the only thing I could read into it, Tiffany, and you know this far better than I, that's why have you here for your insight that well maybe he sees something that we don't or maybe he senses something that we don't or maybe he's got other cards up his sleeve or in front of him that we don't um, what, what do you make of that I mean, maybe that's a lot of maybes, and we all hope that's the case, but I really think the only situation, if you continue to push these issues when you are in such a bad situation, when you have lost so much power, when you have suffered so many beats, is to step away and rethink your plan. And I think the problem at this point is there doesn't appear to be any rethinking. There doesn't appear to be any reevaluation of the initial strong strategy you had when you came into this tournament, shall we say. All you're doing is continuing to push the issues and essentially losing the respect of your peers around you and the players around you they're catching you weak and that's not look, looking good on your part that's not gonna you think obama watched this and said oh wow i, I realized Wait, what so i've been what doing wrong saying that that obama's stuck and he's playing too many hands to get even <laughs> I, I think she's he's like on tilt he's he's playing too many hands he's he's just uh he won't step away he's just on tilt i don't even know what are they talking losing. about i, I don't follow this mess of an analogy it, it, it's terrible so they it's something about obama this is in 2011 something about obama having trouble getting his policies through and uh uh, and the the subject, the title of this segment is called "Is President Obama Doubling Down on Policies Americas Reject?" Help you win a tournament. Here we are. Let's say deep in the World Series, we're coming right. close to the bubble. You can taste that final table and the money, and it's not looking like it's going to happen. All right, but in blackjack terms, he's well, wait, doubling wait a minute, down. Wait right? a minute. I mean, if, he's, hold on, right. hold on. If, if you're really close to the money, you can't really taste that final table, though. That and how are you going to say it's not going to happen when you're really close to the money? Yeah. It should be more like like you're halfway to the money and you're short stacked and you're thinking this is not going to happen. It doesn't make sense. Now there, you essentially you're betting against the house, but but you're you're so convinced that you've got a winner that the last card up your sleeve. And I know I'm mixing gambling metaphors here. Is really? that and and right. you're going to run with it, right? So that makes me think. All right, everyone else says kind of what you're saying is, oh, hey, hey, you know, you, you had a series of bad hands. You're not looking good. You're looking kind of ridiculous. Leave the table. You know, uh, go get something to eat or drink or both, which I normally do, and and then maybe come back. <laughs> and he's not. 
So right. what right. do you read into that? I think she, I think what he's trying to say here is that uh, Barack Obama should be like David Benjamin and have McDonald's. I mean, you have to admit, time. can this be one of the worst interviews you've ever heard about this, anything? This, I can't understand this. It really, I can't imagine anyone watching this and enjoying it or understanding it. I mean, what do you do? I think it's really hard in that situation. And even as a good poker player, it's hard in that moment to have the diligence and to have the consistency to sit there and know when it's time to stop or know when it's time to play. I mean, I think what's probably going to end up happening is, like I said, you know, for a poker term, you say, you say doubling down. I call it bubbling a tournament. You're going to get close. Healthcare re- reform, this has been going on for close to a year. You're re- we're really deep into this. Yeah, but essentially, right. if something is finally passed and if something finally goes through at this point, it's not looking like the American public's going to be happy. And it's looking like it's probably going to cost a lot of money. And that's really not a win win situation. You know, that is very well expressed. And the difference, I guess, obviously, is when you play, you're, you're playing with your own money. This guy's playing with ours, so that's another difference. But, Michelle, very interesting. I learned quite a bit. So, remind me not to gamble again. He learned quite a Thank bit. You, about what? <laughs> what could he have learned? That, that hurt to hear. I was, like, wincing the whole time. Who is that guy, Druff? That's that- Neil Cavuto. Who is he? I mean, is he respected? Is, is yeah, he he's, he's like uh, he does this Fox uh, Business Report. That, that was a terrible segment. That was. The, I, I wonder is at the end of the respected in general in, in, in his various trade. Sort of. You know uh, what? This is what I wonder. When he finished this segment, did he realize it was terrible? Did Tiffany realize it was? Ter- anyone- That's what I'm wondering if he's patronizing her. Or if he's just like Jesus Christ, get her off here. Wait, like, like, did they make him do this segment? Like, when he was done with this, did he think, "Wow, this is the worst thing I've ever done," or did he really think, "Wow, that was a good one. That was a that that really was clever." And was I mean, was she feeling like this was something that was impressive, or did she feel like, "Oh my God, I have no idea what he was asking me"? And look, I get it. I mean, you know, she used probably better than anybody her ten seconds of fame. As I mean, has any other player that you know? that didn't even make the final table, use it. I mean, you know what I mean? She remained relevant longer than anybody else that finished 15th or 18th or whatever. Well, yeah, she she exploited it, and then uh, she and she got to be friends with Maria Ho, who also learned to exploit it. Do you remember she was on uh, one of the soap operas as, like, like a Russian blackjack dealer? Yes, yes, she was also on uh, Nip Tuck, of all things, as a... Uh, um, like like a friend of one of the characters, and uh, she she got all these little parts everywhere, from uh, partially from this, and also partially because she she had a, her mom's friend was her agent and was just pushing pushing pushing. Uh, Tiffany Michelle was someone who had moderate talent in a number of things, but not a lot of talent in anything. So she could sing okay, but was never a good enough singer to uh, ever make it big. She she was. You know, decent looking, but not really hot. She was. Uh, she also had a lot of variants. Uh, she was the lighting, was the lighting and the acne. Yeah, the first time I saw her, I thought she was hot, and then other times I saw her, I didn't think so at all. It was weird. It was a lot of variants, but but then she uh, the, the acting. She was like an okay actress, but not uh, not anything that's going to make anything. So you know what? I'll just come out and say it. I the first time I met her was uh, two thousand eight at. Uh, Whose house was it? It was one of these parties. One of these that, parties in the summer, yeah. Yeah, and she was very – I mean she was kind of stuck up. I remember she had a dog with her. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Her, her. I have a picture from that party. Yeah, and – oh, yeah, yeah, that, the infamous picture. And I asked her where she was from. I didn't even know who she was. I think someone said before she was Dave's girlfriend and worked for Poker News. And she says that – like she said me and my whatever, like the name of her dog, are from Beverly Hills. <laughs> like, which I That's not even true. Weird. She's from like Newhall. 
So anyhow, she made a big point of saying Beverly Hills. And whatever, you know, and she was <laughs> That's not okay even true, though. Night. She's not from Beverly Hills. And then the next time, I, and I saw her a couple other times. I saw her, like, once at, like, a hotel party uh, with Hollywood Dave. And then I, and she was friendly, like, talk, but, you know, a little conceited. But whatever. You know, then I was told, like, she kind of was a little, uh, what's the choice? She was homeschooled. And yes. She was kind of uh, innocent to the world. Like, she had never been out on her own. And, yeah, that, that's exactly you know, the thing. truth. Yeah, so someone had told me, like, you know, it's okay. She's a little, like, her social growth is a little stunted. So just understand she's not trying to be stuck up or conceited. But anyhow, so, you know, talk and, you know, never really hung out with her one-on-one. So then the next time I saw her, which, like I said, a couple times during the summer, way before the WSOP, I saw her. Then I saw her after the WSOP, and we can get into all that another time about what she did to Tony G, whether that was ethical or it not. It wasn't. What you go on? Yeah, well, I, I agree. And that was kind of pretty much backstabbing somebody doing a nice thing for her. Yes. Um, she screwed Tony G big time. Go on. Yeah. So, but then I saw her after that, and she never would even acknowledge me. Like, she didn't even know me. <laughs> like, I was literally, like, at one point I was with somebody, and she was two feet in front of me, and I greeted her, and she didn't even look at me. She wouldn't even respond. Yeah, well, let me tell like, you about, about Tiffany Michelle. Like, you, so, you, that's, so if I ever have any animosity, it's only because, like, really? She finished 18th in the – I mean, I've – it's just preposterous. She just was, like, a fucking cunt who thought she was better than me. And, she, you know, she knew my name very well. She knew my name and, you know, it was very polite. You know, but once she hit that, she wouldn't even acknowledge me, wouldn't even say hello. So, yeah, that's I mean, that's very true. See, yeah, you Did got, you ever notice any of that? Yes, yes. So she – you're right. She was homeschooled. She was very sheltered. Uh, her mom was very much pressing for her to be some kind of star, which is why she's had all these little parts. And she, she even has some kind of album that you know, she sings. And, oh, come on. Uh, yeah, like, like, but it was all fail. Like nothing was ever big time or even close to it. And uh, I don't know how she ended up getting mixed up in poker. I met her – so Miri got to be friends with that whole uh, group that she was friends with, including Joe Seabach. This is before all the controversy with Joe Seabach. Uh, so I met her. They had some like karaoke night at uh, Imperial Palace, and that's where I first met yeah, her. Yeah, and I think, I think it's because of the lighting Whose there. Whose house maybe. was that at? No, no, it wasn't oh. at a house. It was, no, it was, no, no, the house, the, the party with that picture. I, I think that's uh, it was something Scott Bowman was renting. Either him or, or Maria Elena or one of those people. No, it was Maria Elena's house. It was Maria Elena. Okay. Yeah, that's so, right. Okay. So uh, anyway, I, I met her a little before you did at this Imperial Palace thing. Actually, maybe the lighting was there. Good. That was the best I ever saw her look was at that Imperial Palace thing the first time I saw her. But uh, yeah, she she didn't really uh, grow up around people. It was, it was you know, just sheltered at home and her mom was trying to press for her to be a star in some way. And, and so that did – kind of make her very self-centered. And I, th- I think she was also led to believe that, that she was really special. And and it's something you learn when you're in school. Special or better than everyone else? Well, it's both. I mean, it's, it's, it's both. It's, it's that when you're in school uh, and you're with all the other kids and you're treated like all the other kids in the class uh, with 30 people, you get to learn that, uh, that you're not that special and that uh, uh, other people around you matter just as much as you. Uh, when you're homeschooled, you don't get that experience, and you can get the belief that the whole world revolves around you, and that's 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 what's happened with her. And she is really, uh, she has tunnel vision that only things that directly affect her 
matter to her. And, you so know, now Phil, you're a Tiffany Michelle apologist? Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 like. no, I'm not. I'm, t- I'm telling you the way she is. I'm not saying it's entirely that. Sounds she, like you're making no, because she's been, No, because she's been, out in the, she's been out in the real world long enough to where that should have stopped. And she's she, 20-something years old. She I, was, I know. I'm saying I'm, – I'm not defending her. I'm saying that she – this should have stopped. That was the original cause, but then she didn't correct she it. She thinks she's conceited. Yes. Do you think she acts as if she's better than some people? Uh, yes, that, that does happen as well. And, okay. and, and so, and so what happened – but that was the root cause of it. But then she didn't change it. She kind of kept along those lines and what, what really made it – and I think I saw her making some strides to change that a little bit. And then when she had that finish, that 17th place or whatever the hell it was uh, – Calling the clock and eating those fries. Yeah, so that, and, that, that, that kind uh, of reinforced this, uh, oh, I'm great at everything. Like, oh, wow, look, look how I can do in the poker main event. I'm great at poker too. And then this made her, with all the attention, uh, even more arrogant. And, and then that has reinforced everything, all the beliefs she shouldn't have had about herself in the first place. And uh, something she used to do on Never Win Poker that people laughed at, she would Google herself. And if someone said Tiffany Michelle, she would go to the thread and respond. So what people started doing on Never Win Poker I was just that. putting Tiffany Michelle in random threads that had nothing to do with her. So she'd keep finding <laughs> it. And then they'd post a screenshot of uh, – Yeah, they'd post a screenshot of users reading this thread, Tiffany Michelle. <laughs> like, like she wouldn't post it at what she saw what they were doing. Off that place pretty fast. Yeah, so she got run out of that place exactly. And so Miri was friends with her at one point, but Miri got, actually got insulted that like, uh, like she would say she'll call her back tomorrow and they're going to go somewhere, and then she just wouldn't call. She totally flake, and 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 Miri was getting insulted. And I'm like, yeah, you've got to understand who you're dealing with here. She's only constantly thinking of herself and whatever is most interesting to her at the moment is what matters to her. So if she finds something that day that, that takes her attention away from you, uh, she'll not only flake on you, she'll never even call you to tell you about it because... Uh, so what does she do now? How does she pay the bills? No idea. Well, I'll, okay, and, and this is a larger question. Like, Okay, so she believes this about herself, that she's great, but why does everyone else believe it? They don't. Why does she keep getting all these jobs? Like, Well, because there's an agent who... Things. See, this is what happens. It's a marketing machine. It's a market, it is a marketing machine. I'll t- and I'll tell you, it happens on its own. It's, it's like a, a snowball effect. I even had this happen with myself a little bit on two different occasions. Uh, first of all, uh, back in the 90s, Ken Scaler talked me into going down to some game show audition, and, and I said some things there that, that made them think I was interesting enough to put, to, uh, put on the game show. I think it's because I was, uh, I, I was willing to criticize things, and I, I wasn't like a kiss-ass there. They kind of liked that. So I was put on the list of like people we want to have on the game show. They, so I, was, I got on the game show, but then it got canceled before they actually could have taped my episode, so I never actually went down there. But th- this put me on some list that every time they needed someone in some kind of show, usually a game show, but sometimes not, they would call me, some casting agency would call me just because I had been seen as someone they'd like to have on one game show. They kept calling me, hey, would you like to go down to the priority tryout of such and such where it's only you, know, you and 15 other people to, to make it onto such and such show coming up? And the funny thing is every time I did, like something happened preventing me from actually being on. Like I'd be selected, but then the show actually wouldn't come to air or, uh, um, or, or I, I missed a phone call and I ended up not being there. Uh, like there's a show called The Chamber. You can Google it. It didn't last very long. I, I missed the phone call for the psychological evaluation for it because I was at Commerce. And had the, and so they had to put me on the seventh episode instead of the fourth. And for that reason, it only went six episodes and never was on it. Also, if you Google the show Married by America, uh, they offered me to be one of the contestants on there 
where uh, the, the audience votes on who I'm going to marry. <laughs> so I could have been on that show. So all these things just because of that one damn audition for a game show. It's, so it's like a small snowball effect. So similarly, uh, also, like, how do you think I got on, on 60 Minutes and CNBC about the stuff with Ultimate Bit? I didn't go find them. They found me uh, just because uh, you know, I was – someone referred me to 60 Minutes – Someone said I would be a good one to be on there. And then from there, I started getting contacted by other news programs, by the Blu-ray DVD thing for Runner Runner, for CNBC, because I was on 60 Minutes. So similarly okay, – but, but but I'll tell you the latest thing I know of that Tiffany Michelle was doing, and I thought it was odd because it's not related to anything else she's done. Well, maybe tangentially, but anyway. So I don't know if this is still true, but – I'd say six to nine months ago, something like that, I was in Vegas, and I was waiting for a poker game, and I was sitting in the you know waiting area, and I picked up one of the poker magazines, and uh, I guess it was All In or something like that, and I see Tiffany Michelle has a column where she writes monthly or however Come often on. this comes out about daily fantasy sports. <laughs> now... How the fuck is she qualified to write about that? This is what I'm saying. Okay. I understand it, it's why probably like a ghostwriter. Guys, both of you, I want to read this real fast. And tell me this isn't just stretching. I'm on the official TiffanyMichelle.com website. <laughs> I have never this, been is there. What it, this is what it lists. I'm not kidding you. Under her name. A formally trained actress. Okay, fine. I guess give her that. Maybe she went to whatever formally means, formal acting classes. Named one of Maxim's. You know Maxim? The, yes, you know, yes, yes. Big magazine. Name one of Maxim's top 20th hottest celebrity poker players. <laughs> of what, the 30? I remember that article, actually. But I mean, name, that's not – I'm just saying. How many are they? Yeah. That's what I mean. <laughs> of like 25. Yeah. She was also named one of the 10 most fascinating people in poker. <laughs> yeah, but by her mother. Shell is internationally known, Druff, not just nationally, Daredevil. She's internationally known for breaking records, such as the last woman standing in the World Series of Poker. Well, hold on, that's true. Daredevil is in Canada, and he knows it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Also, tell me how this is a record. Records such as competing on American Race or the Amazing Race. Well, she's the only poker player who have done it. It will, and uh, and, and Maria Ho. Scarlett Kane on the Emmy-nominated soap opera The Vanity. <laughs> oh yeah, that was that's some kind of fail. That's right, she did that recently. That's a that's a fail, like web only. Uh... I mean, this is not a resume. But also, aren't some of those not even correct? Didn't a woman make it like eleventh or something? Oh, two people finished. No, that was, and that, 11th. Yeah, that was later. She at the time she yeah. was the highest, but then two. It should be changed then. Yeah. Would this be uh... <laughs> false advertising? Yeah. Yes. No, oh, this is like the best. So shack you know, I mean, I don't. I'm not friends with her on Facebook. I don't. I have no connections with her now. I haven't seen her in years. You don't know what she does to. For all you know, she could have some office job. No, I, for, I, no, I forgot about this vanity thing. Yeah, it, this is some fail web series that uh, is never on re- real TV. It's just on the web, and uh, it, it has like a Wikipedia page, but you could tell it was written by the people behind the project. So it has like a way more extensive page than it deserves. And uh, yeah, it's some kind of fail web series, and she has some. Is this still going on now? I, I don't know. It, it was some, somewhat recently. God, and she'll be 40 in eight years. I mean, I met her. She was still uh, – Well, eight years is a long time. In eight years, I'll be, well, eight years, I'll be almost 52. But 
Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. That's her only WSOP ever finishing the money. 17th. Yeah. So, uh, let's see. I'm looking at that the vanity now. Uh, season, let's see. No, it ended over a year and a half ago. Yeah, I mean, it's a web. It's a, it's a fail web series, yeah. Oh, my gosh. There's a lot of fail things that wannabe actors do to try to be relevant or try to build a resume that really pay almost nothing and really nobody notices. That's the truth. Like, you you just want to always appear to be working or hope to get discovered, but most of these go nowhere. Okay, the premise of this TV show or this web show, The Vanity, Richard The Vanity, the who's a father and wealthy uh, leader of the dysfunctional Devanity family of Los Angeles, has been murdered by his psychotic lover. Now his son and siblings must struggle to keep their father, their father's jewelry empire from crumbling. I mean, that's... that's. She came on... She only came on the last season. It's season four. Yeah, I, I read about this. It's a, it's a fail series. Okay. No, it, nobody, I, nobody watches it. It's, it's, it's on the web only. It's, uh, it's, it's nothing. Okay, and I'm getting from the chat... You can confirm Barbara Enright made the final table of the main event. Oh, that's right. Show. I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that, too. So yeah. that's not yeah, even accurate think, when it was printed. Yeah, I guess what they were saying or her record at the time was in relation. She outlasted oh, it. I, I think it was the highest yeah. cash, actually. I think it was the highest cash. That's what they were trying no, to say. No, but also it was. I think it was in relation to how many players. Yeah, so that, that too. Yes, that too. Yeah, that was a big deal because it was so many players and – she outlasted like what was it like ninety eight ninety nine percent of the field. Yeah, Adam Schoenfeld actually was playing with her for some time in that World Series, and he said he witnessed some play that was not good at all. Like like how could it? I mean, that was prob- that was her first big buy-in tournament ever. Yeah, like the only thing he said the only thing she did well. Of course she didn't. The know. only thing she did well was once she had a big stack, she was good at bullying people with it and making them fold. But and she flopped top sets a lot too. Yeah, and but she was also like calling huge all ins, like she'd raise and with king queen, and then someone would go all in for a whole lot of chips, and she'd go, yeah, okay, I call, and then she she'd be up against ace king or or, or you know pocket queens, and then beat it. Like yeah. that, that kept happening. Hmm. She dated supposedly Dean Kane. Yeah, I don't know if I believe that. Uh, she has, she's a lifestyle columnist for Bluff Magazine. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's uh, okay. I mean, not anymore. Reading her Wikipedia, that's what it says. You know that Melanie Wisner tried to use me to like give herself legitimacy on Wikipedia in the earlier days. Like she appeared on on. Never went poker radio or knockdown radio or something, and before people really knew who she was, she put up. Uh, Melanie appeared on uh, Dockdown Radio with bracelet winner Todd Wattellis hosting. Wait, hold on. Her mom is more famous than her. I didn't know about her mom. Her mom has her own Wikipedia. Uh, so I guess – okay, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, whatever. It's not like I just – anyhow, her mom's name is Mary Graham. Graham is in like, Graham Cracker. So I don't know if, if Tiffany – maybe her real name is Tiffany Michelle Graham. Oh, it is, yes. That is oh, her name. I didn't know that. Yeah. Tiffany Michelle is just her, her stage mom. Name. Is an award-winning home chef. And, <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not making this up. And her daughter's an award-winning homeschooler. Wait, her mom is an award-winning home chef. Okay, in 2010, Bobby Flay, and I don't know who this is, Atna, A-E-T-N-A? I guess it's some cook or name Graham, the health... Well, no, a- no, no, Aetna is a company. Oh, okay, Aetna. Uh, just, okay. Her mom has appeared on 
several TV competitive cooking shows. She was on the Rachel Ray, the TV series, the Food the World Food Championships. Her recipes have been featured in Taste of Home and Brady Crocker magazine. That's, she won the annual last year, the annual Pillsbury Bake Off contest. That doesn't sound um, very famous. She honestly. has a bunch of gluten-free recipes that have been on Top Chef and The Chew. She's published seven different books, and then uh, including one with her daughter, Scriptures at Your Fingertips for Teens. I didn't know they had a Christian thing to the whole. Which she mm-hmm. co-authored with her daughter, actress, writer. Host and poker player Tiffany Michelle. Jeez. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I know. I know this whole this? thing. I, Wait. So her real name is Tiffany Michelle Grant. Yeah, I've known that for a long time. Yeah. Is that like a secret? No. It's it's not like out a whole lot, but it's it's known. Well, I just outed it a little bit more then. Huh? <laughs> no, I I knew that her mom was kind of driving this whole thing with this whole uh, performance arts career that they're no, her. Her mom is a homeschooled chef. Did you know that? <laughs> She's an award-winning home sh- – okay, that's just weird. Her mom's Wikipedia is longer than hers. No, but her mom probably put up her own Wikipedia. Can you put up your own? You can. Yeah, and, and you, it, can it, it, you can add it. In fact, I made one for Ken Scaler, but it didn't stay. <laughs> I thought Ken deserved it with all the shows he's appeared on. But yeah. no, they, they kicked his off. But they'll, you know, they'll decide if they're going to keep it or not based upon your notability. So, right. Uh, Did you know this about her mom, though? That's just interesting. I didn't know that. No, I didn't know what her background was, but I, I knew that she was the yes. one behind the, the whole homeschooling and the whole pushing the performance art. Uh, they even changed the name. They're like, the, we can't use Tiffany Michelle Graham. That just doesn't sound like a famous person. We have to be Tiffany Michelle. I just don't know how she found poker. That's what I'm trying to understand. I've never. Well, I'm sure no. She didn't find poker. She found, she had never played poker. Somehow she found the gig. Like all these other no 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 no, but no, I'm telling you, she didn't have a gig. When I met her, she didn't have any. She gig. worked for Poker News. No, she didn't. She did not work for Poker News then. Yes. Later, she did. When I met no. her, was uh, before the no. No, I know. I, I knew uh-huh. her before then. I, I I'm telling you, I know when she got the job. I met her before then. When, when you we met, met her. her at that party during the I, I didn't meet her at that me. party. I already knew her. Okay, when I met her at the party, she was a poker news girl. Yes, yes, that's what. It, well, that's but what I knew her before you did. Her? I knew her before you did, and she she appeared at the Imperial Palace like a year before, and she was friends with that whole Joe Seabach group. And I I had no idea where she came from. In fact, Miri even asked me about her. She said she's known as Hot Chips. That was like her fake poker name that she never really used anywhere. And I said I've never heard of any Hot Chips. And I and I I, I just thought maybe I was just ignorant to who she was. But no, she hadn't played at all. She just appeared somehow. You don't know hot chips? No, but I'm saying, okay, hold on. I, I think we're, we're, you're not understanding what I'm saying. My understanding was she was like Lizzie Harrison or any of the other like pretty, you know, cute, whatever poker girls that you want to say that saw a media job, thought it would lead to a more mainstream job, started hosting for card player or not for card player, for poker news. And then she was doing that. She was doing the interviews. And then Tony G came to her and said, "Hey, I have an idea. Let's put you in the okay." Tournament. And I'm telling you this: you're you're mostly correct, but she did not come to take a media job. She came and was just there, part of the poker scene, with no job at all when I met her. And she just was identifying herself as a poker player when she really wasn't. Oh, you're saying so? Okay. Well, what I'm saying is true or false. When I met her that summer, was she working for Poker News? Yes, true. Right. But this when I when I met her, she ended up going deep in. Yes, but she began it as an employee in front of the camera. Hold on, I met her a year before that when and she, she claimed that she was a professional poker. Yes, player. and she wasn't. Probably because of her relationship with Hollywood Dave, I'd guess. Uh, I don't think they were together at that point. Oh, 
Okay, well, I mean, you know what? You remember how it was during that poker boom where a lot of people just found their way to poker. Yeah, she just kind of came out of the woodwork you know, and found and it. Maybe, well, maybe that's what it is. She just saw on TV. She thought, that's I'm pretty. You know, remember that whole genre like, wow, if there was ever a real, you know, during the poker boom, if there was ever a real attractive girl that was actually like, you know, Vanessa Russo or, or Vanessa Selps or Kathy Liebert good at poker, that they could cross over into mainstream you know, like, you know what I mean? Not just, like, be what they call poker hot. You know what I mean? Just really blow up. But there never really was. Kind of like an Anna Kornikova kind. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, anyhow. But uh, that's what I always thought. Like, she just was, a you know, someone that just stumbled into it like everyone else did. She know? stumbled into the community somehow. It's just kind of a mystery how she did. I, I'm guessing maybe sure she knew someone. it wasn't because of Dave? Yeah. Uh, I'm not, not, a hundred, not 100% sure, but I thought uh, I thought she knew Dave. Uh, she had to meet him in some way. Like I, I thought that she met Dave after she got part of that whole group. I thought Maybe I've got that part reversed, but I know when I met her, she did not have any job in poker. I'm getting the word on the wire from disposition that she was trolling around Aruba and met up with the other UBs. <laughs> and he wrote probably. <laughs> oh, hot chips. Yeah. By the yeah. way, you guys, I take back everything I said about the Beth Shack poker chip set. I'm reading, I'm, I'm reading the fine print now. It says the first hundred orders get an autographed photo of oh. Beth. So. I, I still like how they couldn't manufacture better quality poker chips than like the ones you get from Kmart. <laughs> I mean, Brandon, have you seen this thing? No. I'm, it's I, amazing. I, like, think of the poker chips you get out of like a Kmart $10 Google or $20 just set. Beth Shack, Beth Shack, Beth Shack poker chips. Just go to just go to bestshack.com and you'll find it. You'll, you can and click on the little to link. This, description. this is a selling point. Chips have no denominations on them, so players can choose the amount. Oh. And how old is she, Druff? I think she is. I think she is the same age as me. I think she's forty-three. She Look at like this rough, dealer button, Todd. Sort of rough. Okay, you see the dealer button there? Yes. Okay, dealer button is cherry wood. Oh. No, it isn't. It doesn't look like it. That's plastic. <laughs> it doesn't look like it. And in case you want to just kind of go a little bit away from uh, the norm, they're going to include five plastic dice. Yeah, I see that. Five ABS <laughs> plastic dice. Just in case you want to shoot the bones out in the hallway, get a little backroom <laughs> craps game, we're going to give you five. But listen, they're not just five plastic dice. What are they, Daredevil? ABS plastic dice. <laughs> yes. Because we all know what a- we all know the difference between plastic dice and ABS plastic <laughs> dice. And you guys probably think this is coming in some shitty box. No, no, no. This is medium density fiberboard. We're talking about <laughs> fiberboard. Well, you know what? what? Listen, these cards that we're going to be dealing with the Beth Shack chip case—they're not just in a coated film. You know what these cards are made of? They're a paper coated film. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> You know what the best part is? Like you said, pre-orders will get this set for $89. The retail price well, is 129 So I wonder how many actual orders there are for these cards for $89. How many do you think have ordered? You think there's like even it's five orders yet? Email, learn more. Like what more can you learn? Oh, no, no, no. She's not 43. She's 46. Never mind. I thought she was born in 72. She's born in 69. Well, I'm going to go to my local poker room and say I refuse to play with anything but Beth Shack poker. You know, you know what? Uh, the sad thing is, uh, given how the World Series has been choosing playing cards lately, I think this might be an upgrade over last year's World Series cards. <laughs> Cherrywood dealer button. Uh-huh. We should have that at the World Series, too, a Cherrywood dealer button. 
That should be. That, we should pitch that uh, WSOP that uh, they should have that. They should run the. They should have these chips. They should have these cards. They should have this button. Should be the the best Shack World series, like kind of, kind of like the DraftKings fifty fifty event. That's not going to be back. Uh, the according to her poker career. Beth Shack learned to play poker by logging on to fulltiltpoker.com. I mean, really, like, you don't need to... I guarantee you they did it. Like, right, they wrote this for her, and using Playmobil, <laughs> until she felt comfortable enough to start playing with her own money. When she started playing live, she found it very different than playing with play money and had to learn not to let men intimidate her. First oh. off, you wouldn't know if it was a man or... Oh, I guess live, but okay. She said she, want, she wants to be a known, known as a good player, not known as a good player for a woman. Then, how, about not, how about not known as a, gold, as a, a good pro. gold digger? Yeah. That's where she, she got the talent. She's cashed in four, uh, no, eight WSOP tournaments. God, she must be down a fortune, huh? So, so okay, how many people do you think are going to listen to this show and think this is like, like we're like the biggest collection of misogynists ever? Because we just spent like a long time bashing Tiffany Michelle and Beth Shack at the same time. But I will Shaq. say – I'm sorry. Doesn't that seem like that's a weird phenomenon in poker that, you know, I'm sorry, but that this is just the way it is, that certain women like, – like look at Annie Duke. She's still considered an expert in not only poker but business. She's a failed poker you know player and a failed business. Make, you know what she does now to make money? This is disgusting. But you know what she yeah, does? like motivational speeches. Yep. She travels all around the world and they're giving her ten, thirty, forty thousand 40000 a pop to talk to companies and employees. But again, to talk to you about what, how to make a fail company? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you this. She, like, sound, she sounds very right convincing. I'm, she, I'm, I'm disgusted between this and the... the <laughs> she sound, Annie Duke sounds very convincing. Ice, she, uh, she, she sounds convincing, Annie Duke. And if you don't know her backstory, you think like, oh, what a charming and smart woman. Like, you don't, like, like her bitchy side doesn't even come out in these speeches, of course. So uh, she can come off very well. It provided you don't know the backstory and provided you haven't spent time with her and see what a cunt she is. And she, she really is a cunt when you spend time with her. So, But it's just weird that this doesn't seem to happen to men. Like how many men from poker that failed at poker are still, you know, like milking stuff out of it? No, it's it's much easier for women. I mean there's a few who can milk. Like, uh, like Tom McAvoy has been milking big time. He's He's been really milking it. and he's. Not... I guess, but is anyone like calling him – you know, to be on a TV no, because show, he's an old like, man, you know, so he's, he doesn't have uh, yeah, charisma. Sure. But he he manages. He's milked this uh, early '80s World Series win when there's hardly any players for uh, for over 30 years. I guess, but milking it for what? Like, what is he getting? These oh, he's, he 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 teaches steaks, poker seminars right? and and uh, uh, no. yeah, he's done all types of things. He's he's really milked it more than anybody who just won one thing a long long time ago and did nothing else, which is really what his record is. So. Okay, let's. Uh, so we, we've driven Brandon away in disgust, but <laughs> let's. Uh, yeah, it, it's true. There's a lot of. Uh, there have been women who have exploited the system and the fact that they are very much in the minority in poker, and it's uh, like a novelty to have the uh, woman, especially an attractive woman in poker, and a lot of them exploit the situation. So here, I'm going to go to a general topic which is still about Las Vegas, but it's not about gambling. A Jewish software engineer from Palo Alto, which uh, I think is where Phil Helmuth lives right now, but a Jewish software engineer from Palo Alto, which is near Stanford University, where some of you know uh, my brother is a professor, a medical professor over there at Stanford. Uh, That's where uh, he is, and... 
that's where this Jewish software engineer was. So I guess he made some okay money, but he was very, very, very cheap. And every year in January, he went to the CES Expo, the uh, which is the, the computer the consumer electronics. What's the th- stand for? Do you know? Consumer Electronics Show. Show, show that's it. Yeah. Consumer Electronics Show, where basically there a lot of companies are demonstrating their new gadgets that are supposed to be innovative and products of the future. We're always invited to go there by Trader Ruski, by the way. He has an inn, and we could get in if we wanted to. We just haven't taken him up on it. I, I've kind of had a moderate desire to see it some year. I haven't ever been there. Anyway, this guy, this Jewish software engineer... He has been going there for 14 years. His name is Neil Gardner, shall I say, was Neil Gardner. As you'll hear, this was a tragic story. And uh, what he had been doing was he figured, why waste the money on a hotel room, especially during uh, the period between Christmas and New Year's, which can get expensive. Why waste the money on a hotel room when you can rent a car and sleep in your car in Las Vegas? <laughs> Which uh, is problematic for a few reasons First of all, it's cold And it's, it's tough to sleep in your car when it's cold And I, I once tried this, not, be, not by choice But because I was so tired when I was driving This is about 25 years ago But I was so tired when I was driving That uh, I, I pulled over and it was a very cold night Not in Las Vegas But I, I remember waking up every 15 minutes To have to turn the heat on in the car again So he somehow was dealing with the cold here and uh, also dealing with the possible crime that might be committed against him, and that's what happened. So he decided he's going to park his car and sleep in the parking lot of 24-Hour Fitness for a few reasons. First of all, because it's 24-Hour Fitness, there's never a time it's closed, so there's always people going in and out, and uh, he's not going to be in some abandoned lot, so less likely to be a crime victim. Uh, The gym was a place that he could go in and shower in the morning, I guess, he had some way to do that uh, without actually going to the gym or paying for it. Or maybe he had a membership there. I, I don't know. But somehow he was able to shower there in the morning. So he had a place to shower right outside where he was sleeping. He'd sleep in a lot, which is basically a 24-hour lot. Nobody chased him out. So that's where he preferred to sleep, was at the in the parking lot in his rental car at 24-Hour Fitness in Las Vegas. Well, unfortunately for him... Two pieces of white trash from Las Vegas. Kyle Stats, but that's S-T-A-A-T-S. And this almost seems like a fake name. Megan Hippie. (laughs) That's spelled as you would think. H-I-P-P-I-E. Kyle Stats is 27. Megan Hippie is 19. Decided that uh, as part of their crime spree, I don't know what other crimes they were committing, but that uh, they were going to rob someone. And they spotted Neil Gardner, sorry, not Gardner, Neil Gandler, sleeping in his car. They said, ah, perfect victim. So, Kyle Statz, who had a gun with him, uh, went up to the car where Gandler was sleeping. And uh, at 1 a.m., Gandler's been sleeping for three hours. I guess he parked his car at 10 p.m. and went to sleep. At uh, 1 a.m. on December 29th, they... uh, Stats knocked on the window. And it's unclear what happened from there, but uh, it was Stats who was there. Megan Hippie was just there along, but uh, and then you know, she was 
participate in the whole thing, but she wasn't uh, physically doing this part. Stats knocked on the window, and the next thing that was heard was Gandler saying, don't do it, then a gunshot, shattered glass, and Gandler had been shot in the head. Hmm. So the, it's unclear why they shot him in the head, uh, but for whatever reason, uh, the stats guy decided to just blow him away while still sitting in his car. And, uh, and they, through video surveillance, found the perpetrators, Stats and Hippie, and arrested them. Now, I, I found the Facebook page of uh, Megan Hippie. And she's a very like, plain-looking 19-year-old white chick. Uh, she has like a very large and kind of round face. I, I don't know if she's overweight or not. Who it's is kinda, this? Uh, this is the one of the, this is the female perpetrator. She's not the one who pulled the trigger, but they were basically on a crime spree. They were going to rob this uh, this cheap Jew sh- software engineer, 42 years old, who was uh, sleeping in his car in the 24-hour fitness lot because he was too cheap for uh, get a hotel room during CES. And uh, when was this? This is December 29th. And the, and so they they then the the of this past year yeah yeah a few days uh, last week yeah so CES they, wasn't going on no though. no but it was going to be going on he was there early for whatever reason so he 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 was there on December 29th uh, intending to go to CES shortly and uh, what, what well Trader Ruski's at CES we uh, should he, see if he's okay but no I already checked on him earlier on is he fine I told him not to sleep in his car tonight okay but it's okay these two are in prison. So they, they caught up with with who the perpetrators were through video surveillance, and uh, Megan Hippie confessed and said, yes, we were committing a bunch of crimes, kind of a crime spree, and uh, I don't know what happened here, but uh, when, when Kyle knocked on the window very shortly after that, I heard uh, the victim shout, don't do it, and then Kyle shot him, and that's you know that. That's like a modern-day Mickey and Mallory. Hmm. A movie? Natural born killers. Yes, I was about of to say that. Natural. It's kind of. I don't think they were killing for you know, he fun. He doesn't miss. This kid doesn't miss a beat. He doesn't miss a beat. Yeah, they, but they weren't doing this for fun. This was like a weird thing, like a robbery, where for some reason. But this then, guy, why did they shoot him? If they nobody understands that. It's may, maybe that's what Mickey Mallory. Well, no, I, I think that this Kyle guy probably uh, got the wrong impression that this gambler was resisting. Who knows what the hell happened? But uh, whatever, maybe he's on drugs and just hallucinated something, but uh, Gambler said, don't do it, and he did it anyway and shot him. So uh, they're both in prison. Uh, they are in jail right now. They are being What was the girl's name? Megan what? Hippie, H-I-P-P-I-E. If you want to see a picture of her and you want to see, find a link to her Facebook page, go to the Casinos in Las Vegas forum on Poker Fraud Alert. They say that Tiffany Michelle's already in talks to play this girl in the Hallmark <laughs> miniseries. <laughs> Yeah, if you want to see a picture of her, go go to uh, Casinos in Las Vegas on Poker Fraud Alert, and you, you'll see a, a po- picture I posted where she labeled it "Happy Thanksgiving, everyone." She posted this on Thanksgiving with a picture of herself with like a, a uh, like ugh, uh, she's lips. a gangly looking girl. Yeah, that's meth. That's meth. You, you can think tell. it's meth? I don't. That's I, meth. Really? That's a meth look. But I don't see the, any well, other. Let telltale. Daredevil confirm. He I don't see any other telltale anything. signs of meth here. Well, what else it, can you tell? But you could tell from that skin, and it, it yeah, the the skin is a giveaway. Well, that, can you really tell meth. from this picture? It's no. like a, it's like a weird uh, coloring. I've been around enough people in the city. I've, I mean, listen, I'm going to be honest. I've never, I've never done a hit of meth in my life. In fact, it scares the shit out of me. I mean, not that I'm starting new drugs at my age, but I've never done meth. Never would. But I've known enough people. Enough people. I mean, that's meth is huge in the city. You know, I grew up in Florida. I never saw meth 
Not once until I moved out here. Now, if you go to her Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash, slash M, like letter M, hippie one. M H I P P I E one Facebook.com slash M Hippie One. Right now. Yes it is. I'm there right now. And saying, well it says to me, sorry, this content isn't available right now. The link you followed may have expired. Did you click on the link from the from the thread? Yep. That's Did weird. I'm getting it must be in your region or something, right? I just clicked it went right there. What is it that called? Isn't it like sometimes it will disappear after a certain amount of time? Like your cache or something? I don't know. What's a computer term? It's, no, it's, it, it's not the cache. There's something weird on your end. Yeah. Okay, I'm clicking on it. Sorry, this content isn't available right now. Blah, 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 blah. Go back to the previous page. You, you try it, Daredevil. You're, you're going to be the tiebreaker. It's loading for me. Okay. Well, sorry. What is it? Facebook. Fa- Facebook.com slash mhippie1. M. H-I-P-P-I-E-1. I'm getting sorry this content isn't available. It'd be funny if she blocked yeah, you. Yeah, I got it. It'd be funny if she blocked you, Brandon. Wait. Oh, yeah. well, actually, you know what? Maybe this is why. Do you have to be logged into Facebook? Uh, maybe. That's probably why. Are you both logged in? Yeah, I am. Yeah, I am. Okay, there you oh, go. maybe that's why. Yeah, that's probably why. Okay. So so uh, what's funny is you'll see she's posted all these little – I already tr- have a pending face or friend request. Well, hold on. So, so she's posting all these like – Trite little graphics. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I care about you too much? Or another one. It's all fun and games until the girl that actually cared about you doesn't want to deal with you anymore. These are all like it's totally like typical like 19 year old girl drama bullshit posted up there. She's on meth. Look at all those other photos of her, Druff. Yeah. Ugh. Also, you can see in the old photos like her skin is clear. Yeah. And if you look at like her mugshot that. Um, recently, you can see those weird red, like they're kind of pimply, sore kind of things. Yeah, that's drugs. She works at Sonic. She works at Sonic. Yeah. So how how, how, to- how much time is she facing? Uh, it's not clear because I, I don't think she's going to eventually be charged with first degree murder because it, it, unless uh, she actually planned to kill the guy, unless it is like a Mickey and Mallory thing. If if they were just going to rob him and then. Her boyfriend goes up to the car and shoots the guy without her knowing it was going to happen. Uh, she can't be charged with first degree murder. It's not gonna, that'll never fly. Now that the, this Kyle guy, he's going to go for life, I'm sure, maybe even get the death penalty. But uh, uh, she's not. She'll, she'll, yeah, but Nevada's pretty tough. Like when it comes to things like that, especially against tourists. Yeah, but I can't see how first degree murder can stick against her. For sure, the guy gets first degree murder, but uh, the the uh, her, I don't know how it's going to happen. Unless it unless it's shown that she. Intended to cheap can he, the guy lives in Palo Alto. Yeah, that's what doesn't make it's, any sense. Like it's, he, it's like it's like the wrong place to be cheap is uh, is to, especially in late December when it's cold. Like how awful is that to sleep in your car when it's so cold? And he 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 was showering at the gym. Oh my god! It's so weird. I don't know why he did that. So that was that caused the death of him because. Well, he, I know exactly where that twenty four hour fitness is too. Is yeah. That, so that's, Wait, hold on. Is that so that that's strange too because that's way that's that's not even close to the strip. Well, but this is like a week before CES, so it's probably where he was hanging out at the time. But I mean, like that's miles and miles and miles west of the strip. That's just kind of weird that he ventured out that far into a twenty-four hour fitness. Well, it, yeah, it was reported that he was using the the shower there, so may, maybe maybe that one is willing to use the shower when you, you're not a member there. Who knows what it is? Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, so that's. Uh, where, where did you read why he was too cheap? I, I forgot where I found it, but I so found it in one of the articles. In, in one of the articles, I saw that he was staying there instead of getting a hotel room. 
He was sleeping in his rental car. Let me see if I can find it. I, I definitely read that. Here. Other friends said Gambler would typically sleep in a rental car rather than book a hotel room, and he'd shower at 24-hour fitness. He had no qualms about that, said Marcus Berger, 39, a friend from Portland, Oregon. He said Gandler was basically living out of his car when they met around 2008 and got to know each other at, at Jewish social events. He just liked having a different mobile lifestyle. You know, that's – just to give people a point of reference, um, I mean that's not a bad area. It's not like that's a that, – that's kind of scary. I mean it just makes you think some – you well, know, we talked about sleep I, on December 23rd. We talked yeah. about sleeping in cars, and, and a guy actually but, called I mean, in. Just in general, even just being out and about, I mean, that's – just to give people an idea, that's that area kind of borders Summerlin. It, it's not far from Summerlin. It's maybe about two miles away from Summerlin. Uh, Summerlin's to uh, the west of it. Um, that's about four miles or so from Red Rock Casino. For, it's about four miles west. You can go straight down Alta, and then that's also the Sun Coast about two miles away. I mean, it's not a bad area of town that you would think people are just shooting up the fucking parking lot. But but these are like, uh, I mean, at least the guy who did it was was just kind of a psycho doing it. Like, it it doesn't seem like this was a crime from a bad neighborhood. This was just a crime from just two screw ups, maybe on drugs, who just went and did this. This could happen anywhere. Right. Sorry, Todd. When did you say this happened? December twenty ninth. Uh, did they just catch her? Uh, I because. Her, her, face, her Facebook posts are like yeah, January first. Yeah, yeah. It took a few days because they had to do surveillance and they asked the so, public to come forward. So she had already like seen someone shot in the head yes. with her boyfriend, and she's posting. <laughs> yeah, this yeah shit. that's right. I didn't even think of that. But that's a great point. What yeah, a fucking weirdo. That's that's pretty cold. Well, here's a picture of this mutt. Uh, wow, but that isn't that that is really cold. Think Jeez. about it. That she she had just you know gone on this crime spree and her boyfriend like shoots this poor guy in the head and kills him. And then they just leave him for dead in, the, in his car, and uh, and then on January first, she's just back on Facebook <laughs> posting uh, just a bunch of crap again, like nothing happened. Like, oh, I'm sorry, did I care about you too much? Yeah, that wow. Like, how can you just go post that after your boyfriend has murdered someone in cold blood for no reason? Jesus. Like, how, how do you just do that and pretend it didn't happen? Like, you think she'd just stay off social media and say, "Oh my God, I can't believe that happened." Okay. Like maybe maybe that is why they're charging with first degree murder. Maybe they they're deciding they're going to kill this guy and and rob him that way. Maybe that's what it was. That's why it wasn't understanding if she was just along for the ride, and uh, and the plan was to rob him. And then yeah, but something's wrong with this guy. One of his long friends said that when he met him in two thousand eight, he was living in his own. He was living yeah. I just read that. Yeah. And he just liked having a mobile lifestyle. And he'd attend Jewish social events. I mean, well, yeah, the guy obviously had a little not, bit. Something he, isn't right. Well, no, though. the the, the victim normal. was probably a little bit off, but uh, yeah, it looks like I'm he not didn't say it deserves to be killed. But I mean, if you have a real job, which apparently he did, and he was college educated, you're not living in your car everywhere and shopping at your local 24 hour fitness. That's that's well, of course. That, and I'm saying that this is almost like uh, he has his master's in electrical engineering. I mean, this is a smart dude. Yeah. Something's off with him. Well, of course, of course. And as I was saying, it's uh, it's just so weird that we talked about sleeping in cars two weeks ago on the show, and then five days later, or six days later, this happens. It was five days later because this is at the very early morning of December 29th. So, How would he be living his life in his car, though? I, I think it was probably like he didn't want responsibility of being tied down to a place to live and have to pay rent. He just wants to drive wherever he wants to go. See, like, I bet the trip to Vegas was what like – What do you do all day? Like when you're not working. 
You know what this reminds me of a bit? I, I hate to say it. it. reminds me a bit of Ken Scaler, who does have an apartment, but he spends almost no time there. He sleeps there, and that's it. He, he, he goes – and he doesn't even have a car. He rides the bus and walks everywhere and just goes uh, – I don't even know where all day. Just goes all over the place and then just comes home at 11 o'clock, goes to sleep, wakes up early in the morning, leaves, and doesn't come back to 11 o'clock the next day. And uh, so I think this guy just like the freedom, like he doesn't have a home and he can just drive wherever he wants, pretty much make a home of any parking lot and, and fell free with it, which I, I think is, is weird. But he liked this. But uh, you are putting yourself in some danger there when every night you're sleeping like that and, and leaving yourself as a potential robbery victim. And the few times I've gone to sleep in my car at night like that, I have worried that something like this would happen, that someone would try to rob me while I'm sleeping. I'm looking at her Twitter right now. It's just, it's never a good idea to just be sleeping out in public where people can access you. I remember reading this one chilling story from the beach in Southern California where a a couple, a young couple, I think they're both 18 years old. They're on the beach. They're making out. They decide they're going to sleep on the beach under blankets. And some guy, for no reason, who didn't know them, they never caught him, but just the, the, there seemed to be no motive. A guy just came up and shot them both in the head while they were sleeping, killed them, walked off. Just Jeez. did it because he could. So you, <laughs> like, like to leave yourself sleeping, it's like, it's like a vulnerability to criminals yeah, that, that yeah. It's, it's, you just don't want them having access to you while you're sleeping. And that's a, I've always worried about that when I sleep in my car, especially at night. You should never sleep in your car. So it's that's, that's especially is this kind of a scary well, Especially when you have, a, you have a high-end car, too. That's even more incentive just because you stick out. <laughs> Did oh. you see this? So after, again, after she was with her boyfriend who shot a guy in the head, she posted a picture that says, never let your loyalty make a fool of you. <laughs> <laughs> and then her relative, Ronnie Hippie, wrote, well, you did exactly that, didn't you? Cry face emoji. <laughs> what the? Yeah, that that was actually. Uh, was it? Was that the last thing she posted? Where, where is it? Hold no, on. no, that's not. Where where Just is it? Go a bit down. It's like a black thing with white writing. It says, "Never let loyalty make a fool." Oh, I see it. I see it. And that was on. <laughs> oh, that was the date. That was the next day. That was like. Yeah. Uh, it was almost two days later. It was December thirtieth at uh, about eleven p.m. And then a relative responded just nine hours ago and said, well, you did that, didn't you? So oh, wow. Oh, I see. So he's Wait, I wonder, and they said the person that fired the shot that killed him was sitting in the passenger seat. Oh, weird. I, I had thought that it was like through the window. Oh. So I guess he got in the One car. shot from the passenger side seat hit the man in the torso. He died at the scene. Surveillance video showed the actual shooting and the suspect. You know, there's cameras everywhere. It's cr- I mean, you can't even do anything these days. Uh, yeah, actually, I was, was going to ask you, Brandon, did something happen on the overpass between New York, New York to Excalibur lately? Because when I was there last month, have you seen those police flashing cameras? Yeah, I've, I've noticed that. Did, why is it just I that overpass? Know. Something happened know. there? Yeah, I don't know. Oh. I do not know, but I did notice that. It's been like that for a while, actually. Wow. Yeah, that is that is interesting. That's really interesting. That yeah, Daredevil found something really interesting. That you know, a day later when she posts that graphic, "Never let loyalty make a fool of you." That was a day after that guy got killed. That's that's probably like a cryptic message about what happened there. But and she ratted on him. That it, it said. You know, yeah, she did. Website. Yeah. That she brought, she led police to him. So somehow they found her. Oh, they so found maybe, her. Yeah. So maybe. So you know what it probably was then. He was. She was driving. He was a passenger. 
because they probably got the plates from the video, which led them to her. And yeah. Then, you know what I mean? That would make yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah. Because I'd be – I mean – I guess I wouldn't be shocked, but it, it just seemed, you know what I mean. That she's well, yeah, and it did say that she admitted shocked. that she admitted that uh, that you know they did this and that you know she just heard the gun going off after she heard uh, that the victim say "Don't do it" and then just got shot. But you know what? It doesn't even matter because in every state they have that same law. If, if you're just a part of a felony, you know, I mean, she'll claim I didn't know he was going to. I can already tell you his defense, you know, and she'll she'll probably cop a plea. You know, to testify against him to make it a slam dunk conviction for, you know, the prosecution and she'll like plead a 15 or 20 years. Either way, her life's over. Yeah, I know. Doesn't matter. I mean, even if she gets out when she's in her 30s or 40s, the trauma that she'll suffer in prison, her life will never be the same. Especially a white girl like that. Yep. I mean, yikes. Yep. And and, then this guy, the guy who did it, he's either going to get the death penalty or life in prison. One of those two. Yeah, Nevada's actually pretty tough with the death penalty. Yeah, they are. They are. I mean, especially something like that where there wasn't any, you know. Well, honestly, he deserves it, so I, I hope he gets it. Actually, I mean, if you're if you're a death penalty advocate, there's there. Yeah, I mean, this is. I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, this is what it's for. Yeah, right. There wasn't any kind of fight or struggle or defense. I mean, he just blatantly, cold bloodedly killed someone. That's that doesn't reek the death penalty. Then nothing should. Yep. So yeah, I agree. I'm a big uh, death penalty proponent myself. Oh, okay. I am. So, okay. Uh, so, I, changing gears completely. Uh, let's see. Changing gears completely, I want to talk about, uh, from talking about a Jew who was too cheap and it meant the, de- the death of him, <laughs> I'm going to talk about being a cheap Jew. And that is buying airline tickets. And I just had to do that recently. And uh, it made me think of some tactics I use that uh, if you use may save you money. And I say may because uh, airlines are tough sometimes to predict when the prices are going to go up and down. But airlines, it, the industry is, is really antiquated in, in the way they sell tickets. And I think one day this is going to change. One day some airline is going to be revolutionary and change the way airline tickets are sold. And I think the others will be forced to follow along when there's enough rebellion against this. But Think about like a hotel. A hotel, unless you buy one of these fail like pay, prepay and you can't cancel packages, which are awful. Unless you buy one of those, at most hotels, you have until like one or two days before check-in, sometimes even the same day, to cancel and get a full refund. And it's like this for a lot of things. For cruises, you can do this, uh, not up to one or two days, but you can book like a year in advance and cancel up to two and a half months in advance and get a full refund. The only thing I can think of where once you buy it, you have it, and you're pretty much screwed, and and, uh, you can't change it without a huge fee, and you can't cancel it and get a refund, is airline tickets. So when you purchase an airline ticket, especially well in advance, you have to really be sure you're going to be flying at that exact time and that exact date on that exact airline that you want, or otherwise you're going to be eating a lot of money. And it sucks, and it's always kind of stressful, going, well, what if something happens? What if I'm not sure I want to take this trip? Uh, what if I buy uh, two tickets to go with my girlfriend three months from now and we break up two months from now? There's always those concerns. And there's really no way around that. I'm not going to tell you a way around that. There really isn't. But as far as the price, it can be very maddening. Again, like with a hotel example, if you book a hotel today for two months out, 
at uh, $200 a night. If you see next month that it's down to 150 a night, you can cancel and rebook and get the 150 instead and not suffer any penalty. It's not like that with airlines. Whatever price you pay, you're stuck with. So how do you get the best price? Well, what I would suggest is, uh, first of all, go to kayak.com and, and enter your itinerary and uh, have it do a search for all the airlines for that itinerary and see which has the the best price. Now, I would avoid ones like Spirit Airlines and some of these real discount airlines because they suck and they're just not enough cheaper to where it's worth taking them. And also, a lot of them sometimes have bad safety records. It's just uh, the, the whole thing's not – even if it's, it's a safe flight, it's just not a, a good scene. You're going to fly and it's going to be very unpleasant. But it, I would stay on the, on the mainstream airlines. That's at least just me. But you'll see prices quoted – and uh, what you need to do before you book is you need to look at how many seats are available. And if it says something like two seats available at this price, uh, you're probably going to want to book pretty quickly because that means that uh, it's selling pretty well and that uh, the price is going to go up soon. Sometimes it goes down from there, but usually it means the price is going to go up. If it doesn't say that, and if you, yeah, sometimes you can go to the airline site directly like if it's American Airlines, AA.com, and you can sometimes look at the seats that are available on the flight, or you can call the airline and ask how many seats are available, and they'll tell you. If there's a lot of seats available in the categories you want, uh, I would wait, uh, because a lot of times they will undersell, and then they will have to lower the price. If there are not that many seats available, especially if you're a good deal away from the flight date. If it's two months out and most of the seats are taken, you better grab one because it's either going to sell out or the price is going to go up. Uh, But what if you see the price rise between the time you look and when you actually come back to buy? So let's say you look at the the price and uh, you're taking a one-way flight somewhere and taking a different one-way on the way back. So the the first segment, you see it's uh, $320 per coach. And then you don't buy it. You come back later that night, and it's $379. What do you do? Do you buy it? The answer is no. Now, again, if it says like only two seats left at this price on Kayak or on, on the airline's website, then, then buy it. But if it doesn't say that, the airlines are very tricky. If they notice an interest in a flight, if there's enough just browsing of the certain flight, they will assume that you're going to buy and they will jack the price up. So if there's enough searches, and sometimes even if you are searching and you have a cookie in your browser that you have searched, and I don't mean through Kayak. Through Kayak, they can't tell. But if you go to the site directly and search, it can tell. If there's enough searches for a particular flight, it will sometimes jack up the price, thinking there's enough interest to where they'll get some suckers to pay the inflated price. So if there's a number of seats left, and you see the price inflate on the same day or the next day, just wait. Wait one day, wait two days, you will watch the price fall back down to where it was before in most cases. Uh, Here's another trick. On American Airlines, you can hold a seat if you book online without entering a credit card, without entering anything. You can hold a seat and lock in your price for 24 hours. And then once it, and sometimes more than 24 hours. If you do it slightly after midnight, you can do it for almost 48 because it's until the end of the next calendar day. So. Once uh, the hold expires, which again you didn't pay for, you didn't give a credit card or anything, uh, you can try. You can hold it again. But what's good about the hold is it's a free roll. 
Because if the price goes down, you can throw away that seat you're holding and then buy a new one at the lower price. If the price goes up, you're locked in at the lower rate. Only American will let you hold for free, by the way. But that's a, if you're flying American, you should always hold it until uh, the latest time you can to see if the price goes down. So that, that's something you should do. And, and never buy a ticket if the price just jumps up on the same day or the next day unless there's few seats left because you're, you're, they're just taking advantage. I would also suggest when you search for flights that you do it through the incognito browsing mode, like uh, on, on Google Chrome, it's Control-Shift-N to open up the incognito mode where it doesn't save any cookies and where the airline doesn't know that it's seen you before. Because if it, if it remembers seeing you before, it will sometimes offer you a higher price thinking that you've shown previous interest. Now, what if you're looking for mileage award seats? Let's say you have uh, miles you want to spend on a flight. Sometimes you will find that either it's obscenely high, the number of miles they're asking for you to pay, or it's just not available at all for miles. What you may want to do is wait. Again, find out how many seats are available. If you want to get a first-class seat with miles and the entire first-class cabin is available, that no one's purchased any seats there yet, wait it out. Because if nobody buys first-class seats, if it sits empty, it will start offering those for miles and for uh, the cheapest mile category there is usually, and you'll get a good deal. If it looks like the cabin's about to sell out or is selling pretty well, then you probably won't see mileage seats at that point. Basically, what the, what the computer does is if it's selling below capacity, it starts offering these seats for miles. If it's selling above, uh, not capacity, above expectation. If it's selling uh, above expectation, it does not offer seats for miles. And in fact, it also jacks up the price. Uh, expectation is derived from how that, site, how that flight typically has filled on that same date in previous years. So I would watch that, and that's a way to and, – and just wait it out. And sometimes, let's say you need three seats in first class, for example, for mileage, and it's only offering you two for mileage. Uh, buy the first two and then wait it out with the third one, and a lot of times that will become available in a few days. I just had an experience where um, I, I bought – I needed four Delta seats first class, and two were already bought for me through uh, the Caesar 7-star program, but I needed two more. And uh, I could only get one more at the price I wanted. I wasn't buying with miles, but I could only get one more at the price I wanted, and the second one was higher. But there was no one else who had bought any first-class seats on that flight yet. So I bought the one more at the good price. I asked, hey, what's the chance that this fourth one's going to come back down? They said, none. They said, this category sold out. Uh, we only had three at this category in first class. There's no, there's never going to be a fourth. There's zero chance. What happened? I waited about a week, and the fourth one went down to that cheaper category that had the zero chance. <laughs> so I, I purchased this. You got to be patient. You got if, if it's not filling up, be patient. If it is filling up, then don't be patient. Uh, but that's that's the way to be. Sometimes you have to. If something's not available for miles, if something is uh, is a higher price than it was before, or you can only get a certain number of seats at a certain price, even though there's tons of seats left on the flight, just wait it out. And always search for stuff using your browser's incognito mode, so it doesn't know you've been there before, and and you will get uh, better deals. If you're booking minors by themselves, even if they're flying with you, let's say uh, you got a flight booked by your work, but then you want to take along your kids, you have to book them separately, but it won't let you book minors on the website. 
Uh, just put a phony age down. Put your kid as 21 and then just call them up and they'll change it afterwards. This will allow you to do all the things I'm talking about without having to deal with phone reps until you've got it all done. Uh, that is totally allowed, totally legal. They will change it for you. There's no fee. And you just explain, I wanted to book online. This is the only way to do it. So my son's not really 21. He's actually 8, and then they change it to the right age. Uh, all airlines will do that. Uh, what about Priceline? Should you use something like Priceline to get a cheap flight? Well, if you don't mi- mind being flown all over the country to get to your destination, sure. But I would not recommend it. They will give you very indirect routes with several stops. It's awful. Unless you're really, really, really on a budget, I wouldn't bother with it. So uh, these are our various tips to get uh, airline tickets for as cheap as possible, dodging fare increases, and, and waiting for things to go back down. When is the best time to purchase a ticket? Is it uh, a year in advance? Is it uh, three months in advance, two months? There, there is no ideal time. It, the prices jump up and down depending upon how the plane is selling versus expectations. So it, it, the best price you could get might be two months before the flight, might be one month before, might be a year before. You never know. There's, there's no magic time. The only thing that requires a big advance purchase, or not requires, but you've got an advantage, is buying with miles, since there's usually an allocation of seats they'll sell at, uh, under miles. Uh, you want to grab those as soon as possible. So make those plans as far back as you can with anything you want to buy with miles, because once those are sold out, then they're typically not going to be sold for miles again. Something else you can do if you want to gamble is you can try for a 24-hour upgrade, which means you buy a coach seat, and then you call the airline, sometimes you can do it on their website, 24 hours before your flight, and see if they can give you a first-class upgrade for cheaper. So sometimes even if the flight the price for the between coach and first class is a $500 difference, sometimes on the day of the flight you'll get something for $100 or $150 more. But keep in mind often this does not happen for you. So you should only do this if you're okay with flying coach and just want to take a shot in the dark at, at maybe flying first class. Something you can do, you may not be aware of, but uh, most people are aware of this. I want to mention it anyway. If you're tall like I am and you don't really fit in a standard coach seat but don't want to pay for first class, there's also the Economy Plus, main cabin extra, whatever they want to call it. These are regular coach seats with extra leg room, a lot of extra leg room that very easily accommodate tall people. So these are extra money, but I feel they're worth it if you're tall. And I would suggest getting them that there's a big difference in the leg room you get. Short flight doesn't really matter, but for five hours on a plane, I, I find it brutal to be crammed in there where my legs can barely stretch out and are touching the seat ahead of me. Uh, that, that's all I can think of for the moment. Uh, don't bother calling up the airlines and negotiating with them or trying to uh, get them to make changes for you or getting them to do favors for you. It's very, very hard. You can be successful, but it's very, very hard. It's a lot of effort with very little return. You'll just get yourself frustrated. And, and airline employees are known to be notoriously stubborn. So any, any other tips here for uh, U.S. airlines from you guys? or Is anyone still awake? I think they both fell asleep. You guys uh, awake? No, I, I don't have any. T- I agree with you on the small airline thing, though. It, it seems cheap, but first of all, they nickel and dime you on everything. And second of all, it's just really unpleasant. 
Yeah, something else you should know. Speaking of nickel and diming, everybody knows about these dreaded luggage fees of $25, $35, whatever these airlines charge. If you have a few bags, you may want to consider first class because they uh, – uh, first class gives you free bags, at least up to a few of them. And uh, that may already account for some of the difference you're going to pay anyway. And you get free food. So some of that may actually pay for what you were going to pay anyway. Oh, and one other tip, that GoGo Internet service that's on some of these flights, that, yeah, it's done by a company called GoGo Internet. If you have a bad experience, like you're on a flight with the internet being really, really bad, even by airplane standards, don't be shy to uh, contact them, and they will give you a free pass for your next flight. They, they're very generous about giving freebies if you've had a bad experience. So don't just chalk it up to, oh, it was an airplane. You know, I, I, I could barely connect to anything, but oh, well, that's to be expected. Don't don't just take that. Uh, tell the customer service there, not to the airline, but to the go-go internet, and they'll give you a... A free one. All right, so let's let's get to the final segment. This is a, about American healthcare and how to avoid being misdiagnosed. Um, now, I, I know you've got a totally different uh, healthcare system over there in Canada, Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But let me tell you what the typical American does when they are sick, when there's a problem, sick, injured, whatever it is. There's some problem they've got to go to the doctor for. They will go to their general physician, uh, their normal doctor. And they will get usually some very incorrect diagnosis of uh, just some wild guess about what it might be. And it's usually wrong, and they'll often prescribe some antibiotic that not only don't you need, but also you could develop a resistance to if you take it too often. So uh, don't solve anything, and you've just wasted your time and your money going. So how do you avoid this? How do you actually get diagnosed properly? Well, uh much like uh, going to the police about something, the more information you bring to them, the better. The more, the, the more you understand about what's going on and can present it to who you're going to, the better. Uh, just like on TV where someone goes to the police and they painstakingly investigate everything and figure out the whole story by the time the hour is over. Uh, and just like medical dramas on TV where the doctors are geniuses and figure out uh, from symptoms – exactly what illness everybody has. Uh, That's not real life. What's real life, at least in the U.S., is you go to the doctor and you have only a short window of time with them. They listen to you, but they don't go research your problem. They don't go on the Internet and type in your symptoms and try to figure out what it might be. No, they, they just, off the top of their head, see if they know. And if they don't know, they take a guess. They rarely say, hmm, I don't know. I have no clue. They take a guess, make themselves sound like they're sure, prescribe something. You leave happy. In reality, nothing's been done. In some cases, they've harmed you more than if you'd never gone in the first place. So what you need to do is you need to figure out, number one, what is likely your problem. And you, there's so many resources for this on the Internet now to where you just Google what your symptoms are and you start reading things. People discussing on forums what their conditions are. Uh, medical journals, sometimes even uh, the government has some publications. And you can start figuring out how much some of these conditions mirror your symptoms. Now, you won't always get it right. Sometimes you'll find something that seems to match and is not actually that. But that's where the doctor will come in. But you want to have an idea of what you have and you want to have an idea of what specialist to see. You should go directly to a specialist if you can. 
and, and not try to bother with these general physicians, the internists, whatever. You want to go to whoever has a specialty because, again, unlike on TV where the doctors know everything, each doctor has a specialty and they really don't know all that much outside their specialty. Like obvious things, yes, but but as far as uh, difficult to solve problems, uh, you're going to need a specialist, and often you will not get referred to a specialist if the doctor, the general physician you go to, just thinks that they can guess at the problem. So you need to first of all figure out what is likely you have, and number two, what's the best specialist to go to. So if you have problems, you know, some kind of uh, eye problem, you're going to go to an ophthalmologist. What, what about the clap? <laughs> what about the clap? I'm just saying, say someone comes to me and they say I have the clap. What should I tell them? <laughs> if someone comes to you, why, do you have the clap, Brandon? No, I'm saying if someone came to me and said they had the clap, what should I tell them? Uh, there, I knew which, I knew which doctor would handle that? Uh, I think that would actually be more of a, a general physician. But uh, I, I'm talking more about uh, things like, you know, if you have a, a knee problem, go directly to an orthopedist, and even better, an orthopedist who specializes with knees. Don't go to your general doctor. If you have problems with your eyes, you go directly to an ophthalmologist. If you've got, if you've got uh, skin problems, go directly to a dermatologist. Don't go to your general doctor. You will never get a good diagnosis. And also, again, again, especially if you're sick with something, Try to figure out yourself as if you're the doctor through the internet what it is and then take it to the appropriate doctor and tell them what you think you might have or or tell them the symptoms and wait for them to come to the conclusion and see if it matches what you found. And if it doesn't, if it does, then you then you know it's probably what you have. If it doesn't, then say, well, I looked on the internet. What about this? And then sometimes that will put them in that direction and, and, and they will tell you why or why you do not have it. Uh, so the doctor's role these days is not to do all the research for you. You need to do the research yourself, and then from that point, uh, see if the doctor agrees with it, with their medical training. Don't let them diagnose you themselves, because with the limited time they have to spend on it, they're not going to be able to research it the amount of time you have to put in for yourself. And uh, not only have I done this for myself, I've done this for other people. Who, who've been close to me that have had uh, medical issues. And uh, I've known other people who've done it for themselves in the similar manner that I have and have solved tough medical problems, diagnosed tough medical problems that doctors missed at first. What was that year when you broke almost everything? I, I broke three ribs in uh, in 2014. But there was a year you had a shoulder injury, this injury. Remember, it was like your worst health Yeah, year. it was in 2010. Yeah, I had a yeah. lot of problems in 2010. Yeah. Uh, you had a bad tooth? No, no, that was more recently. No, the, no, I had a tooth extracted in in the, the beginning of October. It took a month to get better. Like they pulled the tooth out, and it took a month to heal. Now, Bruce says on the fraud alert site that you get sick too much, but your theory is only, <laughs> your theory is only because people remember your sickliness more than your health, but you get sick at a normal standard rate. Yes, that's true. No, and also I post about it. Most yes, people on the, on, the, on the site don't post about it, so they uh, you, you never hear about it. So that, that's why. Like I like if you look up the, the number of colds an American gets every year, it's like between three and six and, and uh, uh, wow. on average. And, and uh, you don't – so if I post uh, – like the radio show, I can't do the radio show because I have a cold, and this happens four times a year. People go, oh, my God, why are you keeping getting so many colds? And that's actually average. And especially when you have a son who's uh, going to school and coming back home with colds, that increases the chance you're going to catch it yourself. Speaking of colds, what do you think about Mike Piazza going into the Hall of Fame as a Met instead of a Dodger? Does I, that bother you? No, I think he's uh, doing – I would do the same thing if I were him. The Dodgers didn't treat him well. 
He only played one more year, one year more with the Mets than he did with the Dodgers. No, I know, but the Dodgers didn't treat him well. Uh, the the well, Dodgers. Did him, what did they do? Okay, so this is what happened. In uh, you're not know, bringing it up. You know the hall. You know, you know. And let me ask you before we even get to that: Do you think it's a disgrace that these stupid voters? I mean, they always seem to do this. How can three people leave Ken Griffey Jr. off their ballot altogether? They, they, it's just some voters are morons, or they just. But do you it. agree? Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, some of them just do it to be. Uh, that's what I'm saying. But don't you think they should lose their their, their voting rights? If there's they a did chronic... the same thing for okay, Cal Ripken, the same thing. They said he was going to be the first. He should have been the first unanimous Hall of Fame member. There are seven people that completely left him off yeah, the be, ballot because because they're being contrarians. They they, they know there's going to be uh, almost unanimous, and they they just want to be. They don't want it. But yeah. it I don't get it. I don't either. Yeah, if they see someone showing a pattern of this, they should take it away. Like you I can't agree. you can't take it away just because someone doesn't vote the same way that you think they should. But if there's a chronic version of being a contrarian that you shouldn't have. I mean, Ken people. Griffey should be a unanimous Hall of Famer. Yeah, the the only argument against him is that the second half of his career was poor. But One, most most people, that especially those that aren't on steroids, tend to fade off around. Yeah, the I know time. that. He I know. Break I know down that. and get injured. I, I realize that. But it seems like to coincide. The standards, like, because, you know, the Bonds and Clemens and Palmero. No, I'm not, I'm not talking about hitting the, uh, massive home runs when he's 39. I'm just right, saying exactly, that, and staying healthy and, and putting up great numbers later in the but career. But he, like, that, he really abruptly fell off. But but yeah, I know, well, I, I I believe he didn't. You do have to remember though. I mean, he, he was in the majors and he was 18 years old. I mean, he, his body took a lot of wear yeah, and tear. That, I mean, that probably is a factor. So yeah, with Piazza, he came up in '93. Uh, there was you, very little expectations of him. There's, there's you some, know why? What he also set another record. Yeah, I know. He, he was the uh, like sixty third draft choice by. He uh, was picked sixty uh, third round or something. He was the uh, he was picked in the sixty second round, the one thousand three hundred ninetieth pick. Prior to him making it to the hall, now the record for the highest pick ever. Was John Smoltz, which I never would have guessed, who was taken in the twenty-second round with the five hundred seventy-fourth pick. Well, so. Piazza was only taken because he he was uh, his dad was friends, the, was friends he, with Lasorda. Lasorda, yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I think uh, I think Lasorda was like uh, his godfather. No, was it, was, it was his brother's godfather. Okay. So anyway, uh, Piazza really came out of nowhere in '93 and, and already had a monster rookie year and. He was I watching the Dodgers from 93 until he left in 98. Uh, he didn't have a good year in 98 for a short time he was there, but it was very early when they traded him. So 93 through 97, he they, really – They traded him to a team he played for two games. Yeah, he, he really – I know it was your team, the Marlins. Yeah, I know. Uh, he was, I was so excited when I saw that. I'm like, oh, Lord. I mean, you know, he, he, was, a, he was still a stud back then. No, no, he had a monster. His best year was 97. He had like 362 with 40 home runs. It was it was insane. He should have won. So he finished second in the MVP both in 96 and 97. In 96, he really got stiffed because uh, Ken Caminiti won, who who admitted later he was on roids that year. Died of a cocaine overdose, yep. cocaine heroin. And, and like, in 97, he lost to Larry Walker, who was very much aided by a course oh, field. Sky high, or yeah. Yeah, wow, so, so he should have won both of those years. But he, he never won an MVP, but he – uh, he had those monster years. He had a lot of good years of the Mets. But uh, regarding the trade, he, here he was huge for the Dodgers. He, he had those two back-to-back, should have been MVP years, 96-97, as a catcher. And then in 98, early in the season, he's gone. Why? Uh, because it was coming close to the time that uh, he was going to be a free agent. He wanted the Dodgers to sign him, you know, to just get it out of the way and sign him to a deal. 
before he had free agency. That was when the what the Mc, Mc, what was the name of the family that owned it? No, not McCoy. It was, no, it was Fox. Uh, Fox. Had that was Rupert Murdoch's. That's Rupert Murdoch's team. Yes. Oh, I thought so. That was so, so Fox had bought it, and Fox was mad that he was making demands that they wanted uh, that he wanted an extension now, and so they say, "No, you're not going to tell us." I said, "They they got uppity with him, and they decided that uh, because he's acting this way." Uh, they're going to trash him. So they, they leaked it to the media that Mike Piazza was demanding a lot of money and threatening to leave, and, and basically they were trying to make it look like he was a greedy asshole. And this got to the media, and the Dodgers fans turned on him, which was ridiculous because if anyone had justified a big contract, it was him. He was he had a huge year every year, 93, 94, 95, 96, 97. Now look, they're giving 50, 60, 70 million dollar contracts to slightly above average players. <laughs> yeah. So so I mean talk about it. of course it's not like he was a mediocre player who was trying to demand a lot of money and people are booing him. This is he was a superstar. I, 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 he should have been the, the greatest MVP, uh, hitting catcher of all time. And he should have been the MVP of the league the previous two years and here it was the beginning of 98 now. So and, he was a young Wattellus before the poker days. You're perturbed by this trade. And the treatment oh, I, I was, so I was so frustrated. So I was already frustrated. I'm like, why are people rebelling against him? He's right. And then, uh, then when it start, when when uh, there was enough of a backlash, the Dodgers were like, all right, well, f you. Not only are we going to trash you, but we're going to trade you. So they just abruptly traded him. Uh, and also Todd Zeal, who was uh, no nowhere near the player Piazza was. That was another strange thing to ship out. He's, he he was having some productive years at the time. They they shipped him out to the Marlins. And then, uh, and then two games later, uh, did they bring in that mutt Paul? Uh, what was his name? Paul? I always get them all. Confused. Paul Laduca. Yeah, Laduca. Didn't he replace Piazza? Uh, no, there were various others who replaced Piazza. That uh, now in this trade, they received four players. They received uh, Gary Sheffield, who was really the only productive one that they got. Yeah, he was still on the downswing though of his career. Well, no, he no, he was still hitting very well, but he was on roids. He was big time on roids. He hit very well, but he still wasn't quite Piazza, and he also wasn't a catcher. Uh, then you had uh, – they got Bobby Bonilla, who was a complete fail, and, and a big contract of his. Then they, He's still getting paid. Remember we talked about this? Yeah, I know. Then the Mets it's signed – check every year well, for like – Yeah, the Mets stupidly signed him after that. And then they got uh, Jim Eisenreich, who had always killed them, but otherwise didn't hit well against anybody else. And he had Tourette's syndrome, which was kind of weird. And then they got uh, Charles Johnson, who was the one who replaced Piazza. Great defensive catcher. Great defensive catcher, but couldn't hit. No, but great defensive. Yes. Basically so, the reverse of Piazza. Yeah, the, uh, Piazza's... Uh, he, he had no defense. Yeah, he didn't have much defense. but uh, Couldn't he, throw people out. But he was much, much stuff. more valuable than Charles Johnson because of the hitting. I never understood why they didn't move him to first base. Because he was obsessed with catch. Well, two reasons. He was obsessed with catching, and, and second... Uh, having the catcher there, usually the catcher is weak hitting, so this way you're you're taking up uh, a spot in the lineup that's usually uh, for a bad hitting player, yeah. and then you can put a good. There's a lot of good hitting first baseman you can put there instead. So that, that's that makes what, sense. But a lot of the thinking is you know keep his legs fresh, prolong his career a couple years. Yeah. So but. so uh, now there's some rumors Piazza was on steroids. There are some people that said they they saw telltale signs like like acne on his back he was getting and uh, also there was questions on how how an unheralded player from a junior college and and uh, could have uh become such a superstar so quickly almost overnight uh, me, and uh, what i will say about piazza is that his career did follow the trajectory of what you would expect of uh, a player who's not on roids meaning he he had a good start uh his peak years were in his uh, mid to late 20s 
then he had a few, uh, some good years that were close to peak. Just like, good. just like Griffey. And, and, then, and then starting from like 32, 33, started a, a slow decline. And then the late 30s, he was a shell of his former self. So that was a, you didn't see Bonds-like years where he's setting all kinds of records as a 39, 40-year-old. He, he had the career trajectory. It's of, amazing. All it takes is some anonymous source to come out. And, and you know, even now what just happened with Peyton Manning. And, and, you know, say something like this or a tribute or claim they know somebody that knows somebody that saw him stick a needle or do this and it, it taints a guy's – I mean, you know, maybe he did, maybe well, he yeah, did. I can see both sides of this one because it is it was strange how he just rose so quickly to what he became. Uh, but but he's never been linked to any actual steroid reports. And, and because his career followed exactly what you'd expect of someone not on roids and he didn't have any kind of funny injuries and, uh, and his body didn't seem to abruptly change. In like, any other era of baseball, this wouldn't even be brought up. It's just the fact he played in the steroid yes. era. So, so uh, anyway – the Do- I felt the Dodgers treated him so poorly. I was so upset by that trade. I was so upset by that trade. I, I, I loved Mike Piazza. I didn't want to. I wanted he was the face see- of the team. Yeah, he was the face of the team. He was carrying the team throughout the nineties. So uh, for them to trade, I actually have a Piazza jersey, which uh, actually doesn't say Piazza on the back. It just says thirty-one. So now it's actually become repurposed as a, a Jock Peterson jersey because uh, he's now thirty-one. So I, I wore that to the Dodgers playoff game I went to. It looked like I was wearing a Jock Peterson jersey. But uh, did he ever uh, make up with the Dodgers? Did the Dodgers ever make up with him? No, never. So, so that's what you see. He's been, in fact, uh, not too long ago, he said uh, he'd rather not be in the hall at all going in, as a than going as a Dodger. So, you know, Yikes. he's not going as a Dodger. He's really bitter about it. But I don't blame him because he did so much for the organization. They they barely paid him because he was young. And then and then when he finally wanted to get paid, they they badmouthed him in the media and turned the fans Apparently, against him. Apparently, he was told he can't officially reveal which team he's going in under until tomorrow or later today when, when he was asked by ESPN. But when he was asked and he had a smile and then he listed a strong, like a number of superlatives about the Mets and didn't say a word about the Dodgers. And yeah. he was like, you know, kind of winking when he said it. So it what, was, what if he went in as the Marlins for two days? <laughs> I wonder if that's even allowed. I think, I mean, I don't, I, not that he would do that, but I, I, I thought I read once that there was a rule. Yeah, I think they can overrule uh, that. Yeah, I believe they that, can overrule like, it. If, if, for example, say uh, you're a hired gun, um, I don't know. I'm trying to think of a good example, but just uh, you know, okay. Here, here's an example. Like say David Price, who pitched uh, for Detroit this year only. He was acquired from Tampa, and say he you know wanted to go in in his career. Say he won the World Series and wanted to go in as as a Tiger, but you know he ended up just signing as a free agent with. Uh, think was a Boston think you went to any anyhow I remember reading something about that that you can't there's some sort of criteria where you like you said you can be overruled um or or sometimes they'll just decide I look at someone like Ricky Henderson fuck I don't even know what team did he go into the hall with the Yankees the athletics I don't know yeah I don't know I would think the athletics there are a lot of those guys that played so long with so many teams but anyhow I, I always liked him um, he, he actually went to college in South Florida. I don't even if you know that. Where yeah, I know. Drafted. He went to Day, Miami Dade Miami College. Dade. Oh, very good. Yeah. Very, very good that you know that. Um, and the fact that he was, I mean, like you said, it was a token draft pick. As, okay, we'll draft her boy just so we can say he got drafted. They never expected him to rise like that. So it's really an amazing story how, uh, for whatever reason, you know, and I guess it is a, it was <clears throat> a different age back then in terms of, 
like now scouting everything's on computers and everyone knows everyone they're scouting kids you know especially in sports like basketball like as young as 11 12 but how can no one have seen any glimpse of talent that would lead to a higher pick than the 1390 yeah, crazy. overall that's crazy i mean that's nuts you th- would yeah. think you would you would have seen some flashes of power of of just you know offensive hitting or something. Yeah, I know. Because in '93, uh, his first year, he had 35 home runs. So <laughs> it's not it's like he five, developed. Five years later, so yeah, maybe he gained a lot. Of, I, I don't know. It's very. It's it, that's 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 nuts. So anyhow, he uh, is going in. He got 83 percent of the vote. I believe you need 75 percent to get in. And then uh, in third place, he did not make it. But everyone's saying next year won't be a very good year, so he'll definitely make it. Uh, is Jeff Bagwell with 71%, um, followed by Tim Raines with 69%. And then there's really not much after that. I mean, you have Kurt Schilling, who got a little over 50% this year, and he'll get in. Uh, and then after that, it's just all the steroid guys, you know, big names, Clemens, Bonds. Um, one guy I guess I think that will get in, Ed, um, Mike Mussina should get in. Uh, he got 43% this year, but I think it was only like his second year. Think he's a Hall of Famer? I actually don't. I think he got the benefit of a lot of wins that uh, just because he was playing on good teams, and uh, he, you know he wasn't a bad pitcher. But I, I think that uh, he, he's one of those guys who just won a lot of games, but his his numbers weren't all that great from what I saw. And then Trevor Hoffman, he's going to be the closest pitcher to get in. Uh, I guess he's at sixty seven percent. And then uh, the guy that got that people are saying got screwed. Uh, he had base- very close numbers. In fact, he was all-time save leader for a while. Lee Smith, and his career numbers are very similar to Trevor Hoffman. He only got 34%. Mm. And then dropping off the list, and he'll never be able to make it to the Hall of Fame unless a Veterans Committee one day uh, inducts him. Alan Trammell, who's a little bit before my time. I remember the name. Yeah. He played for the Tigers, I think. Yeah. Um, anyhow, so pretty interesting. You know, uh, Bonds and Clemens, if they hadn't done roids, uh, would have likely first made. Ballot. Yeah, no, I'm saying, I'm saying, no. For, even if you, you take away the, whatever they extra numbers they got from the roids, they were good enough to be Hall of Famers without steroids. These weren't uh, players who were just okay that gave themselves great numbers through roids. These were players who were really excellent players who then supplemented roids on top of that. So they they really screwed themselves. Yeah. Well, speaking of sports, I know you don't like to talk too long about it just because a lot of our f- listenership isn't into it, but uh, something interesting is going on in the L.A. area. Next week, there's going to be a vote, and although it's very unlikely, the L.A. area can literally go from having zero teams in the last 20 years to three teams in one season, <laughs> although most likely it's not going to be three. It's, it's probably going to be You're two. You're talking about the NFL. Yeah, yeah, the NFL. There's probably going to be two. Um, the teams are the San Diego Chargers, the Oakland Raiders, and the St. Louis Rams. Uh, what? What? I know the NFL isn't your biggest sport, but I know you watch the games and you live in the area, and it's kind of insane the second biggest media market in, in the U.S. has not had an NFL team in, in two decades. Um, but do you have any feeling, if you had to pick one, that you're going to root for eventually out of the three is – I don't know. I mean, I don't even know. You say if, if three actually all came here, or just which one would I like? Well, to no, see? I'm saying right now, if you had to pick one that you would like to come, or that you know, hey, I, I wish we get the Chargers because I kind of like them anyhow. I don't know. Do you, do you have any kind of preference? Not that much, but uh, if I had to pick one, it'd be the Chargers. And uh, 
I I think that uh, that's been talked about for a long time for the Chargers to come here. Uh, and I, I know this, it, the the Rams and the, that's been more recent talk, and the, the Raiders. I know there's been some talk for a while as well about coming back. But uh, well, the fact also the Rams used to be in LA. Oh, so the Raiders. So yeah, it's, it's a return to two of two of teams right. that. Uh, it's it's funny that they were both there, and then within a short time they were both gone. So. Do you have any idea from your readings and gatherings how you think it may turn out this vote? No, I, I haven't seen that much about that. But uh, now I wonder where they're going to play. Well, okay, right now um, there's two stadium proposals. One is in Inglewood, and the other is in Carson. Yeah, I, I remember the Carson. The Carson project they took talked about in the late '90s. The owner of the Rams has a project, his name, I can't pronounce his last name, it's Stan Kronk or it's K-R-O-E-N-K-E or something like that but he has a project in the works that's just for his team, I think it's in Inglewood um, it's like a $2 billion state of the art stadium uh, it would basically be the best stadium ever built at least in, in the United States and then the Ra- uh, Raiders and Chargers have a joint plan Kind of like how the Lakers and Clippers do to play in the same, you know, be tenants in the same stadium, and I think that one is in Carson. Um, yeah, I think that's actually over a dump, believe it or not. At least if it's the same one from the '90s. I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe. now, what, what options would they even have to play? Because these teams want to play next year. New stadium hasn't even been approved yeah, I don't yet. Know. I don't see that how that would be done. Round. Well, no, this is for next year now. Other than where USC plays in the Rose Bowls or any other. Even stadium in the LA area? No, I can't. I can't, I can't think of a stadium that they could use for that. What about like where the Angels play? Are those baseball only stadiums? Or could they be converted into football? Um, yeah, they probably could. For the, uh, I don't think the Dodger Stadium really could. But uh, What's it, where the Angels play at? At Anaheim Stadium. Okay. I think uh, uh, maybe that one could. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, next well, year, either, they'll, they'll never have these stadiums built by then. Well, they're talking about 2018, a stadium being built, which I kind of think is kind of fast. Yeah, it's pretty fast. Yeah. But anyhow, so nonetheless, in L.A., there will be NFL football next year. You can take that to the bank. Um, if I had to pick right now, my guess, I'm, I'm thinking the Rams uh, will definitely be playing there next year. Um, they play in a bad stadium in St. Louis. Supposedly, there's already legal action that St. Louis is the Rams have taken against uh, the city that violated their lease agreement, so on and so forth. I don't know if the if the NFL is going to let the Chargers move just because they have so much history, uh, you know, playing in, in San Diego and, and just a deep fan base. Um, so I guess right now I go on record, I'm going to say if it had to be two teams, if gonna, definitely one, it's going to be the Rams. If they let two, it'll be the Rams and the Raiders. See, I don't know if, if L.A. could even support two teams at this point because I, I think it's well, been so long. Baseball. No, no, no. But it's been so long since they've had NFL football in L.A. that I think a lot of people in the area have just kind of gotten out of it and they're not. Uh, there's not enough NFL fans. I disagree. I don't think there's enough in L.A. that uh, – the. in fact, they, well, that, that's been a problem the whole way. They just uh, – L.A. is never a, a huge NFL town. And well, okay, the first thing is recent studies have shown that I think it was somewhere close to 50% of Charger fans, people that go to the actual games are from L.A., L.A. County, Orange County, etc. 
Secondly, the way the NFL is now in, in terms of money, although they do make a lot of money, the teams off of you know attendance, parking, the personal seat licenses, so on and so forth, a lot of it's just from the TV contract. They make billions just from the TV contract. So I don't think it's not as much as like, you know what, if the stadium is only half full, this, these teams aren't going to make money. So when you say, you know, you don't think L.A. can support two teams, it's not really like in the traditional sense. Well, the TV, contract, the TV contract is a different matter. The TV contract, this is why the Dodgers, nobody can watch them except for a small percentage of people in L.A. Because uh, the cable companies have revolted. And said we're not paying for a separate channel for each team and, and paying right, a lot of money for subscribers. Contracts that aren't on cable, though, for the NFL, it's a different, it, that's a different, totally different thing. I know it's different because it's not on every day; it's a, it's once a week. Right, but, but if they already have the contracts locked up. Cable's not going to be involved at all, other than ESPN uh, showing Monday Night Football. That's you know what I mean. There's no there's no cable on on for NFL. They're all network games that have you know what I'm saying. They're all network games. No, you don't understand. Yeah, I guess so it's, not, it's not the same. Either way, I mean, maybe you're right, maybe you're not. I mean, definitely one team. I, I you know, and from what I read, you know, they still, even though USC is pretty bad, they, you know, LA supports USC, they support UCLA. It's only eight home games a year. I mean, it's it's fucking LA. It's kind of embarrassing. You guys don't have an NFL team. It, it is embarrassing. I don't I don't understand what happened, but I, I just couldn't get it done. It's the second biggest market in the country. Yeah. So, anyway, that's something to look for. I'm gonna like again. I'm gonna go on record and say the Rams first choice, and then the Raiders if they bring in two, and we should have a, a vote. I think the vote is early next week. And actually, funny enough, the guy lobbying is a guy by the name of Carmen. Guy, that these teams hired to lobby, or at least uh, the Rams and Raiders. It's a guy by the name of Carmen Policy. Do you know who that is? No. He was a former uh, president. And CEO of the uh, 49ers back in the 80s and 90s during their heyday. Hmm. Now, by the way, is, is Daredevil still here? I see he's on, but is he is he with us? Uh, barely. <laughs> okay, so the NFL talk isn't that exciting for Daredevil, and uh, maybe uh, Vancouver will get a team that'll that'll get him excited. I doubt it. <laughs> they, well, you know what? They had their one shot. They had uh, an the NBA Vancouver, team. They had the Vancouver Grizzlies. Yep. yep. First draft pick. Who was their first oh, ever draft pick? God. Out of Oklahoma. Big Country. Very good. Bryant, Big Country Reeves. And they couldn't, after a year or so, they couldn't even fill like half the seats, and they ended up moving to uh, Memphis. Memphis, where Truff and- could actually go see them courtside if you're in enough tiers this year. I am yeah. going to be. Uh, you know what? I'm not going to be in Memphis. I, I, I could have gone to Memphis. I, I'm going this spring to some – cities in that area, but I'm not going to make it all the way to Memphis. I considered it, but I'm going to stop in Nashville, and that'll be it. And you know that Vancouver was run by a guy called Steve Jackson, I believe. I don't know much about the NBA, but I know this much. So he picked big country who could barely move. Yeah, that's who, true. And who did he pass up on? Local oh, God. Boy. What year? Wait, wait, tell me what year. That, well, what year roughly was it? I don't know, but there aren't many local uh, superstar NBA players, so it should be a giveaway. Wait, are you saying it's somebody from, from Canada? Yes. Yeah, from, oh, from Steve Vancouver. Nash. Yes. Nash. Oh, wow. Yes. God, so that's passed on how Steve Nash is. kid, Steve Nash, for big country. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't think anyone ever really predicted that Steve Nash would be as great as he was. I mean, he won two no. MVPs. 
But if you're starting a team, maybe you get Yeah, a, you're right. Like you want to get the hometown boy in there just to generate interest, get the fans yeah, excited. You know, this isn't a big NBA town to begin with, like so. But I know the commissioner of the NBA said recently he regretted um, how things ended in Vancouver, and he'd like to look at it again as a possible new market. So, yeah. you know. well, he wasn't the commissioner obviously when that happened. Right. Uh, yes. A new co- what's his Adam? Uh, what's his name? Uh, Adam Silver. Adam Silver. Yeah. Thank you. But. Uh, <coughs> I don't. Know, I also remember back then a, a lot of the problem, and I, I guess it isn't now because you don't really hear too much about it with the Raptors. Was a lot of players didn't want to play in Canada, but because oh, of the money the conversion, they yeah. end up losing money. It was the taxes too. Well, yeah, and, and also the fact, I guess, and I don't know now how the how that would work uh, if you play, you know, in Canada now. I I know back then you weren't getting paid in U.S. dollars, so that was a problem. I assume you still aren't, but maybe uh, I, I don't know. Well, nowadays, you really don't want to be paid in Canadian dollars. It's worth like 72 cents. Oh, is it still, it's still, okay. it's still going down. Huh. Very, very interesting. Yeah, it's, it's uh, actually uh, – do you follow – you don't follow basketball at all, Daredevil? No, not at all. Because actually uh, there, there is a player that plays for Toronto, and he's actually Canadian. And he was actually huh? called or you know, they thought he was going to be the next great Steve Nash just in terms of being a Canadian product. He was drafted overall number one out of the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, and he is going to go on and be remembered, almost ninety-five percent sure, to be the worst, biggest bust, number one overall pick ever in the NBA. Do either one of you know who this is? No. Guy by the name of Anthony Bennett. He was drafted just two years ago. Two years ago, by the Cleveland Cavaliers, number one overall. And this past summer, he was actually cut. Cut. Twenty-two years old, he was cut, and he actually signed a one-year minimum contract uh, with Toronto this year. And he's been on the bench. He averages like two minutes a game. Uh, so uh, I, I'm looking. The, the Canadian dollar got even worse. It's actually slightly below seventy-one cents now. Yep, it actually fell like a point today. So I've never been good with that. So that means that if I went to Canada, things would cost more. No, no way less, less. No less. Way less no, that's way why less. this is actually a great year for tourism for Canada. Canada had a record year for tourism because of this. Okay, but is that me paying in dollars or converting them to? No, you have to convert it. The thing is, you get a lot more Canadian dollars for your U.S. dollar this way. Okay, so here, okay, Daredevil. So tell me this, and I, you know what? Other when I was young, I, I traveled in Canada, but I haven't been to Canada in, in twenty years. Um, so what is in Canadian dollars? What does a nice steak dinner cost? Like not like a chain restaurant, like a nice steak dinner, an appetizer, maybe you know a, a glass of wine or a dessert, just to, for one person. What does a nice good meal cost in Vancouver? Uh... A nice, yeah, nice part of town. You know, whatever your like district is. You know, for for. Yeah, appetizer, wines, take all that. Yeah, probably you're pushing two hundred bucks with the tax and everything for one person. Yeah, and that so then it's two hundred. So then they would cost me. Well, that, that's kind of a tough question to ask because there's a lot of different standards of what people will order at these type of places. That's. Well, I guess my point is, what would? No, I what, was just. I can tell you, I was just there. I was in Canada in uh, in September. And and the, it was uh, the Canadian dollar is a little stronger than it was like seventy five cents. Where right now it's seventy one, but uh, I actually noticed for the first time ever visiting Canada 
that things were actually cheap. Not super cheap, but before when I used to go to Canada, things were expensive. Like I, whatever I, I was buying there was costing me more than it was in the U.S. once you, you, you do the conversion. Here, because it was 75 cents, and now it would even be better at 71 cents, uh, it was like getting a 25% discount where, yeah, the, the, the base prices would sometimes be a little bit more than the U.S. base prices, but then you take away the 25% because of the, the exchange rate, and it, it becomes cheap. So, like, I, I went to uh, a... It was a what restaurant. Part of Canada? This was in the eastern Canada. In uh, oh, you missed TMLK then. Ballin. <laughs> I was at uh, in the city of uh, was this was in Quebec, in Quebec City. I went to a nice French restaurant there. Now this was a French restaurant that was uh, aimed at locals, not at tourists. And that's actually what I wanted. I didn't want something that's just uh, touristy. So it was a place where everybody speaks French and. All that, but it, it was a it was a good quality restaurant, good food, and uh, you know, considered a a high end restaurant, not super super high end, but a high end restaurant. And uh, after the uh, it was a meal for me and and Benjamin's mom and Benjamin, and after everything, including the the tax and tip, it cost me like eighty bucks U.S. for everybody. And that's uh, the, it was like you know the, it was because of the exchange rate that that made it so low. Did you stay in in Canada like in a hotel? Yeah, I I, I took a cruise and then after the cruise I spent three days uh, in Canada staying in in hotels. And what 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 are the average rates for like a good hotel? Well, it, again, this is very subjective. So and, and where you're staying, like I, I chose to stay in uh, Quebec City behind the wall. In, in a place that was highly regarded, so so of course that's more expensive, and and in, and I stayed in the old city in, in Montreal, which is more expensive. So just okay. like in the U.S., yeah. you, it's just like you say, well, how much is a hotel in New York City? Well, you could it depends where in New York City. It, it can be super expensive depending on the location. Right. So it's the same thing. It's it's too subjective. But I can tell you from spending on a lot of things, rental cars, uh, meals, uh, gasoline, uh, things like that, that uh, for the most part. Things were cheap. I, I said, "Wow, this is cheap." Once you convert it, it's cheap. And Daredevil, I, what's the median income uh, for the average Canadian? Canadian? Yeah, like what's the average income? Like in the U.S., it's like forty something thousand a year, maybe. Yeah, like, it'd be about that. Yeah, I'd say forty. I'm just guessing forty-four. I don't know. But the other thing is, you know, the, like Canada, it's obviously a huge country you know, geographically, and there's huge differences. Like, Todd's talking about Quebec. Quebec is cheap. Okay, you know, the economy of Quebec is, I I don't know what the explanation is, but for some reason everything's cheap there. Uh, Restaurants, even house prices, Vancouver is not. I mean, just to give you an example, like the, if you want to stay at the, you know, crappy holiday and that's not even downtown, on like a Monday, it's like 150 bucks. Yeah, I noticed that. I I, I stayed. I, that's exactly what I did. I stayed in a crappy Holiday Inn in uh, in Richmond, and it was like that. Right. J exactly. Stat is saying in the chat. Shout out to J Stat, by the way. I met him this past summer. Uh, that in Canada they round out pennies to the nearest nickel. Yeah, so if I, can't I have believe three you cents. I didn't know that. So if I have three cents on a casino ticket, you get five cents. Correct. I didn't know that. And if you buy something at a store, if you pay with a credit card or debit card, it will charge you to the penny. But if it's, you know, $100.91, it'll be only $100.90. You know what was kind of fail there at, uh, in Canada that I noticed uh, 
is that they have pins on credit cards. So when I tried yes. to use my American credit cards at gas stations, I always had to take it inside the, the store to have them run it because I couldn't run it at the pump. It says, what do you what's mean? Your, it says, well, what's you your pin? Well, you guys are getting them, by the way. We're actually more advanced. See, I, I hate the pin. It sucks. Wait. You're getting Oh, them. you mean – wait, a pin – like you have to put in a four digit code. Yes, it asked me. Yep. Yeah, I put in my code. I, I put in my card to buy gasoline at the pump, and it says, "Okay, enter your PIN." I'm like, "What the hell? I, I don't have a PIN." Yeah, the U.S. just asks you for your zip code. Yeah, so what's your PIN? So I don't, I don't have one. So I, I go in and go, "What is this PIN stuff?" And so they had to put it through like manually without uh, a PIN. Huh. Here, I, I have a caller on the line here. Caller on the air from six three one. Hey guys, it's handicap man. Handicap me now. Are you, are you waking? Up, are you waking up for work there in New York at five uh, forty? Yeah, yeah. What the fuck is going on? Uh, like, I get home last night at like twelve. I'm like, oh, radio's on. Like, great. I get something to you know, here in the way into work, and then it's like, oh, fuck the salon. Yeah. What's going on? I'll, I'll, tr- I'll try to be speedy with getting the archives tonight, so at least you can listen. I love more. it. I love it. Um, just because you guys are still on, I will donate fifty bucks. That's sweet. Oh, very nice. Oh, Thank wait. you. Awesome. Good man. Yeah. Oh, who's that? Brandon? Yeah, yeah Brandon. Buddy. It's the usual gang here. Oh. Brandon and Daredevil's here. Hello. How you doing? you fell asleep when I woke yeah, up. He, he, he did. He actually did fall asleep. <laughs> He's in Vegas and he fell asleep. Happy uh, Happy New oh. Year, handicap me. Hey, happy new year, buddy. Um, yes, uh, I'm sure it's a great show. And, uh, yeah, I'll donate to the next radio show. I love the, like, 20 hour shows. No, this one's, this one's getting close. This one's been on for, uh, seven, seven hours. Seven hours. Yeah, that's what it is. About seven hours. All right. I'll make it 60 then if it goes to seven. <laughs> All right. Okay. Well, we're going to get there very soon, like in minutes. Okay. I'm going to snooze it. Do, I'm going to rush it. How do you What's take up? the your commute to work? Are you a subway guy, or are you do you drive? What what's? Um, I'll tell you that in person when I go down in May and I send you to Walmart. But uh, <laughs> I that's cute. I take some type of train for thirty five ish thirty minutes, and then it's like a like a five minute walk to uh, wherever. Okay, so I'm. Not, I was wondering if you're on like some sort of two-hour commute where you can listen to a, a good chunk of the show while you're getting to work. I would rather... I would rather kill myself if I had a two-hour commute. Uh, like, I, I will tell you that when I, mean, I when I visit New York City, I, I take the subway. I, I like taking the subway. Um, Like... It, not during rush hour, like the subway during rush hour, uh, kind of. Yeah, I did. I, you know, bike. I did do that once. It was very jammed. Yeah, yeah and then, it, you know, if you have like a bum who's like sleeping, you know, like right on the floor, you don't want to kick him, and you're afraid he's dead. Like, yeah, the kind of puts a damper on things. See, I've never run into that there. I just have just run into like massive crowds around rush hour. Uh, okay, you know, you kind of like that. I like that. Is it still but, like um, that perception, like, you know, 80s movies that, like, the subways, like, there are homeless people sleeping on top of newspapers, and, like, is it still that kind of way? Dude, at least, I want to say, uh, I would say over-under would be, like, 2.5 times a week. You you probably see that either in the morning or at night. I guess I've run well. It's it, like it's so it's so very common, and you know, no one's gonna say anything. You, you know what was weird though? I took the subway once from uh, from Manhattan to Brooklyn, 
And it was amazing watching, like, I get on in Manhattan and it's all, like, white business people. And by the time I get to Brooklyn, it was, like, almost all black people. I was, like, only with a few white people on the subway at that point. Well, how far into, like, Brooklyn did you go? Uh, I, I went into the, the Orthodox Jewish area. Oh, uh, okay. Because it's, like, when you leave Manhattan to go to Brooklyn, it's, like, Manhattan, then it's, like, hipster neighborhood. Then it's, like, darkness. And then it's like, uh, I guess, your crap. Where's the all-Jew neighborhood in New York? The all-Jew neighborhood in New York? Well, that's what Druff's talking well, there's about. Well, there's What's a lot the of... Well, that's, in Brooklyn, it's a mixture now where uh, where there's some Orthodox Jews and then uh, then a lot of uh, black people in the same place now. What city is uh, that? That's at least where I went there was. Wait. Brooklyn, there's like a predominantly Jewish neighborhood, and then like right next to there is um, there's a Russian neighborhood. But like before you hit them, if you're taking like the Green Line, which is the um, four five six, uh, you'll hit like a hipster neighborhood that's like around Barclays Center and like Williamsburg and shit like that. And then like between those two areas is like a pretty um. I, I I don't know when when I when I took the the subway I'm telling you by the by the time I got off in that uh, Jewish Orthodox Jewish neighborhood I was like the only white person on the subway. I guess what, you what, city, what, what city is this? It's not a, it's a Jewish. This is Brooklyn. That's Brooklyn we're talking. Oh. about. Oh, it's not. But there's not like a name of the part of Brooklyn it is. Uh, I'm just curious. Probably. I'm. I I'd have to like I wouldn't know off the top of my head. Okay. I. I obviously don't hang out there. So what were you going down there, Druff, for? Just to visit or a restaurant? Yeah, yeah I, was, I was visiting someone, yeah. Oh, you knew someone in the Orthodox Brooklyn yeah, Garden? Yeah, okay. you know, maybe, uh, for all you know, I may have been visiting One Step. Maybe maybe I was uh, having a tryst with One Step there. He doesn't live in New York anymore. Oh, well, yeah, but this is a long time ago. Oh. Hmm. Hey, uh, Brandon, can you do me a favor? Yes. So I know you like to give the hard-hitting questions. Todd, I'm sorry about this. Um, I would like you to get some Todd. I want him to name five companies that he's had more than one type of business interaction with and has not had a complaint about. You want Todd to answer this? Well, how about at least okay. uh, companies that, that, it's not that I've had no complaints? These are, if I've been to something a whole lot of times, then it's, it's likely at some point I'm going to have to complain about something. Well, but, you know, let's just do this. Todd, name for me five big business companies that you continually do business with that have never, ever had even a minute issue with. Well, that doesn't happen if I continually do business. <laughs> no, because if I – listen, if I continually do business with them, something's going to come up. But if they handle it well – What do you mean though? No, that's, yes. that's not true. Yes, it is I true. I can sit here and I can tell you tons of companies I've done business with that have never had an issue. Well, you can – I mean you can have something where there's like pretty much no issue because you don't have much interaction with them. You just you – just, but, uh, but that's no issue. Well, that, but that's not – I don't think that's what you're asking. Like, like I don't think I've ever had – Wait, wait. No, no, no. Wait. Uh, uh, no, because it's, it's my theory that even – even like a McDonald's, you you rolled up there and you just like gone off on that. No, that's not true. That's not true. I I only go I only go off about okay, let's ask, I only go off about valid okay, things. Just, what what mid fast food? And when I say mid fast food, I mean like a, a Panera Bread or a Chipotle or a place you know not like a McDonald's, a place a little bit decent. A place like that. Do you have a, a kind of preference? A Starbucks? 
that you go to, you know, on periodically. Like a Chipotle, Starbucks, uh, Panera Bread, hell, even a Panda Express. Just is there any kind of? Yeah, there chain? is. And, and, okay, and, what's the one? And, well, like El Pollo Loco, I go there. Okay, you're a big El Pollo Loco fan. How many times would you say you you ate there last year? Calendar year 2015. Uh, Just a guess. Ballpark. Fifty. Okay, Jesus. Okay, so you like your chicken? That's good. Joe, do you get the chicken, or do you get some sort of? I, I get the chicken. Okay, and you get like the chicken combo with like corn or yeah. Whatever. Okay, I've gotten that too. Although the one in Vegas, there's been issues where they run out of chicken. There's, 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 there's some bad locations, yes. Yeah. Okay. How many issues did you have last year out of the 50 times you went to Russell? Um, of any type? Any type of issue where you actually, other than well, okay, up, I, ordering I, your food, getting a, a receipt, them saying out, would tell us, would tell us, then you get in your food, sitting down and eating, and then leaving. I, I'm guessing out of 50, probably five, but they, they, you know, they, the thing is, it's not me just being nitpicky. Like, they forget things, or uh, they, they just do something completely wrong. Like you, uh, do you, Are you a difficult orderer? No, I, well, no, 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 sometimes, sometimes. This here, well, not tomatoes, but do you, well, you just standardly say, I want a number four. Uh, and, and no, no, yeah, yeah, I, I do make modifications, but the bottom line is either they can do it or they can't. They, they, they can't say, yes, we'll do it, and then not do it. Now, what's your standard El Pollo Loco modification? Well, no, no, it depends who's with me. Like, I, I don't want to get into all this. It's, it's, not, it's not so much me. It's, it's well, other people. Yeah, he's for. given 70 bucks or 60 bucks to know these answers. So I think that's a lot of money. Well, no, he's given the 60 bucks for something. I, I'm t- I'm tell- what I'm telling you here is it doesn't matter what the modification is unless it's completely no, I'm ins- for an Unless it's completely insane. You, like you leave out a few things. Know this, know that, know this. Like a, you, okay, So like you want the chicken in this but no onions or no hot sauce or no Yes, this, yeah, right? things like that. And if they, and then they and then they have it anyway. The the thing you have to understand that these places uh, a lot of the, the employees are not paid very much and uh, they, you're getting a little angry about Pollo Loco. What's no, I, I what I'm trying to say here is it doesn't make you a bad customer. If you go somewhere 50 times and the place saying, uh, Hold on, hold on. If they, if they if if you go there 50 times and five of the times they do things that are just blatantly wrong. They forget things. They uh, they they they, they Put stuff in that you you told them not to, and it's on the receipt that they're not supposed to, and they do it anyway, and, and things like that. Oh. Then they've made a mistake, and then okay. you know, they they need to correct it. I am gonna live, we're gonna do a little role playing here real fast. I oh, am boy. the cashier. You're you're a druff. Hello, welcome to El Pollo Loco. What can I get you, Senor? Okay, what, what, we're, we're not what, doing what, this, <laughs> Senor, Senor Druff. No, but I'm, we're doing role play. So I don't want to do the role play. I, I'm, t- I'm telling you here. No, no, no. no I, I'm. I, it, it's, it's not a crazy. I say like. Uh, I, I say. I say leave. It depends who it's for. Listen, listen. I, I. If you say leave this out, leave that out, leave this out. Uh, you, list, you list three things. You list, you list three things, and they don't leave any of it out. Then they've made a mistake, and you, and yes, you should say something. Of you course you should, but I'm asking. So, you so, the, so, so, why is this? Why does specifics matter? I don't know. I they just they don't. Know. I'm just well, I, I'm, what, not, I'm not giving it. I'm just telling you I'm not giving it. Don't tell me what you imaginary order. At no. No, I'm not. I'm, t- I'm telling you that this that's the type of thing that's a mistake. I'm like, I'll tell you what I don't do. I don't come back and say, I don't come back and say, hey, I don't like the way the chicken. I don't, now I'm very flustered by all this, too. I don't I'm, I'm getting flustered by this because you're not taking my word for it or what's happening. I'm not why, is the specific, you're wrong. why do the specifics matter? Why? What are you talking about? Why do the specifics I'm matter? Why do the specifics matter? Wrong. I'm just asking you for what you normally order when you go there. Why do the specifics matter? It doesn't matter. 
playing a game. Why does that? I don't want to play a game. I'm t- I'm telling you. I'm cranky. You want to take your ball home and go home. No, I'm t- I'm telling you what happens here. Right? I, I feel like I'm being set up here that the, the, you're trying to out. you're trying to find a way here to to make me seem unreasonable. And it, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play into this. I'm I'm just telling you very simply. If you say leave these two things out and you get the stuff and they're in there, then they've made a mistake. It's that simple. And if I, I order food anywhere in the store, I'm so, what was that handed to me? I can't I can't hear I can't understand it. What's it saying? I don't know. Well, you're being unreasonable. I'm no, not I, I, no, I, I, no, I'm it's, telling. It's I, not, not even making fun of me. I just I'm just now it's just a point of principle where I'm very curious what it is. It, but this is already my order. My my order is is so is pretty easy. Dark meat. I, I get the, I get the chicken breast there, so it's it's white meat. Okay, that's good. And then what do you get? Two sides? Yeah, you get two sides. So I'll get like a like a mac and cheese and a and a mashed potatoes, no gravy. So how do they screw that up? Maybe like, uh, like the mashed potatoes potato. will have the gravy is a, a one that happens a lot. See, but none of this is unreasonable. I don't know what you think I am. That I'm some sort of uh, well, because I, I don't understand what the specifics are here. It's just a, if it, it's very simple with me. I like what I don't do is like let's say that the chicken isn't perfectly cooked. If it's a little, you know, if if it should have been cooked a little bit more and it's, it's a little bit red. I'm on your side here. Why are you getting so? I, I know. I'm, I'm just I'm just giving an example. Okay. I I don't complain about that. I'm not someone who looks to complain about something. But if something is blatantly wrong. I don't care if it's happened five out of seven times. I'm going to complain five out of seven times. If you don't want gravy on the potatoes, they put gravy on, I would go up and I would say the same thing. Yeah. Those are unreasonable requests. Well, and sometimes I won't notice till I get back home because I do a takeout and then I have to call but up. You and always home. look, though. I always look, especially at fast food. Yeah, you know what's sometimes tough? If you have a big order, you order for like a few people, they, they stuff it all in one bag and it's very hard to open it all up in the car sometimes. So sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. And and they're pretty good if you call up and tell them, hey, you made this mistake, then they give it to you free next time. And uh, ever had the churros that they have for dessert? Yeah, they're 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 not that good. They're not that good. I know. I agree. Well, especially yeah. Okay. Well, I, I, we learned something new. Handicap me. Did you did, did that? I'm not going to go through the four other businesses because some reason he got very upset. But it, it's the same story with everything. It's the same story with everything with me. It's very simple. If 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 something is blatantly done wrong. Then I'm not going to just pay for it anyway and accept it. I'm going to have them now a, sli- a slight a slight mistake that I can live with no problem. Uh, something that just really interferes with my enjoyment of it that's just done wrong. They've got to fix, and it's not my problem if they make the mistake half the time. I have had places I've gone to but before. No one, no one thinks anything you're saying is unreasonable. I know, but the, but unfortunately, there's an impression that I'm always a difficult customer. I'm just the well, customer who speaks up when there's mistakes, where others just say, "Oh well, I'll just." Well, deal I think with it. a lot of it is just pettiness, but the things you are describing now are petty now. And I'll give you an example of, of, at least in my opinion, how I differ from you. The pizza place that you love, that's like your, you know, and it's very hard to find like a real good pizza place. I'm not talking about a Domino's, like a mom and pop pizza place. If they screwed me out of a coupon for a few dollars, of course I'd be pissed and I'd be livid just like you were because it's not right. But at the same time, if it's my favorite pizza, and it's nearby. I'm not going to just say, you know what? I'm going to deprive myself for the rest. Well, no, of I was going to. I was actually going to back down. I, I wasn't going to. A few dollars. I, I was pretending I was going to not come back, but uh, I really okay. was going to. I was. So I, I think things like that people think are a bit extreme about you, but in general, nothing that you've said tonight, or I mean, even your infamous subway thing, isn't. That's just someone being petty and probably having a bad day and not wanting to put tomatoes on the. Side. No, it wasn't someone. I, no, it was the owner demanding they can't. Oh. Well, 
I mean, they could do whatever they want. No, they can't. They put the owner on the phone with me who verified that, that was oh, the shocking I'm saying thing. they don't have cameras there that are watching. No, they, they said be... that the owner like put the fear of God. Into, I could tell they were telling me the truth. Okay, they're like, maybe, they're like hey, we want to do it for you, but you don't know how emphatic well, you know, this guy is about they this. They are franchises, so every owner can have their own policy. But yeah. I'm just saying from a perspective of freshness and crispness, tomatoes do get soggy. I mean, uh, normally if I have a sandwich and I'll leave it in the fridge and plan on eating it, you know, a short, a long time later, the next day you take the tomatoes out because it's just yes. going to ruin the whole sandwich. Yeah, so. and it, the bottom line is that uh, I I want things to be done right, and I, and I want respect shown to me as a customer. Not respect like they have to kiss my ass, but respect like they're not doing me a favor to eat there. Like, I don't want to go to the soup Nazi. Did you ever see uh, the movie Falling Down with Michael Douglas? Yes. Remember the scene with him going crazy in that little burger place? Yeah, yeah. Because they gave him, I can, that's kind of how you remind me. Not to that extreme, you know, but he also killed Nazis in the movie. <laughs> that, that's a different thing. But do you remember how he got upset? Because all he wanted was that nice, juicy, plump Well, there's two things. He, he, wanted, he wanted breakfast, and they stopped serving oh, yeah. at 1130, and it was like 1132. Yes. And they wouldn't go out, get out the breakfast room. He got a burger, and then the burger wasn't crazy. It, it looked nothing like the picture. Yes, right. So that's how kind of how I see, it. and there's nothing wrong with that. I I I, I actually really like that. It was like my favorite movie of that it's year. A very good movie, sir. What movie are you making? As he pulled out pulled out the rocket launcher. Yeah. That's a great movie. It is. Um, Michael Douglas. Uh, what's the other? Hey, what's, yeah. So I have to go, and um, that this wasn't so much made fun of Todd or whatever. It was more so to lead up to my second question because. I am about to head to my mode of transportation, my secret location mode of transportation. Okay. And I'm at work within, I want to say, 45-ish minutes. And it brought up, I don't know if it was on the radio tonight, but it brought up a conversation on the forum in the, um, uh, one of the threads Garrett decided to ruin with, uh, with Melissa Myers or whatever. Um, about compensation in the tech industry and then just overall compensation in this day and age in 2015, where there was an older crowd who went to the side of, oh, people are, are spoiled this year, they're being overcompensated, et cetera, et cetera. And then there was the younger crowd saying, like, this is the market, like, this is, this is what it is. I like how I'm the older uh, crowd now. Well, I mean, you kind of, it was me and this guy's daughter saying one thing and then you and him saying another. So, and then like final team was like right in the middle with Abraham as well. They're like, you know, mid to late thirties. No, no, no. Silent team's older than me. Is he really? Yeah. yeah. Not by much, but a little bit. Now yeah. wait, Druff, you were on Garrett's side? <laughs> Cause you're wrong. I don't even know what this discussion is about, but you're wrong. I don't get it either. Garrett, Garrett isn't that old either. I mean, he's not young, but I'm older than he is. Yeah, but he's a broke scammer. It's fine. But essentially what happened was this. Um, Todd was saying that, or Todd and others, not just him, were saying that in this day and age, companies are overpaying their employees. That's, that that's not exactly what I said. Wait, is the thing about food and... Yeah, yeah, that wasn't what I was saying. I was saying the perks they were giving, there were, there were too many, and I think it's the law the of diminishing... food, but they should just get snacks and a soda. Yeah, I, th- I think I think it's the law of diminishing returns. You give too many of these things, and it, it all starts to blend together. Yeah, so, um, well, I have some later. Maybe you could just, like, expand on that a bit, because I had my post, uh, which was a little bit shorter than yours, but ultimately it came down to, if this is the market and you want to get the top talent... 
why would you not do anything that's possible to pay them? So in Yahoo's case, why would you not do anything to make them as happy as possible and pay them as much as you can? And if that means spending $450 million on food just to get maybe like two or three of the top guys away from Google, Apple, or any of the new startups into your side and then actually help your business like stay viable, why would you not do this? Because what they're doing is they're giving it to everybody, and most of those people at the company are not those two or three top. They're just ordinary, and you don't need to do it. You, if you if you want to get a few special people who who, who you think are, are unique, then you pay them a lot more. And uh, and and you know, obviously that doesn't get disclosed to the whole company. You just make them a much better offer, and and you don't give blanket gourmet meals to every person in the company and waste money. Now, if, if your company's making a fortune, you don't want to ruin things. Like a, if if the company's very successful and you don't want to ruin the vibe there, like then, Google maybe. Yes, then then you then you keep staying the course. But if you're struggling like Yahoo and you've got to save money. Uh, I, I don't think the right thing to do is is pay every give every employee these perks, which end up costing the company a lot of money. I think it's just a waste, and I think a lot of these things are uh, the the employees enjoy it, but I think it becomes the law of diminishing returns, where at some point it's just none of this is really bringing people there or keeping people there. You could give a much lesser version, and it would have a, a very similar result. And I, I've uh, um, I've seen this in, in so many ways. Like Google, who will. Who will say, okay, they're only going to spend like their food budget, let's say, which honestly I think the $450 million was ridiculous number. But then I realized they're a large company. But let's say Yahoo said, okay, our food budget now is going to be $100 million. And then Google, with maybe twice the amount of employees, go, well, ours is going to be a billion. Now, I Wait, know. Someone's typing here. It's hard to hear you. Who's typing? It's not me. They're dead. Sorry. Are you typing? Is that better? Yeah, I just heard type, 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 type. It's hard to pay attention. Uh, uh, that wasn't me. I'm standing oh, in okay. my kitchen Oops. with my coat on. All righty. But, um, but, yeah, so my whole point is this. It's that if, if Company A, even though they aren't as big or they aren't doing as well as Company B, isn't willing to compete with Company B, then the talent is going to go to Company B. Now, you're saying, well, you really only need to treat the top guys that way. Well, um. In finance, we had our our year in reviews, and for most of the top banks, everyone, including like all the way up from interns to MDs, which is as high as you can go, all of us get ranked on a scale of five. Top ten percent get five, uh, and then the bottom ten percent get a one. Right, and all of them have like it does Cut not meet meets, etc. Right, the top ten percent would get exceeds. They're going to get the bigger bonus. The salary should be on par, you know, to anyone who gets a three and above. But the key is, though, is that that top that top ten percent that you're saying, oh, that's all you really need, and then everyone else is going to stay the status quo. Well, I got a four, okay, and I've been a four throughout my whole career. It's not bad. I wish I could be in that five, but you have to fuck too much dick, and no, nah, I really don't like the politics that much. But whatever. The truth is, though, is if Bank A wants to offer me more perks than Bank B, then even though I'm a four and I'm not 10%, so I'm top 25%, I'm going to go to the bank that's going to offer me the best. And even though I'm not that 10%, they need me just as much as that 10% does. Well, okay, okay. If I don't go there, then they have to get the top 50%, top 65%. Okay, At that point, you're going into like Garrett level retardedness. Well, let me, let me get to, the, to this. Uh, the, the, to answer that, 
Uh, people, I say people are creatures of habit and they really are. People just, for the most part, don't like standing up and leaving whatever their routine is unless there's a real incentive to do so. There's, there's exceptions to this, but most people, if they're at a job, if they're basically happy there, if they're going to make a little bit more, more money or a little bit better perks, uh, at the competing company, they're not going to do it because they're happy where they are. They're established where they are. They they don't want to leave even if there's a slightly better situation elsewhere. Now, if it's a much better situation elsewhere, then they will leave. But uh, uh, but if it's only a slightly better situation, they won't. So if if you're way underpaying your employees compared to the competition, yeah, you're you're going to have a mass exodus and you're going to lose uh, uh, not just the top people but the middle people as well. And, and it's really going to hurt you. I, I, I just, all in pump, though. I, I just, like, I, I just feel that you don't have to offer as equivalent, a full equivalent to the to whatever the other company's doing. If if everybody else is generally happy, as long as you're in the neighborhood of what's being offered, uh, people are going to be fine with that. I don't, I don't think people are going to get up and leave one tech to company because they're only providing. Uh, free snacks and soda versus one that's providing free meals. I don't think that's enough to make someone get up and leave if the salary is otherwise the same. Uh, if 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 they're making way more money at, at the other company, yes, they're going to get up and leave. Or if one has uh, uh, health benefits and the other one doesn't, they may get up and leave. So some big things they'll get up and leave. The small things, uh, unless there's not a whole, unless there's a lot of small things together that add up to a big thing. Uh, people just aren't going to leave. I, I think that they get too carried away with we've got to offer this or everyone's going to ditch out. That's not true. And and I've seen examples of this throughout my life, not just in the workplace, but I've seen this example time and time again where people are just creatures of habit where they are and don't leave. It even applies to people in bad marriages that, that don't want to get up and leave because they're just used to being there. So it's it, to, to change things that people hate change. And... Uh, uh, that's that's why people will stay in in situations that aren't very good. I've even found myself guilty of that at times, where I, I I'm in some situation of whatever it is, and uh, I don't leave just because I'm used to it, and 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 going into the unknown can be uh, unsettling. So, and I'm not someone who's afraid of change. I'm just saying that I I've seen it with others. I've seen it with myself, and. But I have left companies before when there's a major difference in the compensation that I have done. Okay. I mean, I, like, I, I kind of see your point, but then maybe, I don't know, maybe my industry is different. But, like, yes, like, a lunch a day won't change anything. But the status quo is that if you work at 7 p.m. for any of the large banks, you get free dinner. Up to thirty bucks. The status quo is: if you work past ten, you get a car home. Like that's the status quo. Is. Well, yeah, and if they're not you paying you, I'm sorry, I didn't want to interrupt. If, if you're on a salary and and you're assumed just to work uh, by the salary till five p.m., but many nights you're staying till seven or even ten, uh, then paying for these perks is, is worth it to the company because uh, they're getting a lot of free hours out of you. And, and uh, it's one thing to be a salaried employee and occasionally stay late to fix to finish something. If you're there a lot of nights past 7 or even as late as 10, uh, then they really are getting a lot of money out of you. And I've actually always had a problem with that, this, uh, this, exempt, uh, this exempt salaries where companies don't have to pay overtime. And it's it, it unfortunately it's morphed to where comp, where, where uh, employees actually kind of get abused in this way, 
where uh, you're being paid for 40 hours, but you're being expected to work 80. You're not just expected to once in a while work extra to meet a deadline, but it becomes like your normal work hours, and there's nothing you can do about it aside from just leaving. So I, I always thought that was... Uh, and, wait, and that's exactly it. So now I'm going to bring back up the question, these perks, right? If company A cheats them or increases them, makes them better, and you have to work late, you're spending 80 hours of your life there. Like, at Google, 80 hours is a joke. If you're, like, in any of the departments, it's probably even higher than 80 in most cases. If they start to take those away in company B, well, where, where are you going to be happier? Like, what's your all-in incentive? That's all I'm saying is that that's the case in this world. Like, back in the day, if you had to work 80 hours, well, they just said basically, fuck you, work the hours because we're paying you. Now it's like, okay, no, company A is going to do that. And if your company, company B doesn't want to do it, you leave. Well, yeah, if, if it's in lieu of, of hiring additional people so where they don't have to work as late anymore, then they are overall saving money because they're saving money on extra employees. So in that case, those expenditures can be justified, and I can see where they're correct. Uh, and, and if it becomes the industry standard, hire fewer people, expect them to work insane hours but, but feed them, fine. Then that's kind of a new standard. That, uh, that actually makes economic sense for the company. Uh, I, I just think that uh, giving perks because that's the thing you do when for, for employees that are there for 40 hours, uh, that's, that's a different story, especially if, uh, uh, as I said, it can be the law of diminishing returns. And, and speaking of working all these extra hours as a salaried employee, back when I was working in software, uh, something that was kind of a, a rude surprise to me, and I really didn't know prior to entering the industry, was that it was, this was very common, and it was assumed that uh, – you know, you're a computer nerd. You probably have no life. Uh, you're probably fine working really late into the night every night and just making this your whole life, coming in on weekends. Well, I didn't want that. I, I wanted a work life and I wanted a home life that had substantial time to it that I wasn't uh, spending my entire life at work. I just didn't want that. And I started to run into conflict. I was happy to work extra hours to finish something that was urgent or the deadline or an important project, whatever. But when it, when it started to become a situation where it's just, everyone was expected to work a lot of unpaid overtime every week, just as the, as the normal, as the normal work hours, uh, I started not to like that. And I remember my, my supervisor, he he called me in when I was not doing this, and he said, you know what, I, I see you're not working all these extra hours like you know, this guy and this guy. When it comes time for bonuses, uh, we only have so many to hand out. We're not going to give you one if, the, if this is what you're doing. So guess what I said? Okay, no problem. Give me zero then. <laughs> and I, I worked 40 hours. I, I It wasn't worth it to me to get a 10K, 15K bonus to, to work 50% to 100% more than I was before. Well, that's a very, okay, so uh, for a 10 to 15K bonus, then yeah, like, that would be an extremely low bonus, uh, comparable to what your main salary is and, yes. like, how much equity you're doing. In my case, let's say I do work a, I, well, no, on average, I would say I work anywhere from, like, a 60-ish to 75 hours a week, right? If my bonus wasn't at least um, I'm not going to give the exact range, although I'm going to find out my new range in three weeks during bonus season. But let's say last year was anywhere between 45 and 80%, right? If I didn't get at least that, 
I would either A, go to a different company and get a much cushier job and do what you did where it's like, no, I'm going to work my 45, 50 hours and that's it. Pay me the same exact amount and whatever. Or B, then it's just like, okay, if you don't want to give me that, then like, I'm sorry, but you can't keep it out. So you have to pay it. So I, I get your point that like, yeah, for 10K bonus working an extra 100% when your salary, let's say, is 100K, makes zero sense. But if they would give you perks like the car, like the dinner, uh, let's say, just make things simple, like a 50% bonus, your all-in pay is going to probably be close to twice what you're making, which, like, you know, for someone my age, if I'm making... Uh, the only person on the site who would probably know around what I'm making would be food. We talked about it, but let's say I'm making a decent amount. Like, you know, that's that's not bad. I, like, I'm not gonna say no. I only want to work. Like, I only want to work forty hours. Like, that's not. That's yeah, I, and I, I I understand. And by, by the way, we're we're losing Daredevil, which is fine. He, he, any of you guys can leave if you're tired now. But uh, look, I. I I understand, and everybody has their priorities of, of money versus time. And I just found, and this is my personal preference. There's over like twenty dollar difference on like a eight thousand dollar bill. Like, I mean, no, but that's that's like, on that's on principle. That, that's principle, and that's and that's a one time. When I say one time, I don't mean one time in my life, but I mean that's something I do. It's over, and then it doesn't happen again for a few weeks, a month, like that. So I can do that every so often, and not. Uh, uh, you know, not feel like I'm spending my life doing it. But but when you're working sure. week in week out, seventy five hours a week, that would be too much for me. I I don't unless I got paid some of seen some of money where I could rationalize. Well, uh, I'm making so much money now that I do this for a few years and then I can just retire really early and just uh, uh, do not uh, not work the rest of my life and everything's cool. Uh, if I'm just making like double, to me it's not worth it. I'd rather just go with less money. And uh, and and have more time to myself. To me, to me that was important. That your peers. What was that? Like, what if double is like in the point oh five percent of your peers that either a they didn't start a like a startup or they aren't like quant. Like, what if you're let's say in your late twenties and you make at let's say in fact you probably make double than almost all your friends. That that you know, and you have a very wide network of friends. Like, I mean, in my I, I mind, mean that, that's it, good, but uh, that 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 wasn't that important to me. It, it, you know, there's certain things that are important to me, and while money is important to me, if it, to, to me, and this is just me personally, I know other people feel differently, but uh, but to me personally, if if I'm spending too much time at work, even if I'm making a lot of money from it, if there aren't enough hours that I just have recreationally to myself, I'm going to be unhappy unless I can rationalize it to myself that uh, this is going to pay dividends later where I won't have to work at all as a result of this. But uh, other than that, I just say I'll just go with less money and, and do without it. And, 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 and the fact that I can be a cheap Jew also helps because I can stretch money a lot further than, than other people with the same amount of money. No, but I also feel, okay, so after hearing that, I also feel now then that like maybe you aren't just a cheap Jew. Maybe you're just a principal Jew. Um, it sounds like you would rather give up the. You would rather give up more money 
just to uphold your principles, which is kind of what you did with Ultimate Factor and, like, that whole bullshit era. And, okay, like, I was always going to give you shit for, like, the, like, $2 on, like, a $800 bill and you spending hours on. But, like, this, okay, this kind of makes sense. Because I really kind of wasn't getting your point of view and saying, oh, well, you don't have to do this, you don't have to do this those types of perks, but just hearing this, this elaborated version, I, uh, I kind of understand it. Now. Yeah. And a lot of times it is a principle. Like, like when I, uh, at this apartment I moved out of, uh, they wanted to withhold $9 for my security deposit for taking pictures. <laughs> and, and I said, I said, wait a minute. What, what do you mean $9 for taking pictures? They said, well, we have to take pictures of everybody who moves out. You have to take pictures of the apartment or the condition it's in. Uh, and uh, and it, it, it costs money to print these pictures. That's $9. I said, why should I pay for your camera? I, I took pictures also. You pay for my camera then. And so they said, no, that doesn't work. And so why, why should I pay for your camera and you won't pay for mine? So they're trying to justify this to me. And I said, absolutely not. This is ridiculous. This will never hold up in court. And they said, uh, and, and it's what court? I said, yeah. I said, you're not going to withhold a penny from my security deposit for something that one isn't legal and two isn't ethical. And, and I don't care if it's only $9, you're going to take this off. And, and, uh, and there was also, they, they, there was some BS that they overcharged me for, for having to clean certain things. And uh, like, it was a thing where I, I had to prepay for cleaning the apartment. Uh, when I was, mo- when I moved in, I already paid a cleaning fee for when I move out. So therefore I left it dirty and, uh, and which is fine. And I expected that, but then they wanted to charge me a lot of extra money for, for this and that that wasn't justified. So I just said, look, you be fair to me here and uh, um, everything be fine. Otherwise, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to pay BS charges. And the fact that there's things like $9 for your pictures is, is really just an abuse. And the, and the person at first couldn't understand why am I fighting over $9? And I said, well, if it's, if it's no big deal, then you take it off. If it's only $9, then you take off the $9. So they, they, I wasn't just the, it wasn't just about the $9 I was complaining about, but they, uh, the, if they agreed to everything except the $9, I would have said, forget it. I, I demanded the $9 uh, among the other things that I, I want to take off. And then they eventually backed down and did it for me. And, uh, and I said, look, I, I, I was overall happy here, but, uh, you know, if you're going to screw me on the way out, I'm going to, I'm going to post a bad review online and, and tell the truth about what's happening, including this, uh, outrageous nine dollars for you to take pictures and it, it wasn't like pictures of anything unusual in the apartment they just it's a standard nine dollars they charge everybody moving out to take pictures which wasn't in the contract or anything so you know the, a lot of people would say hey it's nine dollars who'd complain about it but i i said this is unethical it's like they're just stealing nine dollars from me it's not going to happen so th- that's the type of thing i do where i i, I don't want to reward unethical behavior even if there's a small amount of money uh, now, if it's a minute amount of money, if I got charged two cents for something, no, I'm not going to argue for two cents. But uh, but even something like nine dollars, uh, I I will argue with that if it's something blatant blatant like that. I so I, I can give a million examples like this, and that's why I can be seen as a difficult customer. But in, uh, the truth is, I try to be reasonable with everything, and I try to look at it from their point of view. And I think, is this something that could be defendable, or is this something they're just trying to gouge me? And if it's just they're trying to gouge me, then I'm going to fight it. And uh, But at the same time, uh, I, I don't live only for money, and, and there's certain things that are important to me that uh, are, are more important than money and that uh, I, I'll do with less money uh, to not violate those principles. So I, I, I guess I'm both a cheap Jew and a principled Jew, if you want to say that. Yeah, but it sounds like you're slightly more of the principled part. 
But um, listen, so I actually did something very uncommon for myself. I actually, oh, that gives away my motor transportation. Um, I actually uh, drove to a certain spot rather than just taking a direct train just to finish this uh, conversation. But uh, now my actual train, the one I drove to, is coming, so I have to go. Um, appreciate okay. the show. I'll pay I'll you some money later, and uh, yeah, tell Brandon I said good night. No, cool. or, Thank you for your call. Yeah, I think everybody's gone except you, but uh, so I'll, oh, I'll, I'll finish right. it up. <laughs> all right, I'll talk to you later. Son. All, all right. right, good night, Handicap Me. So that was Handicap Me, a, a listener to the show, often listens uh, in the archives when he's at work and his uh, long days, apparently. Uh, he's on the East Coast, so his day's just beginning, his mind is ending. My sleep schedule is kind of funny because I, I go to bed late, especially since I've been playing on Bovada, so I stay up very late on there. Sleep very little, get Benjamin ready for school and take him there in the early morning, and then after a short amount of sleep, sometimes even like one or two hours, and then uh, go back to sleep during the day and uh, when nobody else is home, then wake up later. But today I can't do that. Today I actually have to be awake the whole day. Can't go back to sleep. So it means I, I should probably end the show because it's uh, 3.20. And I have to be up in about four hours. And I can't go back to sleep. So that's not good. But at least I, I can go back to sleep on Friday. So that I will probably do. Right, let's, let's see. What kind of ratings do we have right now? I couldn't be very good. Someone saying, I love waking up and hearing Dreff complaining about $9. That's what Forum War saying. Yeah, you know, uh, those things just get me angry. I, I just don't like being ripped off like that. I, I don't just like extraneous charges that they think I'm just not, I'm just going to pay because it's only $9. There's always the reverse to every argument. You can tell me, what's the big deal? It's $9. And I can tell you, okay, if it's only $9, then don't charge me. It's, a, it's the same thing. Uh, someone in the chat asking, are you going to put up the show in the archives so as Eurodocs can listen? Yes, I will do that. I always do that before I go to sleep. It will appear in the direct MP3. See, that's my cell phone. Here, I'm going to answer. It's Brandon. Brandon, we're still on the radio. We want me to connect you for the final minutes of the show? Yeah, do you, you're on speakerphone. You want to just call into the show? Well, I have to reboot my different computer. Well, you, you, you can call the phone. You can just call the phone number, the seven seven five fraud fifty five. Well, my question is, you want, are we making this a morning show or no? Well, no, it's only, no, it's, it's only like a few more minutes, and I'm shutting it down. Okay, I'll just say goodnight then. I'll have to reboot and get the speaker. So I thought you may go a little bit longer. No, no, it's uh, almost eight hours about my limit. I, I, I should find people who are going to just pay us to do super long shows. Maybe that's an income stream I can research. Yeah. Okay, well, I mean, I, if you're going soon, I'm not going to set up. And I'll just call it as it is now, I guess. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you, thank you for appearing tonight, Brandon. Always a, I didn't mean to upset you with the chicken. You no, no, you, you, did, you didn't I upset me. Texas, I just, you know, I wasn't making fun of you. I just, you know, I wanted to know about the chicken and... Andy Captain, you had a question. You know, I don't think you're difficult. 
Okay, I mean, that's good. I, I, every example that you gave, I would have acted the same way. No, I, that's good. That's good. That's good. No, I, I was just, I, 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 I thought that it was going along the line just trying to prove something that wasn't true. And I was, no. Okay. No, not at all. Okay. Okay. Good night, my son. All right, good night. Ciao. <laughs> I've set you with a chicken. Someone's laughing about it in the chat room. Uh, Starbucks Buckbug says in the chat, uh, Druff, I wish I could let you manage my money, LOL. Yeah, well, I don't know. Maybe maybe I could help you. <laughs> I'm not volunteering. I'm just saying theoretically I could. I, I have helped people before that have had some kind of issue with a, a company or an individual. I'm talking like a financial issue and they can't solve it. And I said, so like if I care about the person, I'll sometimes volunteer. Okay, let me take over and. I have a very good record with solving those. Very good record. Some of it through persistence, some of it through knowledge, some of it through experience, some of it through just inherent Jewishness, but I have a good record. That's why, like, when I deal with the airlines, arguing with them, and I lose, I'm not used to it. I'm not used to just being shut down completely. Uh, so yeah, we're going to shut this down very soon. I sometimes wonder how I managed to talk this long for eight hours. I mean, at least I had some co-hosts here, so it wasn't a straight eight hour talking, but it's pretty long. And, uh, yeah, the way the archives go, it, it appears first in the MP3 format, just directly from the server. You can download from the radio forum. That's always where it's first. Uh, then eventually within... Usually an hour or two, it makes it over to TuneIn and uh, Stitcher and iTunes. So you can get them that way if you so desire. We do have about a 1,000 people that uh, listen to the show. I'm not exaggerating. That's around what it is. It stayed pretty constant. We gain new people. We lose some other people. And uh, most of those people are archive listeners. And... More seem to always come out of the woodwork and uh, introduce themselves to me in some way. And I just get new people all the time emailing me saying, I've been listening for three years, and I like this about the show, that about the show, and I could tell they've really listened, and people I've never heard of before, they're just there listening, and that's good. It is kind of a weird feeling, and I've said this before, to have people knowing a lot about me, and almost like knowing me, from hearing me all these hours, and I don't know them at all. That that part's a little bit weird, but it's fine. I, I am actually flattered and appreciative that people want to listen to me for this long. Even my own mother wonders why people listen to me this long. She actually said, what? There's actually people that want to listen to you for six to eight hours a week? <laughs> Yes, I don't understand it either, but but they do. So good. And I don't care if it's just to make yourself fall asleep or get the workday to go by faster or to make some drive less monotonous. Whatever it is, it's fine. Whatever your listening reason is, that's okay. 
And I, I do appreciate the people who uh, who give back, especially the ones that donate to the free roll. The individual who got me that uh, free room at the Nobu Hotel for my parents. Uh, people who buy pieces of me in the World Series of Poker. And uh, just anyone who contributes in any way to this show or even to the forum. Of course, our co-hosts, I really appreciate them. I, I like the fact that we've had a lot of episodes lately with both Brandon and Daredevil. I think it makes the show a lot better. So, yeah, it's not a big-time show. I'm not getting a million people listening to me, but a thousand is still a lot. I, I thought about that the other day. I go, hmm, a thousand people, that's, that's a lot of people. It's not a staggering number of people, but it's still a lot of people listening to me every week for all these hours. So, okay. And it's something I enjoy doing. I'm not making money from this, that's for sure. But it's okay. That's not what I do for money. And it's kind of hard to picture stopping this. I don't know how long the show will go on. That is... Poker Throttler Radio. I don't know if at some point I'll be sick of it or whatever and just end it, but I have been doing these radio shows now for eight years over three different sites. So I've been able to stand it for eight years. I, I can probably stand it for eight more and maybe more than that. And uh, I don't know. Maybe when I get older, I won't be physically able to talk for this long without it affecting me too much. But right now, it's okay. Right now, I can still handle it. And who knows? Maybe I can't. Maybe in 20 years, I can still do this show for all these hours, and it'll be fine. And I, I probably, as strange as it is to think about it, I probably will sound almost the exact same in 20 years. Because I sound almost the exact same as I did 25 years ago. 25 years ago, I sounded old for my age. Nobody could believe I was 18 when I would talk to them on the phone. So, now I think I sound younger than my age. Except when I talk about certain things that make me sound old. So, I I think my voice is going to be the same in 20 years from now. So, you can... Leave the show now and come back in 2036, and you'll probably hear the same voice again. In fact, when I talked to Benjamin's mom in 2009 for the first time in 16 years, she said she instantly recognized my voice from the last time she had talked to me. It was the exact same, she said. So if only I could find the secret to my voice not aging and apply it to the rest of my body. That would be good. All right. I'm just rambling crazy stuff now. And uh, somehow we have more listeners than I expected at this time. We're definitely way off the peak, but uh, more than I expected. Some people may have just fallen asleep and left the radio on, which makes it look like the ratings are higher than they actually are. Thank you. 
So, we will be back next week on January 13th, again a Wednesday, again around 7.30 Pacific Time. $200 free roll, remember, in this memory of Kate, a longtime listener to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, who unfortunately passed away on December 1st, 2015, and that uh, show will be dedicated to her, and the free roll will be dedicated to her, and thank you to her family for donating that money to the show so we can have that free roll next week of $200. And I'm sure we will have uh, an agenda of things to talk about again next week. I knew this week we'd have a lot because we skipped a week. But, you know, seven days a lot happens and there's a lot of new things to say. It's amazing how the poker and gambling community just keeps providing me with material the gift that never stops giving. I'm kind of out of things to say. I I don't know what to say for the final minute of the show. (laughs) Looks like we're going to finish a little bit short of eight hours, but that's quite enough. That would fill up an entire workday for most people. You could drive from L.A. to Vegas and then turn around and drive back to L.A. and almost go the entire round trip without the show ending, which is pretty obscene. It actually doesn't feel like I've talked to you now. It really doesn't. It's just somehow the time zips by. I, I never know where all the time went when I look back at the show. All righty. Next week, 200 bucks, January 13th, 7.30 p.m., hopefully the same co-host as we did before. And we're done. Good night. Shalom. Happy 2016.